Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, part two of the show from November 26th through November 27th, 2022. We split this up into two parts. Part one, which was released a few days ago, had only the story of the BetMGM, Viejas, and Global Pay bank theft scandal news, which was a very big story. So we devoted a few hours just on that, and I made it its own episode. And the rest of the stories are all in this episode. So I'm going to give you the agenda once again, and then we will get going with the remainder of the topics. A Minnesota poker player, actually a female poker player, who was playing slots on ignition, won a $241,000 jackpot, and they locked her account and wouldn't pay her. They didn't tell her she's not getting paid, but they froze her account for weeks and would not give her answers, wouldn't let her speak to anyone in power, and basically said, tough luck, we'll give you an answer when we're ready to give you an answer. And it was very disturbing to me to hear about the story, even though it didn't affect me at all. And even though I didn't really know this woman aside from seeing her around on Twitter, I never talked to her before in my life. But I said, you know what? This is wrong. This is what Poker Fraud Alert is here to do. Even though this wasn't directly about poker, it occurred on a site that also offers poker, Ignition, and it occurred to a poker player. And in fact, I also deal with gambling issues, not just poker, as you've heard on this show. So this was a perfect thing for me to also get involved with. So I threw myself into a second situation, which wasn't quite as big because it only affected one person. But I threw myself into that, and a major social media campaign was started to get this woman her money. So I'll tell you what happened with that, and I will also bring her on the show. She's agreed to come on the show. Her name is Mandy. Joey Ingram and Norman Chad had an ugly dispute, which resulted in Joey threatening to punch Norman in the ribs and Norman leaving Twitter. It seems like this is finally kind of winding down. But this was a surprising dispute and some surprising behavior going on in the dispute. So we'll talk about what happened between Norman and Joey. And by the way, I like them both. In fact, I was on Joey's show. And I'll tell you how to find that. I was on with him for about 90 minutes about the big topic I just mentioned, the thefts out of the bank accounts. So I like Joey and I like Norman. And I'm actually glad to see that this seems to be rectified, or at least partially rectified, because... I don't like seeing people fight that I like. Then we have an FTX update. FTX, of course, the major crypto exchange operated by Sam Bankman-Fried that collapsed and sent major reverberations throughout the crypto world. We have more news regarding that, so I will tell you what has happened since we last talked about FTX. Remember, we did a kind of a separate show about FTX. It was all one episode with the FTX stuff and non-FTX stuff, but actually split it into two parts in the archives. Adele is at Caesars Palace and performing. Can you believe it? I thought that would never happen after everything she had been doing this year. What a disaster that whole thing was, that residency that never became a residency and screwed people over. It was a giant mess. But anyway, she finally performed. I'll tell you how that went. And what we can expect from this in the future. Bitcoin Latinum, not Bitcoin Platinum, and not Bitcoin. Bitcoin Latinum, which, by the way, has nothing to do with Bitcoin. It's a kind of a trick, that name. It is a cryptocurrency. 
It's a token, actually, currently. It was heavily promoted by Phil Helmuth, and it is being sued, as is the creator of Bitcoin Latinum. And it's possible that Helmuth might be sued next. Uh-oh. Bitcoin Latinum has been an absolute disaster. So that'll be our final topic. All right, so let's get going with part two. We're going to begin with the topic about the ignition jackpot that wasn't getting paid. As I mentioned, I am somebody who will often go to bat for others in situations that do not involve me. I'm not just someone who always will take a selfish motivation into the matter. Like this last thing that happened, it was for both me personally and the community because it affected all of us. But the next thing I'm going to talk about had nothing to do with me and it was nothing ever likely to affect me, but it was something I saw was wrong and something that I wanted to see taken care of. So I decided to get involved. People will bring things to me sometimes that they feel is some sort of injustice or screw job that has happened to them or a relative or a friend and they ask if there's anything I can do. Sometimes I will just give advice. Sometimes I'll give advice plus take action if my advice doesn't get the whole thing corrected. I will sometimes have people on this show to help bring publicity to the matter if it's necessary. Sometimes I'll use my Twitter to bring publicity to the matter and do a write-up on Poker Fraud Alert to talk about what's happening so people can read in full form what is going on. A pretty recent example of this was Lock Poker. Actually, that was an older example. An older example is Lock Poker from 2013, 2014, where they weren't paying anybody. And I was pretty much the lead in investigating that whole thing and exposing that whole thing, even though I wasn't even on Lock Poker. But more recently, on ACR in the spring, if you remember, people were getting into those accounts with credential stuffing attacks, just like what was going on on DraftKings, except I believe some insiders were involved at ACR. And I won't go into all that again, but I think it was a combination of the two that was happening. And people were having money just disappear from their ACR accounts. And ACR was not taking it seriously. ACR was not giving people their money back. And I brought attention to the issue. Someone who was a victim of that brought that to me. I was very upset to see that was happening, even though it was not going to affect me because I don't play on ACR. And I made this public, and I pressed ACR for a resolution and got some other poker media to cover it. And yeah, they finally closed the loophole and refunded everybody. So I was proud of the result on that one. And up until when I raised a big issue about it, nothing was done because unlike in the situation that happened with this BetMGM stuff, the victims of this were all unknowns in poker, which may have been by design. But back to something more current. In fact, something that just happened. Ignition Casino is an offshoot of Bovada, which in turn was an offshoot of Bodog. But they're all basically the same company. They pretend not to be, but they are. So Ignition does not have a sports book, but they have a poker room and they have a casino. Bovada has a sports book too, but Ignition does not. I've played a lot on Ignition Poker. I will say that Ignition Poker has been very good about withdrawals. They're blazing fast with payouts whenever I request a payout. So I've given them props for that. 
However, their customer service is hit and miss, and I've had some things happen over the years with both Ignition and Bovada that has upset me, where I've had to call up and really yell at them and really try to browbeat them into doing the right thing. The worst of which was some years ago on Bovada, where I logged in and my account with $56,000 was suspended, and they wouldn't tell me why, and they wouldn't tell me when it would be resolved, and they just kept telling me to wait and wait and wait, and I was not going to just sit around and wait for them to find excuses to steal my $56,000 when I had done nothing wrong. They wouldn't even tell me what I did wrong. Finally, it turned out that they were accusing me of bonus abuse, which is so stupid. It was because I made a deposit to get a bonus when I already had like 40 k on the site. But knowing that they might bitch about this, I actually asked customer service beforehand if this is okay, and they told me yes. So I did it. I ran the amount of action I had to. I got the bonus, and then they decided it was bonus abuse and suspended my entire account and wouldn't tell me that until I really, really pressed it. They wouldn't even tell me why they suspended me. When I asked them, why did you suspend me if your customer service people said it was okay, they said, oh yeah, we know they said it was okay. <laughs> and I was like, what? So you knew you, your customer service agent on the phone told me that it was okay to redeem this bonus with that amount in my account, and then you suspended me anyway? Well, yes, because we still felt you were abusing it. Anyway... Needless to say, they reopened my account, and everything was fine from there. They did disable all my bonuses in the future. This is on Bovada, not Ignition, but yeah, they're basically the same thing. Same network, and I am just about sure it's the same ownership. But I was very worried at one point that they were going to find an excuse to keep and steal my $56,000, and the worst part was not getting any kind of resolution or timetable. They just kept saying, we're investigating, we're investigating, we're investigating. And they weren't telling me what they were investigating or what they felt I did or why I was suspended or when I could expect an answer. I just had to wait and be patient. And that's what I was told over and over and over again. And when I finally got them to pay attention to this and give me an answer quickly was when I threatened to expose this on my site and my show. And they actually put me on hold and went on to Poker Fraud Alert and looked at the site. And then they came back and they said, okay, hang on. And they connected me to what's known as financial services, which is their middle management, despite the funny name. And that's when it got resolved. So it was only because I had this platform that they expedited it at that point, And only after I threatened that I was going to really make them look bad over this. I said, with my history, with how I'm known to not be a cheater, and known to be an honest person in poker, if, if I come out and say you guys stole 56K from me, it's going to look terrible. And I'm going to put this all out there, and you're going to have no idea how much publicity I'm going to bring to this. And so they said, well, what is your website, sir? <laughs> I gave them the website, and they went and took a look. So anyway, with that in my memory, I saw a story come across my desk, which was sort of similar in a way, except it didn't involve poker, but it involved a poker player. There is a female poker player and gambler from Minnesota. Her name on Twitter is Mandy Minx, and she also goes by a Poker Princess. It's spelled kind of a funny way, Poker Princess. P-K-R-P-R-N-C-S-S, if you want to see her. 
P-K-R-P-R-N-C-S-S. She's also listed as Mandy Minx. And this is her description on her own Twitter. Gamble, poker, slots, Vikings, referring to Minnesota Vikings, Wild, referring to the uh, Minnesota Wild, Twins, Minnesota Twins, Royal, not sure what Royal is supposed to be, Scrimps, I'm not, I'm not sure what Scrimps is either, Peanut Butter Malts, Nuggies, I'm not sure if that's a pot reference, Solid 4.5 out of 10, that's how she describes her looks, she's a, she's a solid 4.5 out of 10 in her opinion. You can you can go to her Twitter and take a look and, and decide if you agree. She is 39 years old, and I, I'm not exposing her age. Some women are very sensitive about this. She put right on her own Twitter that she just turned 39 and is a year from 40, so that's not a secret. She's been in poker for a while. I've seen her on Twitter. She actually has 4,700 followers on Twitter. I've never met her in person. And prior to all this, I never had any kind of real interaction with her. Just someone I was aware of being out there. But I knew relatively little about her other than that she was from Minnesota and played poker. When I was on Chicago Joey's show about this whole BetMGM thing, I saw a person named Poker Princess in the chat who was saying, Hey, Joey, can you cover the fact that Ignition stole $250,000 from me and won't let me withdraw. And I saw that scroll by and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's this? But I couldn't spend a lot of time thinking about it because I was on the show talking with Joey. So I kind of passed by and I noticed it and I kind of wondered what it was, but then I kind of forgot about it. But then she contacted me and she asked if there was anything I could do to help. And she told me to go take a look at her Twitter where she had something fairly rare, and that was, well, rare in two ways. Number one is she hit a big jackpot in online slots. And number two, she actually had a video of herself doing it. And we'll ask her why that video was being taken. That's a common question she keeps getting. But she actually has a video of herself playing online slots at a casino. So she's at a brick-and-mortar casino and is playing online slots on her phone at the same time. That's like the ultimate degeneracy, but still. I'm going to play you the audio of this, or a part of it, and you can hear how she was reacting when this was about to happen. 200 bucks to spin, Rob. This is to hit the 241. That's a a male that's with her that's recording it, saying 200 bucks a spin, that she's spinning it, and he's recording it for a $241,000 jackpot at the moment. Dial in the energy. She will shit her pants right in front of you. Two hundred dollars to spend as fast as she can. Oh my spend. god! Give me that! It, I think I just hit it! I think I just hit it! I think I just hit it! Are you recording this? Yes. Of Are course. you recording this? Yes. I've never seen this before. Did I hit it? Oh my god! Oh. You recording this? Yes. Super jackpot. Not daily. Super. <laughs> You're not gonna run out of room. No. Oh my god! Super. So now it's spinning a wheel that's gonna land on something that may or may not get for the jackpot. Super. Super. Don't. don't Super. Don't. Call, simmer, pull hard, close your eyes. Look at me. Wait till it drops. Hold on. I've never seen it. No. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> so that's it. She. Then you see her jumping and smiling, and the guy's like, "Are you serious?" But yeah, she won. She won. 
the $241,000 super jackpot. And I'll explain in a second what that is. And she already had 12K in the account. It's $200 per spin, so you need a lot in the account to do this. Let me explain what these jackpots are so you can understand the context of what was going on here. Because you might wonder, is this really just some really rich person who can afford $200 a spin? Like, what's going on here? And, and why is she doing this on ignition of all things? Because I always say you shouldn't play slots online. You never know how safe they are. You never know if they're cheating you. You don't know anything. And that, as you'll hear in this story, you don't even know if you'll get paid if you hit it. But anyway, she played what's known as a must-hit jackpot. Now, Ignition calls it a hot-drop jackpot, but it's the same thing as a must-hit jackpot. A must-hit jackpot is a jackpot that has to hit at either a certain time or when it gets to a certain amount. So they have three of these jackpots. They call them hot-drop jackpots on Ignition. And strangely enough, these were advertised by Landon Teese. Remember that? Remember Landon Teese was advertising these on his Twitter and then everyone was making fun of him. That's exactly what he was advertising was these hot drop jackpots. So there's three of them. There's an hourly jackpot, which is usually three figures. So it's less than a thousand dollars. And that's something that every hour is going to hit at some point. So at some point during that hour, someone's going to hit that jackpot. Then there's a daily jackpot, which is like low five figures. And that is something that happens once a day. So at some point in a 24-hour period, it's going to hit. Then there's the super jackpot. You know how she kept saying super, super, super? She wanted that wheel to land on super. The super jackpot is one that is not based on time, but it's based upon the level it gets to. So it's a progressive jackpot that every time you spin and don't win, the jackpot goes up a little bit. And not just you, just everybody playing that game will make the jackpot increase if they don't hit it. And this super jackpot will always hit before 250000 So it's going to keep going up and up and up and up. And at some point before two fifty, it will hit. Now, I can tell you with these must-hit jackpots that I've seen in brick-and-mortar casinos, these are kind of shady because you would think it just means it could hit any time between when it's fairly low all the way up till the very end when it has to hit. But at least at the brick-and-mortar casinos I've played, they tend to hit usually close to the very, very, very end. Like, one of them I played hit at, like, 4999 and something cents when it had to hit by 5000 And apparently that's not a coincidence. Like, apparently that's usually what happens. It hits right near the end, even though it resets all the way back down to 4000 So if it resets down to 4000 you have, like, almost zero chance to hit it, which I think should be illegal but isn't for some reason. But anyway, back to this. This is not governed by any laws because it's an offshore casino. This resets way lower. So someone took a screenshot of it. This is after she hit it. Someone took a screenshot of it. It was only 44K, and it has to hit before 250. Now, maybe they do it differently than the ones I've seen in the brick and mortar. Maybe these do sometimes hit earlier. But when she was spinning it, it was all the way up to 241. So I don't know how much of a chance it is to hit at 241. I don't know if spinning at that point at $200 a spin is positive expectation or just not that negative or if it's still quite negative. I have to think it's not terrible because it is only 9000 away from hitting. And obviously it's much better to be spinning it at 241 than it is at 44. I can't believe the suckers that spin it this when it's 44. But 
she was spinning this at 241 and obviously the thought was okay it's already 241 so i'm going to invest the money here to keep spinning and hope i get lucky now she's not necessarily a uh, slots advantage player she is kind of just a, a gambler she has been playing these slots since she saw landon advertising this back in july so actually landon actually got a customer here and she happened to hit it here now i have to imagine we'll ask her if she was playing more aggressively because it was near the end near that 250 because it was 241 but she was putting in 200 dollars a spin and if you don't hit it you can imagine how quickly your money can evaporate in five spins it's a thousand dollars in 50 spins it's ten thousand dollars that's very quick to do so 50 quick spins and ten thousand dollars is just gone but anyway she did hit it so congrats to her but here's the reason we're talking about it if she just hit this and got paid then i would not have anything to say about this it would be a fairly boring story but what happened she hit the jackpot had 253,000 in her account, 12,000 that she loaded on there and still had and 243 or 241 from the prize and they didn't pay her. Her account said 253,000, but it was locked. She couldn't log in. So of course she called customer support and they said that we need to investigate this. We can't unlock your account. We can't let you cash out until we investigate this. She hit this on November 2nd. She didn't post about this. Even though she took the video, she withheld posting the video until she actually got paid. But this is what she posted on November 20th. Was waiting to post this, referring to the video of her winning, until I got paid out, but I hit this November 2nd, which was 18 days prior. My Ignition account has been disabled for two weeks. I sent in the required verification. I've been freaking out ever since. They won't give me any explanation and just tell me to be patient. Help. Yeah, I don't blame her. 18 days. It's one thing if they say, look, uh, we're going to disable your account for 24 hours while we look into this. 48 hours while we look into this. Just make sure everything's kosher. Nothing is off uh, from what it should be. Just make sure it's all on the level because it's so much money. So sorry about that. Just please be patient. Give us two days and we'll clear it. Okay, whatever. 18 days? What are they doing for 18 days? And it's not about verification. As she said, she sent in everything they asked her to send very quickly. But her account was still disabled. So she came to me and she said, what can I do? This is someone I didn't know, by the way. Someone... uh, I think someone referred that she should probably come to me, but she also saw me on Chicago Joey's show. So I guess she also thought I was just a good person to come to about this. So I said to her, I agree. I think that this is very shady, that they're not paying you. So I told her what you need to do is call up Ignition between 9 and 5 Eastern, Monday through Friday, and ask for financial services. Remember the ones I spoke to that told me about the bonus abuse? I said, you need to ask for financial services. That's the middle management. That's the highest customer-facing team they have. But you can't always get them. Sometimes they'll give them to you. Sometimes they won't. But demand to talk to financial services. They're the ones making this decision. And if financial services says, it's cool, we can reopen the account, they will, and you can get your money. I also told her that she needs to threaten them that if they do not 
give her an answer soon because they wouldn't give her any answer. They wouldn't say what they're doing, what they're investigating, what the account is locked, what the timetable is. Nothing. Just be patient. Your account is closed while we're looking into it. We'll be done when we're done. We'll be finished when we're finished. That was it. Imagine you hit that jackpot. Imagine you have 253000 locked up in your account on an offshore casino where you have no recourse and they're telling you be patient. But they won't tell you what they're investigating. You've done everything they asked. You sent them documentation very early on in the whole process and they are not making any progress. They're not telling you when you can expect it. Just wait, 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 they tell you. And they won't let you speak to anyone of consequence. So she called up. Asked for middle management, you have financial services. They said, nope, they're going to tell you the same thing, so you can't talk to them. And I told her to let them know that she is going to expose this on social media and make them look really bad for not paying her. So it's very important that they let her speak to financial services and that she should be treated fairly, and this needs to be handled immediately because it's already been so long. So she did, and guess what? They didn't care. Sorry. You can post this where you want, but we have to do what we have to do. You have to be patient. Goodbye. So she told me that happened, and I said, okay, well, it's time for plan B. So before I continue with this story, what we're going to do is we're going to call up Mandy. And I know she's there because I was texting with her. And we're going to have her tell us in her own words about this whole thing. And then I will tell you what happened from there, what plan B was, and what the result was. Hello. Mandy, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. You're your very first time on the show. In fact, uh, this is the first time I've ever spoken to you on the phone. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've texted with you, but uh, first time on the phone. Now, it is uh, 5 a.m. where you are, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Yeah, so if she sounds tired or a little worn out, that's just, uh, you know, she got up in the middle of the night to talk to me here on the show, so you guys have to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I right. actually just stayed up. Oh, you stayed up? Well, you haven't been to sleep. I, th- I thought you went to sleep, and I was going to text you and try to wake you up, and I was a little worried you wouldn't wake up, but, you know, if you weren't, I'd just have to speak for you. Yeah, I stayed up. Wow, you stayed up. Okay, I would have gotten to you sooner then. I thought you were sleeping. I thought you were in dreamland. Um, I'm sorry about... Uh, Taking away from your sleep here, but now that you're here, at, le- at least it's an audio show, though. At least you don't have to get ready. At least you can you can talk to me with the, <laughs> right. the, the no makeup on and the bed head and everything else. And your breath can be terrible and all that's going to be fine. And you, it's it's all cool here. So anyway, I really felt bad for you when I heard your story, when you brought this to me, and I fully believed you, and I really was kind of putting myself in your shoes. And how I would feel if this occurred. In fact, I did have this occur to me in some way, as you heard, this with this 56K. But yours was for even more money. And it's, it's frustrating when you have money locked up on an offshore site and you can't access it and they won't give you answers. It's a really helpless feeling. So during those three weeks where they just weren't giving you answers, how were you feeling? Did you think you're going to get the money? Did you think they're going to end up stealing it from you? What was your feeling on the whole thing at the time? I mean, I guess I was just like, the whole time I was just like, what are they investigating? You know, because we get an email from the investigation team. It's like, okay, I understand the, excuse me, the enhanced verification and like having me, you know, prove who I was, even though a couple weeks prior to hitting it, 
they had messaged me and wanted me to verify it by holding up my ID. And so, like, I had just done that. But it was just, like, I'm just like, what are they looking for? Like, I didn't tell them immediately that I had this video. Like, because they, they didn't tell me what they were looking for. If they said, oh, we don't know if it's you that hit it, I would have been like, well, here's a video. And so it was just, like, every day I'd wake up, check my email, see if anything happened. I called a couple times a week and just constantly got told the same thing, the just be patient. We can't give you any information. We don't have any information for you. And I got told a couple different time frames that it usually takes. And I recorded all of these because trust no one. <laughs> well, how long did they like, say? How long did they say it would usually take? What was the time frame they claimed it usually took? The first person said that seven business days, but that my file was in a queue and they were behind. And then the next person I talked to said, well, I don't know why anybody would tell you that. There are no time frames. And then the next person was, well, usually it's 24 to 48 hours after they've received your documents. And like, and so it was just like, does, is there any sort of thing where you guys are going to tell me the same thing other than to just be patient? And I talk, asked to talk to a supervisor and it was just all the same thing every time. Yeah, I, I had something similar where they were just giving me answers all over the place with that 56K. And what was really infuriating for me was they'd tell me to email such and such email address with such and such info. I would. Then they tell me I have to wait 48 hours. And so, like, every time I did something, they claimed I had to wait 48 hours and it just kept stalling and stalling and stalling. And I was just getting finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. And that's when I threatened to just blow the whole thing up. So, but anyway, back to yours. Can you tell everybody why you were recording? this because obviously you couldn't know you were going to hit it so what was the reason for the recording that was turned on prior to it hitting um so i gamble a lot i play a lot of slots and i for years have been recording if i'm in a bonus or something and so i was at cherokee in north carolina and i had just gotten there i had picked up somebody from the airport and we went there and we were sitting at a slot and we play slots with our friend named Rob, who in the beginning of the video, you can hear the person recording say, saying 200 bucks to spin Rob. And we slot with him a lot back in Minnesota. So he was in this person. He, he documents basically his entire life on Snapchat. Like if he's doing anything, you'll know about it on Snapchat. So he was taking a video showing that I'm sitting here playing $200 to spend on my phone, but also sitting in a casino doing it, playing a real slot. And as you can see, I only, like, I was, what, like, my third spin in when it happened. And then, so he's just going to keep recording at that point. I mean, my phone is full of slot videos. I play a lot of slot machines. So it was, Nothing out of the ordinary for him to be just recording what we were doing. And were you and playing? Were you asked? Were you playing at this level, this two hundred dollars a spin, when the must hit was lower, or were you doing this because it was getting closer to the two fifty? I mean, like, because I've been doing it for a little bit, I just like, I, it goes off at like random times. You just don't know, so I'll just play it randomly from here, like here and there, and like. It, it was just 
I guess, luck. <laughs> because, I mean, it wasn't anywhere near 250, but that it starts over at 5,000. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's very close right. compared to 5,000. Like, so, it, it's, yeah, it's, like, I've seen it go off lower, you know, like, I've seen it go off at, like, random points or whatever. It's just, if I'm on my phone and I happen to see it, I'll just be like, all right, we'll just give it a shot for a little bit here. And, like, it was just a lucky day, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Now, why, why was it? Why was it two hundred dollars? Why was it two hundred dollars a spin? Is, does that increase your chances of winning it, or is that what it has to be to get that uh, super to go? What was the reason for the two hundred? I mean, as far as I know, any bet level will you can hit it. You're on like some machines, like real machines in real life. It'll be at that met bet max bet only. I can talk. Um, 200 is the max bet. So in my mind, I feel like you have a better chance, but I, it doesn't say anywhere on there that you have to be betting max to do it. I just max risk, max reward. Hmm. YOLO. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it does or not. I don't know if that gives you a better chance. I know that runs up the counter faster, up closer to 250, but you, as you said, you were 241. That would take a while to get all the way to 250. Uh, spinning right. even at the highest amount, so so you were just spinning a lot uh, over time here, and you, you just happened to to get it here, and you happened to have it recorded because your your friend was recording it anyway to show this other friend, and you know you happened to get it on there. So I what I said to people because there are some people who are skeptical about two things. They're skeptical number one. Why are you recording? You already explained that. And, yeah, it doesn't matter. Who cares why you're recording? And number two, maybe you were only attacking this so vigorously because it was close to hitting and maybe Ignition didn't like that. And my response to that is, well, if Ignition's worried about that, don't have a must hit. Because you don't have to be a slot expert to be able to tell that when a must hit jackpot is getting close to hitting, that it's advantageous to play at that point. That it's better to play when it's high than when it's low. That's the whole point of a must hit is to give some information to the customers of when it's going to hit. So if they don't like that people are going to play more aggressively when it's very high, then they should not provide that information. They shouldn't have that type of slot. So they can't provide that and then get mad at you that you're going to play it more when it's 240 than when it's five. So that would be a very dumb argument on their part. Of, oh, you you only played two hundred dollars a spin when it was very high. That's not fair. You're an advantage slot player. Like that's crap. If they're going to provide a must hit machine, then they have to expect that. In fact, amateur players will do that. It does not take a slot genius to notice that that's the time to play. So anyway, regardless of whether you played for that reason, that should not impact at all whether they pay you. So right. you were not getting any answers from them. Were you feeling at any point that there was a higher chance that you're not going to get this money than you're going to get it? Like at any point, did you think it was less than 50% chance you actually received the money one day? Um, I guess not really. Just just knowing that overall Ignition has a fairly good reputation for paying people out. I hadn't had problems like before. Um, you know, at first I was just like, okay, they're just doing their due diligence to make sure that this was legit and whatnot. But it was just like, as time went on, like my thought of it got worse and worse. 
But at the same time, I kind of feel like I run hot in life. So I'm like, nah, I'm definitely getting this money. But then in the back of my mind, I was like, you're not getting shit. <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, I I try to be as positive as I can be because cause I've been a dealer before and I've been gambling for as long as I've been able to be in a casino. So I'm pretty dead inside when it comes to winning or losing. Like if I lose, 10,000, if I win 10,000, it's just going to basically be like almost no reaction. I remember like telling myself, okay, I know he's recording me. So I'm like, I have to do something. And apparently it was standing up and saying, yes, shrieking like a little girl and then doing some weird jump. But like in my mind, I was just like, oh, cool. Plus, <laughs> when it's online, it, it doesn't feel as real as when it's in person. I guess that's true. I have to say, though, if that ha- if I won that type of money online, I would have a pretty strong reaction. Like, uh, I-, I guess I'm not dead inside yet when it comes to gambling. I still get uh, excited when I win anything. But anyway, uh, I'll tell you what I was worried about. I think I was more worried than you, even though it was your money. Ignition and Bovada have a major paranoia regarding bonus abuse or advantage play and when they think that's going on then they tend to not want to pay you so they're not really looking to cheat or scam people but if they feel like they are on the other end of getting screwed then they are going to confiscate your money and what i was a little worried about here is there was going to be some kind of false positive that they were going to believe you were that type of player and that they were going to take away your money believing it was some kind of scheme to take advantage of their must-hit jackpots. So the longer this was taking, I started to get worried that they were trying to find reasons and trying to find ways to prove, even if it doesn't really prove, that you are one of these advantage players and that they don't have to pay you. I'll give you an example. There was a ring of people, and in fact, I knew one of the people in the ring. I wasn't involved at all, but I knew someone in the ring that was creating new accounts on Bovada and Ignition, and just using fake names and getting the deposit bonus and then running the deposit bonus at as high limit as they could. And then if they hit something and they were able to clear enough uh, playthrough in order to cash it out, then they would, and they could make tens of thousands of dollars in one shot. And if they didn't, then they'd just blow the bonus and they'd just cash back out the crypto they deposited. And the reason this worked is because it was crypto, they didn't have to really verify the information and they were able to cash out. This is before uh, they started to clamp down more on uh, on checking your identity before letting you cash out things. So these rings were just making tons of fake accounts to get deposit bonuses and run that through and and win money that way. And people took them for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So ever since that happened, they have been very, very paranoid about what they call bonus abuse and of what they deem advantage play. And anytime they think that's happening, they don't want to pay you. So I was worried you were going to be swept up in that and wrongly seen as that type of player, and they were going to take it away. So the fact that it was taking so long, and it was so long after you sent your documents showing that you were who you said, really made me concerned that they were trying to find something else to nail you. And this is one of these things where you've got to force them to a decision. And that's 
why I took the action I did, which I'm going to explain in a second. But that was my concern. That's what I was worried about. And especially when other people were starting to suggest that, where people were saying, oh, well, how did she get so much money on there to do $200 a spin? Maybe it's a bunch of people funding it. Maybe this is a team. And I go, oh, no, I bet that's what Ignition's thinking. I bet they're trying to look at the blockchain and see where the, the, the money was, was sent to you from. And, you know, there's a lot of ways they could construct this to make it look like that you were part of a team to do it. I mean, you even had someone recording you. So, right. so I, was, I was concerned that they were going to spin that narrative and not pay you because of how long yeah. it had been. If, if it was two, two days, three days, I admit I wouldn't be scared of anything. I'd say, okay, it's a lot of money. They just want to check out everything, fine. But three weeks was unacceptable. And then there was a second problem. This was all after... Well, part of this was after the FTX fiasco. You hit it on November 2nd. The FTX fiasco happened about a week later. So there became a question of how much Ignition and Bovada may have lost in that FTX collapse. And what if they are just cash poor and can't pay people? And what if that's especially giving them incentive to want to screw people who win big jackpots? Or at least stall people if they can't pay them at the moment. And, and there were definitely some people who were being rejected for Bitcoin and Ethereum withdrawals and were told to do Bitcoin cash. And there were some funny things that were happening that seemed to indicate something wasn't quite right. And that would not only incentivize them to not pay you, but also could mean that they may be stalling you for a long time and pushing you to the back burner because who would they rather pay? A, a bunch of people for smaller cash outs or one person for a big one? Obviously the former. So I was worried about all of this, and uh, my belief was we've got to attack this fast and make them decide on this quickly and not give them a chance to find a reason to not pay you. Because the more time that passes, the higher chance they're not going to pay you. Is, is that kind of how you were feeling? Yeah, I mean, I guess like something, I don't only play for those jackpots. That was like one thing that kind of made me feel a little bit more comfortable because it's not like I was just like, oh, it's getting high. I better play this. Like, I would play non-hot drop jackpot machines <clears throat> like the other times when I would play. And I went, I would go pretty hard. Like, one day I got up and then I lost like 20000 back. Like, you know, and, and so it was like, I wasn't just depositing money and playing these for these jackpots like i was playing other things as well right right and that's so uh, that's why it was kind of like that made me feel a little bit better but yeah the whole ftx thing i was just like oh gosh like you know because as it like i said as it went on i just like my mind started to wander more people are giving like their conspiracy theories about it and then i'm like oh my god what's gonna happen <laughs> like it was just, it just got like so like a huge question mark like what's gonna happen am i gonna get this money are they gonna like like i have no idea what's happening it's you know it's a large amount of money it's not like two thousand dollars and i'm like freaking out over nothing not that two thousand is nothing but it it was just with no answers you know like give like so they even called me the day after i hit it to congratulate me on it and ask for a quote for social media. And I, whatever I did it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I even hit it while I was in the casino. I'm like, I'm on a vacation in North Carolina. And I had already got, I had gotten the email about the enhanced verification. And I told the person, I said, 
I get home on Sunday. When I get home, I will do that because I needed to hold my ID in front of where I live so they could see the numbers and see the numbers match my ID, hold the day's newspaper with a handwritten note. So it's like, I couldn't do that when I was in North Carolina. So I live in Minnesota. So I told them all these things and they just couldn't tell me anything. And it, it was, the, like, the newspaper is hilarious. The, the newspaper really is like it was a hostage situation and someone wanted proof you were still alive. <laughs> I haven't thought, I can't even tell you less than about a newspaper. I was just like, <laughs> the pictures of me holding it were so ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like I just wanted to like put up a middle finger and be like, can you just pay me my freaking money, please? Jeez. <laughs> you should. You should have done some sort of send up of like back to the future of you're looking at the paper going 2022. How am I in 2022? I was living in 2052. How am I back here? Great Scott. I was expecting him to say something like, well, it says your hair is brown and your hair is blue. So I don't think this is you. Like, yeah, we're not paying you anything to, I just like kept saving my mail at that point. I was like, what are they going to do for next? Like proof of address for mail. And I just, I'm like, I have no idea what's coming. Yeah, so but you did all this very quickly, right? Like you did this within like two days? Um, I hit it on a Wednesday. They called me Thursday. I didn't get back home to Minnesota until Sunday, but I told them that when they called me because I was on okay. vacation. Okay, so you still four days. So, yeah, again, if, if you did this four days later and then they took another two, three days to verify it, okay, fine. But then two weeks after that, more than two weeks after that, they still hadn't done anything. And this is what I told them when when they weren't acting fast enough on my 56k where I was locked up for no reason and they kept telling me I have to wait there's other customers ahead of me I said to them when you're dealing with a very large sum of money you have to give the customer some priority because it's very scary for a customer to have a large sum of money locked up with an offshore site so you have to look and say we have to serve those few customers first not like there's a ton of people with 250k on there so you've got to handle those customers first and then handle the guys with, with a hundred dollars locked up. Those people are not going to panic. It's the people who have the big money that are going to panic that things aren't being done. So if there is a big backlog, then move the big payouts out to a priority level and get it done. Verify what you need to verify and do it quickly. There's no excuse. I cannot think of an excuse in the world why this should take three weeks. And in fact, it was going to take more than three weeks it was three weeks when we really started to press this, but there is no excuse. There's some idiots on Twitter going, oh, three weeks is reasonable. You know, it's a lot of money. They have to do a lot of checking, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. They, they, they need to do a little checking, but that's it. They need to do it quickly, and they need to understand there's a human being on the other end who's waiting to get paid six figures that they rightfully won. And that they may have lost a lot of money beforehand before winning. So when you have people winning jackpots like that, you can't treat them like criminals and you can't just leave them twisting in the wind. And you need to communicate. You need to say, we're investigating. Here's the process we need to do. Here's how long it's going to take. Here's what we're doing in the meantime. And here's the typical time frame. That's what they need to do. And they weren't doing it. They were doing the opposite. And they need to let you speak to management when you need to so you can feel good that they're not trying to pull shenanigans. But it was the opposite here. They wouldn't let you speak to management, right? 
oh, one time they let me talk to a supervisor, but when I called and asked for the financial services, they're like, at first they go, yeah, sure, that's fine. Like I said, I had this conversation recorded. Yeah, that's fine. They're like, well, can I ask what it's about? And they pull up my account. They see that I've probably called at this point five, six times. They see that I've talked to somebody on, you know, email, live chat. And they just, they're like, well, let me put you on hold and I'll reach out to them and let them know. And they just came back and said, well, they don't have any information for you either. So they didn't let me talk to the financial services or whatever. Yeah. But I talked to a supervisor at one point who just told me the same thing. Everybody else told me so. Yeah, financial services is always the key. I had one other thing with financial services where I did a Bitcoin cash out for, I don't know, 15000 or something, and it just sat for five, six days, which doesn't sound like a ton of time, but I was used to getting it like within a day, so I was wondering what was going on, and then I went on 2 plus 2 and saw people like getting their cash outs approved in a day or two, and e- even some fairly large ones, so I'm like, what the hell's going on with me? In fact, I had many successful cash outs, so it's not like they were shocked I was cashing out that amount. So... You know, I was a winning poker player on there, so I was cashing that regularly. So I called up and said, what's going on? And I get all this bullshit from them. And then so I asked to speak to financial services. They slammed me on hold for 15 minutes. And then they came back and said, um, financial services said that coincidentally, they happened to just be processing it while you were on hold. Yeah, I'm sure. They weren't processing shit when I was on hold. What happened was they went to financial services, and I don't know what reason they were holding this up, but financial services then processed it while I was on hold. That's why I sat on hold 15 minutes, because they must have gotten their asses in gear and processed it right then because I was complaining about it. So I don't know what that holdup was, but they were the ones who enabled it. They're, they're the ones who control everything there, that financial services. And so them not letting you speak to them is crap. You've got 253K locked up. The least they can do after three weeks is let you speak to freaking financial services. So anyway, a- a- after I advised you to ask for financial services and they wouldn't let you speak to them, and you, you, and you told them, what was the, specifically you told them about how you're going to post on social media about this? I said that I had a decent-sized following but that I mentioned what you had said that I was going to be going on some well-known podcasts to talk about it. And I have a video of me playing it and I'm going to be posting this and they just, they just shrugged it off. Like it was nothing. I don't know (laughs) because I'm a girl or what it was. I'm not going to like, make any assumptions about it. But no, it's because they're they, just stupid. I, you know, because I had the same right. thing. I, when I had that 56K, at first I said I'm going to expose it on my site, my show, and they're like, okay, whatever. And I said, no, no, you guys don't get this. This is going to be like really, really bad. Like it's called Poker Fraud Alert and I've been on 60 Minutes before exposing another scandal. And like if, he, if I say addiction, if I say Bovada cheated me out of 56K, it's going to really, really cause a big panic and, and you're not going to like this. It's going to be very, very unfortunate for you guys. So you, you really need to treat me fairly here and you need to do this quickly. And so then they put me on hold and actually went and looked at my site and came back and, like, resolved it immediately. So I think you just spoke to idiots who just kind of thought you're going to bitch on Twitter and it's going to be – that'll be that. They didn't realize what was coming. Yeah, so, like, 20 followers or something who yeah. don't care. Yeah. So so I said, okay, here's plan B. I'm, I'm going to post this and I'm going to really get people's attention. And I, I knew what to say. Okay? So – Let's look at what I knew coming into this. Because I didn't want to say anything that wasn't true or that wasn't at least uh, suspicious. We knew that they were holding this up for three weeks. They wouldn't let you speak to middle management. They were 
not telling you when you could expect this. They weren't even telling you what they were suspicious of or what they were investigating or what you could do to speed this up. Nothing. Just wait, 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 wait for three weeks and with no end in sight. And we were hearing that people were getting their Bitcoin and Ethereum cash, cash outs rejected and told to get Bitcoin cash and some weird things like that were happening. And it was shortly after the whole FTX fiasco. So it wasn't hard to picture that maybe they're having some problems with accessing crypto or maybe they had lost a lot of money from FTX and didn't have the money to pay out. So these were all possibilities. By no means were these certainties, but these were all possible. And what was definitely a certainty was that they were not treating you fairly. So I posted this on November 23rd, early in the morning. Star, 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 warning, star, 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 star. It appears Ignition Casino is either broke, and I put that in all caps, and or attempting to cheat a member of the poker community who legitimately won 250k on their slots. They've locked her account and been, quote, investigating for three weeks. They will not explain why. See video below, and then I posted your video of winning. It isn't just Mandy. Other Ignition Casino players have reported that their accounts have been locked for several weeks after hitting big jackpots, and I've seen, like, posts here and there on 2 Plus 2 or whatever, so that's not a lie. Nobody playing slots there, almost all who lose money, by the way, is aware they will get cheated if they win. We need answers. Mandy and the others sent full verification documents, even videos of themselves playing as requested, still nothing. All were told to, quote, be patient while their money is locked up for many weeks. Ignition refuses to explain. Landon Teese, can you explain what's going on? Ignition Casino needs to explain themselves. Did they lose their crypto being held at FTX? Are they just quietly cheating slot players? If they do not explain this quickly, I'm going to suggest everyone withdraw their funds, if still possible, and quit Ignition. And then I did a gif of Teddy KGB saying, pay that man his money. Sorry for calling you a man, but, you know. these Man D. Yeah, that's true. It could be Man D. But I was going to say it's it's interchangeable anyway. You you just identify as a man or something. So anyway, that really, really got... Everybody riled up, as you might guess, because people go, oh, my God, Ignition might be broke. What? Because a lot of people play on there. A lot of poker players play on there. And it's like a lot of people play on there. A lot of people have friends that play on there. Everyone got very, very concerned. And this is very concerning. Also, this looks terrible because when people play slots, they have a dream of this happening. Not not the crap with not getting paid, but of hitting something like a 241K jackpot. I've never hit anything like that in my life. In fact, the only I've, in my life, I've won more than 241K at once, one time. And that was when I won my bracelet 17 years ago at the, at the World Series. That was the one time I got paid more than uh, 241K from, in, in one shot. So that, it's, it's very exciting to get that. People dream of this when they play slots. So that's the dream everybody's chasing when they deposit money to ignition and play slots, which are very negative expectation, and they lose money, they lose their ass playing, all for the hope that this may happen one day. So, okay... Mandy got the dream. It worked. She won. She may be dead inside, but she won. <laughs> okay? So she, she's able to win. She gets what every slot player is hoping, and then for three weeks they won't pay her and won't tell her what's happening and leave her twisting in the wind, all while this FDX stuff is going on and other players are getting their Bitcoin cash outs rejected. This is very nerve-wracking stuff. So this really caught fire. People could easily identify with this. How much did they identify? Well, it got 306,000 views, most of which was in the first 24 hours. It got 64 retweets, 
362 likes and many thousands of engagements, meaning people who didn't just see it and scroll by, but people who actually were clicking on it and looking at things. So a lot of exposure here and not the type Ignition wanted. Why? Because the last thing an Ignition slot player wants to see is that if you do hit that jackpot, you're not going to get paid. That, that's a nightmare for someone considering playing slots on there. That's the worst type of publicity they could have. And they screwed this up. You know, to call you and say, give us a quote and all that, like, that's what they do want. They, they want to show winners. They want to demonstrate success stories from slots. They, they do not want this. This is a disaster. So the fact that they let it get this far was amazing to me. And I think they didn't realize what was going to happen. I'm sure if they saw this coming, they would have paid you a long time ago. So anyway, of course, uh, what, what happened the same day as when I tweeted this? They called me. I got a number from an unknown caller. I was on the other line with my mom. And I'm like, Mom, I got to go. You know, usually <laughs> I don't answer it. But I'm like, I have to answer it. They're like, hi. And they were like super bubbly and cheery. And don't worry, I also got this recorded because, again, never trust anybody. And, and they're like, hi, can I talk to Amanda? Yeah, this and I'm like, hi, this is so-and-so with Ignition. How are you doing? And I'm like, I'm sure I'm going to be better shortly. And they're like, yeah, we're calling to let you know that. And I said, let me guess. My account's enabled again. They're like, yeah. And I just started, I'll use the same phrase I use on Joey's, cackle laughing. Just, I go, yeah, I figured I was going to be getting this call today. Like, like just, it was not even five hours later after I've been waiting for three weeks. Yeah. Just randomly, magically, coincidentally. <laughs> and then it was there. And I, and I said, wait, so when will it be available? She goes, within five minutes. And when I'm on the phone, I log in and there it is. Able to get into my account, able to see the money, able to start withdrawing it, even though that kind of has been a pain as well. And now I can't withdraw anymore after like I've withdrawn a large portion of it, but now I can't withdraw anything. And I'm starting to get those same emails where I'll with request a withdrawal. And then eight hours later, I get an email saying per your request, we have canceled this withdrawal request ah, or whatever. Weird. Hmm. Yeah. So, and, so maybe, well, maybe they are kind of crypto it. short right now. What? Yeah, maybe they are kind of short on crypto right now. Yeah, and it was like before I saw that there was a you can withdraw, it says 9500 every 15 minutes, but obviously it has to process. And mine were processing anywhere between 20 minutes and 10 hours. And it wasn't allowing me to like do multiple addresses, so I had to do it 9500 at a time. And it used to be 180K for a week. They just changed that apparently. Well, I was able to withdraw more than that, but now it's completely stopped and I can't withdraw anymore. I'm not like really worried about it because it's an even number where it would make sense that there's some sort of like limit. And I'm just like happy to be able to get anything off of there at that point. So I was just going to actually call them today after I 
have tried twice now to withdraw and the same thing has happened. Yeah, I'll say that's not that big of a deal because it is a lot yeah. of money to take out at once. So as long as they're kind of right. making progress to let you get this out at a reasonable rate, uh, the fact that they can't shoot out all 250K really super fast is fine. Now, if it was like $2,000 a week, that wouldn't be acceptable. But you know, something where you're getting off a lot of it and they've just you've just hit a limit for the moment or it's got to slow down a bit, as long as you're still making fairly rapid progress getting it off, then that's fine. If it's not all right at once, that's reasonable. But uh, here, I'm going to read people what their tweet was because, of course, they had to put something out there to defend themselves. This is what they wrote on Ignition's Twitter at Ignition Casino. We deeply apologize for the delay, but there are certain investigations that require a thorough due diligence process, and unfortunately, this was one of them. At this point, your account has been re-enabled and you are free to withdraw any and all of your funds as you wish. Once more, we apologize, but it's important to note that winnings will always be paid out so long as accounts are in good standing. The safety of player accounts and the integrity of our games is our biggest priority. So that wasn't really a very good answer because they, it still wasn't explaining why it took three weeks. Due diligence doesn't take three weeks, and it would have taken more than three weeks. It took three weeks because at the three-week mark... I hammered them with that series of tweets, which went viral and got 306,000 views, and everyone was talking about it and panicking and talking trash about them, and they knew it, and they knew they had a PR crisis on their hands, so they had to make a real quick decision at that point, and it was a decision that was going to be very much skewed in paying you, because if they tried to worm out of paying you at this point, unless they had real solid evidence that you had done something wrong, then they would have looked terrible, absolutely terrible. So not only were they forced into a decision, they were forced into a decision where they really couldn't screw you unless you really had done something that they could defend not paying you, and you hadn't. So they, they couldn't even use something flimsy like, oh, well, we think this is uh, uh, an advantage player outfit. or something. Like they, they can't claim that because most people aren't going to understand that, and it's still not a good enough reason not to pay you. So I knew there was a very good chance you are going to get paid. I had a very good feeling once I saw a lot of engagement to my tweet that you were going to get paid. And I, some people were, were messaging me behind the scenes and saying, oh, I don't think she's going to get paid. And I said, nope, I have a good feeling she's going to get paid. Because I knew that if I got good engagement to what I put out there, which I thought I would, then you were going to get paid. And it was going to be quick. And, and it did happen. And I, I'm, I'm glad it happened. And so their, their explanation is just something to kind of excuse what they were doing, but it still doesn't make any sense. Whatever they were doing doesn't take three weeks. There's no excuse for that. And refusing to let you speak to financial services is a lot bigger than some people realize because when you've been delayed for three weeks over a matter of 253K, they owe you the courtesy of an explanation. They owe you the ability to speak to middle management and not just, oh, they're going to say the same thing so you can't speak to them. That's crap. You, You don't say that to a customer with a quarter of a million dollars held up. So I, I had no qualms about putting this out there because they were warned. I, you, know, you told them you're going to put this out and you're going to appear on shows and you're going to make this public. And they shrugged it off. Oh, I don't know. okay, well, you can do what you want. Uh, so, okay. This is like the worst publicity possible for them. 306,000 people saw this. So congratulations, Ignition. You uh, really bought yourself some great publicity here. When, when this should have been the opposite. What, if they were smart, what they would have done was asked, can we distribute this video? Can we take right. this video and distribute this of a person actually spinning it live and winning and someone happened to be recording them and, and you can see the excitement 
she's pretending not to be dead inside and, and to be excitement because she's being recorded. And, and uh, so it looks great. It looks great that you're actually in a real casino, but you prefer to play their slots. It's even got that going for it, too. So I, this really was a slam dunk marketing opportunity. So they should have treated you like gold and gotten this paid out super fast, not jerked you around. And instead they turned this into making themselves look shady like they're trying to cheat winners, which is the last thing slot players want to see. So boy, did they screw this up. I can only imagine how much of a PR hit they took on this whole thing. Because even though you ultimately got paid, people are going to remember this. You know, it's much better that it had a happy ending. If you just never got paid, that would have been far worse, and I would have kept hammering much harder if that happened. But uh, So, okay, you know, you got paid, and I'm not going to say they handled it well. Uh, I'm glad they paid you quickly once I made a big deal out of it, but it shouldn't take that. It shouldn't take a social media shaming by someone with a platform to get this noticed and to get you paid in a proper time frame. And it already wasn't a proper time frame. But anyway, at least it was a win here for the community once again, even though it was just your win. But this is something where, again, if everybody gets together and speaks up about something, that something isn't right, and makes bad acting companies realize that they have to act right if they want to continue to have a decent reputation, which Ignition had. You know, like, Ignition is not known as a shady casino that rips people off. They, they had a good reputation, as you said. I was... A little surprised to see what they were doing here. I know they were paranoid about bonus abuse and everything, but I thought this was going to be paid. I was very surprised to see three weeks had passed and that they were jerking around like this. So maintaining a good reputation does take effort. You have to make sure you don't screw up. And they were screwing up. And when someone says, hey, I'm about to put this out there, you've got to have employees who are smart enough to go, wait a minute, we don't want that. That's the last thing we want out there. But okay. I thought it was only fair they would be warned, though. You didn't have to warn them, but I I thought it was only fair that they were warned that this was coming before putting it there. So you said it. They said they didn't care. I'm like, okay, well, they asked for it. Here it is. (laughs) There it was, and then they acted very quickly. I I would love to have seen the discussion that took place behind the scenes when they saw my tweet. They must have uh, flipped out. An email went out. They're like, oh, God, you got to pay this. <laughs> They're like, shit. I, I just like, why don't they do these verifications when you make your account? Why does this happen to everybody who hits this jackpot that goes off, like, fairly often? What's the threshold for locking people's money up? Like, I, it just, it, it's too much gray area. And then just the fact that it's an unregulated site on top of it. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's a good point. It's a good point that this is not the first time they've ever run this jackpot. So why don't they have a very clear protocol on how to handle this? Because as you said, it, it, there's probably a lot of times it's 200 something thousand dollars. So since they've been running this for a while, since at least July and it's hit a number of times, why do they not have this down pat to where they know the time frame, where they have the proper communications? Like, like why are they treating this like it's the first time they've ever done it? And I, I still don't have that answer. I, don't, I have no idea why this happened the way it did. I just know it was wrong. So that's, that's what you got to do. Sometimes you got to just put their feet to the fire and say, okay, guys, you're either going to have to explain to the public why I'm not being paid or you're going to look terrible. <laughs> that's basically what happened and they, they couldn't explain to the public because you had done nothing wrong 
So now you're getting paid, and I'm uh, very glad to see that. Now, I want to discuss uh, Landon Teese because a lot of people gave him heat over this because he was promoting these slots back in July. And, in fact, you saw those ads and started playing around that time, right? Um, he, I actually started playing two days before he started tweeting about it. Oh, okay, so it wasn't from him. All right, that was, well. like, very similar. It wasn't from him, but I knew that he was with Ignition. Yeah. Like, I knew that he had recently, but then, like, I mean, I had just, set up i mean i had an account with them but i had put money on there and was just kind of playing regular jackpots or not regular jackpots regular slots and then he starts talking about these you know landon a lot of people gave him a really hard time i'll give you my opinion on this i'm not quite as harsh on him as some of the people on twitter were but i don't think that he did as much as he could have so here's how i feel about this whole thing Obviously, they hired him as an ambassador because they feel that he can bring some value promoting the services of Ignition, including the slots. And they hired him because he has a pretty good Twitter following of 24,000 people. He's on Matt Berkey's show. He's kind of this uh, up-and-coming young poker player. And there aren't very many young poker players anymore. Everybody's getting old. So this is one of the few uh, young people that's entering poker. So... So they latched on to him, and they're paying him to promote their brand and their offerings. So when he's getting paid like this, this is not his responsibility to protect the community. I'll say that. And this is not his fault this happened. He has no decision power here. He's not in management. So, And, and I talked to him privately about this. And I said, first of all, I just want you to know I don't blame you for any of this. It's not uh, your fault that Ignition's acting this way. I know these aren't your decisions, and you can't compel them to do anything. But at the same time, he is an ambassador there, and it is his own reputation on the line if they screw people or don't act ethically or, or even give people a few weeks of being nervous where they shouldn't have, like, like what happened to you. He did need to say to them, look, this is my rep on the line here. I'm going to look awful if you don't pay this woman for promoting the slots to the community, and then you don't pay someone from the community who wins. You've, you've got to handle this, guys. Otherwise, this is going to reflect really badly on me. So... I can't force you to, but you know I don't know if I can go on being your ambassador if you don't pay her. And even if he doesn't want to lay down that threat to them that he's going to quit, at the very least, let them know that this is affecting him. This is going to make him look bad, that they need to address this. And then kind of keep in his back pocket the threat that he might leave if they don't make this right, because uh, this is going to destroy his reputation in the community. And that if, if he's going to be their ambassador... And, and promote slots to the community that they've got to treat the slot players ethically and, and treat them fairly. So that's what he should have said. And I'm not sure how much he said. Now, I know he was in communication with them. And I actually asked him, have you sent them a copy of my or a link to my tweet and a link to my thread about this? And he said, not yet. And I said, can you? And he said, yes. And he did. So, okay. You know, I'm glad he did that. And it was very shortly after he sent that to them when they called you. So that may have kind of been the tipping point there. I had a feeling the tipping point was coming anyway. But he did these things. He didn't just say, well, not my problem, goodbye. You know, he did kind of try to help. Uh, I do feel like he can't just dismiss it and say, oh, sorry, not my department, which was kind of, in a way, the attitude he was taking at some points. Like, sorry, this has happened to you. I'm sure it's terrible. I feel bad for you, but I can't control it. Sorry. Well, 
I mean, it's true, but it's not true. He, he can't control it, but he also does have more influence than the average person because he is there representing their slots and their site to poker players. And his reputation goes in the toilet if they screw people. So he needed to say that to them, and I don't know if he did. But at the same time, I will also say that he is young and, and fairly uh, life inexperienced, to say the least. So I, I will say that you can't always expect the behavior out of him that you would expect out of someone who's 40. But still, he's an adult, and he's part of the community. And the community's been good to him. I mean, he just kind of came out of nowhere and, and has become a known player very quickly, really thanks to people promoting him like Joey Ingram and, and Matt Berkey especially. So, you know, give back to the community some. If someone gets screwed like this, then uh, try to press fairly hard. I mean, he can't do what I did. He can't go bash Ignition like I did because he is someone who's paid to promote them. I understand that. He can't do what I did. and I, I wasn't expecting him. I, w- I was never expecting Landon to go out and go, Ignition's being unethical. Or are they really broke? Like He can't tweet what I did as an ambassador of theirs. I, I know that. Some people would like to see that, but he can't do that. And in, in a realistic world, he can't do that. But what he can do is quietly behind the scenes say, guys, you, you've got to handle this because uh, it's, it's on me. It's on my reputation here after promoting your slots, so please handle this immediately. And, and maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. He didn't tell me he said that. But he, to me, he was just kind of saying, look, I've, I've made them aware of it, but I really can't do anything about this. That was basically what he said to me. And I said, well, can you at least send them a copy of the, of the tweet and the thread I made? And he said yes and did. So, okay. Like, he didn't do nothing, but, I, you know, he may have been able to do a little bit more, but does he really deserve a lot of hate over this? No. Not really. I mean, he t- tried to help somewhat. And I, I do believe he legitimately felt bad for you and legitimately like wanted to see you get paid. I, I'm kind of Yeah, in the I middle. had reached out to him, and he got back to me very quickly and was very nice about it. And then I just like felt really bad when every time I checked my phone and all these people are tagging him, and even now people are still tagging him, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, stop. I mean, yeah, he's taking a, <laughs> a beating over this a little bit. Like, that's why like some people are being too harsh on him here. And I like some people I thought were being too mean over this because it's not like he did this and it's not like he was okay with it or making excuses for them or, or just refusing to help at all. Like he did some things, he just I, I think he could have been a little stronger with them about how this is affecting him and that he's representing the community and that they've gotta treat this fairly. I, I think maybe he was afraid to say it because this is his first sponsorship. So you got to think of that too. Like in a perfect world, then Landon's just going to go to bat for you and selflessly fight for you. But you know, who are you to him? You're just a stranger, and he's got himself to think about. He's got his own future as an ambassador to think about. So I understand all that. He can't be the superhero for you, but at the same time, he is the rep from the poker community who's promoting slots. So he should say something. So I'm kind of in the middle on the I, whole landed thing. I feel like Ignition had this great opportunity because somebody there had to have seen all the basically hate Landon was getting when he first started talking about the slots because a lot, you know, I would say the majority of slot players try to stay away, or sorry, of poker players try to stay away from slots just because they're, you know, overall bad. Obviously they're, certain advantage play slots and whatnot, like in casinos and that you can make money off of. And there's people who just do that for a living, but they had this opportunity to show, Hey, look, 
people do win these things. This isn't something to be made fun of and, and, you know, and take the video, ask me for permission for it, like clip out, you know, they don't have to show that, say that I was betting $200 a spin or whatever, because it's not really that relevant, but, you know, just to be like, look, somebody hit, it does happen. She plays poker. So guess what? You can play poker and you can hit this too. And you're not going to win this much money playing poker usually. And you can do it in one spin of a slot. Like, yeah, that, it's a true. That's true. They could have, right, right. This is a much better promotional opportunity than just land in tweeting, oh, hot drop slots, play them today. Like uh, People laughed at that. But uh, what people wouldn't laugh at as much is a, a video of an actual poker player winning. And people go, well, shit, I'd love to have a $250,000 bankroll to go play poker with. Oh, well, you know what? Right. Th- that This girl has it. Maybe I can have it too. Like, Yes, that would be a great opportunity. They blew a huge opportunity and turned it into a negative. And I was just really scratching my head wondering how they let that happen. <laughs> so, someone really screwed this up. And, and it's surprising to me, and I think some of this is, is poor communication internally too. You know, I think you're just calling these support reps who are just trained to read a script of, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am, we, we are, you need to be patient. You need to be patient while we do our investigation. So they, they just say that over and over and over like they're told and they don't want to listen to you. And there's like nobody going, wait a minute, this is someone we could promote who just won, who's in poker. She won a lot of money. Let's not piss her off. Let's not get the word around social media that we mistreat the people who win big jackpots and delay them forever. Like, let's let's not screw this up, folks. Like, instead, you just have idiot customer service reps that aren't getting the message across properly of how bad this is going to look. And it took a major social media thing to really wake them up and then they go, oh, shit. Like, that's why they paid you so quickly because they're like, oh, my God, we just screwed this up badly. Like, I'm sure that's what was said among the management there. I'm sure they're very angry at me. I'm sure they're like, that goddamn Dan Druff guy doing this. Like, I'm, sure they, I'm sure they were very unhappy with what I put out there. But too bad, you know, like they didn't treat you fairly. We gave them a chance. They were told what's going to happen yeah. if they don't. And I, I put it out there. Everything I put out there was, was reasonable. It was reasonable things to either wonder what's going on, the possibilities, and also the facts of them not paying you. So, yeah, it's uh, very, very mishandled. And I, I wonder if they're going to not make this mistake again with the next winner. They've got to come up with a better process here. And, and if I were running Ignition, not only would I use this for promotion, but I would also prioritize the, the bigger winners for being checked out quickly. Because if someone complained, oh, I have $100 locked up and they've been taking 10 days to unlock my account, people are going to go, okay, well, you know, that kind of sucks, but it's not going to make big news. No one's going to go, oh, my God, $100 if someone is locked up there for 10 days. Like, no one's going to care. $253,000, they are going to care. People can relate to yeah, this. Completely, like, just let's look at this from the other angle. They just pay me out. Then all of a sudden, I'm tweeting the video and they're people are like, holy shit, I can win a quarter million dollars playing spots on Ignition. And I, I know, I like, I know her, I know who she is. So like, I know this is legit. And then all of a sudden people are just post- putting money in there. Like it, it's and instead the opposite happened. People threatening to pull money off. Uh, Ben's Ben said that if they didn't pay me by the first, he was going to pull like 140 K off of there and like tell everybody else to pull their money off. And like, it just got, 
it didn't need to do it didn't need to be like this no it didn't and yeah it's like play stupid games win stupid prizes exactly that's what happened here that's that's why i i had no guilt for uh putting out the tweets i did and and making them look bad because they, they did this to themselves and they they weren't treating you fairly you don't treat people fairly and then the word gets out about your unfair treatment to them and you look bad that's your own fault and you know, there was a similar situation that kind of came up. There was this game on the phone called 21 Blitz. Have you ever seen the ads for this? Or no. Solitaire Cube. They're all, they're all kind of similar to each other. But they're these, like, supposed skill games with a rake is horrendous, and then they always, like, use this matching algorithm to always match you with someone supposedly at the same skill level, so it's very hard to win on there. So it's not something I would suggest to use to make money. But anyway... One guy who wasn't like a poker player or anything, but some guy like in, in the Midwest uh, did very well on there. And he was not only winning a lot on there, but he also was playing so many games and earning so many tickets, which is kind of like uh, points you earn as you play for just playing a lot, that he earned enough tickets to get a Porsche. That was the top prize you can get with the tickets. Now, they made the Porsche so hard to get for like 3.6 billion tickets or something that they figured no one would get there. But this guy played so much at high limits, he got there. So instead of giving him his Porsche and taking a picture of him in the Porsche and showing all their players that if you play this much like this guy does, you could have a Porsche one day, uh, they they uh, found an excuse not to give him the Porsche. That what they did is right when he was about to get there, they raised the requirement from like 3.6 billion tickets to 6 billion or something along those lines where they just greatly increased the requirement right before he got there, which is obviously on purpose. So I'm thinking, are they stupid? Like, Why not just let the guy win his freaking Porsche and then market the hell out of this? And then they eventually banned him and took his money too. So then he ended up suing them. And then there was also this like 19-year-old girl from Vegas who was very pretty who, who won a lot of money on there. And instead of marketing her, they eventually banned her over something flimsy and took her money. I'm like, what are they doing here? Like, why are they not promoting these people? Why are they not giving the guy his Porsche and filming it and and, uh, showing him driving the car? Like, this is such a great marketing opportunity to the average person. And instead, they turn it into a negative by banning them and trying to avoid paying them. So it's amazing sometimes what some companies will do to just be stubborn and shoot themselves in the foot. So it really reminded me kind of that. Except here, at least you got paid. You didn't ultimately get screwed like those people did. But yeah, I guess... And then it makes me not want to keep playing. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> it makes me not want to keep firing $200 a spit. It makes me want to take all my money out there and be like, screw you, Ignition. I'm going to a casino in real life. Yeah, like, I'm going to shoot this 250 k off a of Cherokee. That's right. All on black. Go, you, double it up. You know what I've been trying to tell Mandy she should do? And, and she's showing resistance to it. I don't understand. Maybe you can explain to the listeners. I was sure with this money that you would use some of it to come to the World Series of Poker in 2023. But you were telling me in text that uh, you don't want to do that because it's far away or something. So why don't you want to come to the World Series of Poker? It's not that far. It's not like you got to come from New Zealand. Um, no, I mean, like, time-wise. I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow, so to plan something that far ahead of time, and that would also require me to save money, which Mandy doesn't save money, Mandy just spends money, <laughs> and so, I mean, I guess I could have some left over by then, but it seems highly doubtful, 
unless I were to bank another quarter million, and then I'd probably put some away. But oh, boy. I already, I have, I already have big plans for it. Okay. There's a petty machine that's been calling my name since but I left that day. I, I hope you have some of this left by late May. That's not that long a time from now. It's like what's... May? I was thinking you were going to say like 2023, and and I was going to say it's possible. <laughs> But you you have it right now. I mean, you you have the money. They don't don't plan to chunk it all off. You you got to have a better attitude about this year. You got to think I'm going to be responsible with this money, and I'm, I'm going to spend it right, and I'm going to save it. And, and you can even you can even save it to be a degenerate later at the World Series of Poker. Have you ever played there, or have you you've, like have you even been there? I have not. I walked through it one year. That's it. Yeah, that's that's not it's. It's a different experience than all other tournaments, and I'm not a tournament guy. I, I'm a cash player who once a year goes and plays, and that's at the World Series. Now, I, I play a number of events. I don't just play one event, but that, that's the only time I'm playing tournaments is at the World Series of Poker. And it's just kind of a different feeling than any other tournament scene. And that that's what I would recommend. Even I know it's more difficult for you to go there than me because I don't have to get on a plane. But still, it's not that terrible of a flight and you can get there, you can play at the World Series, you can play in the cash games, you can play the slot machines if you want at the, the Paris or Bally's. And uh yeah, that's what I would recommend. If if you can hold on to some I mean, of the money. Anything's possible. If you can hold on to some anything of the money by May. It's so far away. Yeah. And then I'd have to decide what events I'd want to play, and I don't like making decisions. And but you can decide on terrible. a whim. You know what? the The second best result I've ever had the world at the World Series of Poker was an event I didn't know existed until the night before. It's the first one I ever entered. In fact, I had never entered a World Series event in my life, and I was at dinner with someone, and they're like, "Hey, are you playing tomorrow?" I said, "What do you mean tomorrow?" You know, there's a fifteen hundred limit hold'em event. And I go, oh, there is? I didn't even know they have limit hold'em events. Well, yeah, well, they do. I go, okay, well, I've never played one before. I don't really, I know limit hold'em very well, but I don't know really know tournaments well, but I guess I could try. And so that's why I just showed up the next day and played, and I got third. You know, so, uh, like, I didn't have plans to do that. I didn't even know it existed until about 12 hours before the event. Shout out to Limit Poker. Yeah, I, I'm a big Limit Poker guy. So it's, uh, that's why I still play. I learned limit hold'em. Back in the, the end of the year 2000, and you know I've, I'm still one of these dinosaurs playing limit hold'em. You know, for you it's not as unusual because in Minnesota there's a big limit hold'em scene. They don't have no limit there, so yeah. So that's you're like you're getting two one hundred spread or limit. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of good limit hold'em players that came out of Minnesota, and I've played with a lot of these guys. I know them, and they know me, and like so that's it's funny. Like I, I see these Minnesota people. Even ones I don't know. Like, I'll see someone from Minnesota sit down in the game, and I assume they're going to be good. Just because I know that there's a lot of good players that come out of there from Limit Hold'em, because it's, that's what goes there a lot, and that's what people learn, and a certain percentage of people rise up and become good. I like oh, Limit. Shout out Canterbury Park, also. Yeah, yeah, I've never been to Canterbury Park. I know all about it, but I've, I've never been there, and I've never been in the state of Minnesota in my life. Never set foot there. Well, you're not missing much. I'm missing a lot of a, a, a lot of lakes. Apparently, there's there's barely any lakes around me. Yeah, here there's ten thousand of them, Minnesota. Yeah, you know uh, something I wanted to clarify with my bio: three things. Royal is my cat. Oh, okay. Nuggies, nuggies are chicken nuggets. 
and scrimps are shrimp. Oh, okay. Because okay. I like food. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, going the the marijuana direction. It's just that nugs, just kind of that, especially in poker. That that's what it would mean to me. Now, I, it's funny you mentioned nuggies because I I actually ate chicken nuggets before coming on the show tonight. Ooh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Now, what what type of chicken nuggets do you like best? Um, ooh, it's tough. I mean, Chick Fil A is good. Zaxby's is good. There's all all nuggies are not created equal, but it just kind of depends on what dips you get with them, well, and okay. different dips go better with different nuggets. Okay, well, well, as a chicken nuggets connoisseur myself, I, I like partially agree with this. I, I don't know this uh, what Gatsby's or something. I've never heard of them, but Zaxby's. Zaxby's. Yep. I have no idea what that is, but I will tell you that Chick Fil A. Well, I do like Chick Fil A's spicy chicken sandwiches very much. I think those are great. I'm not a fan of the nuggets. I think the texture is a little bit weird. The nuggets I like the most by far are the Wendy's spicy nuggets, which you wouldn't expect would be good, but they actually are. And as far as the dipping sauces, I really only like them with barbecue sauce. And I will agree that the quality of the barbecue sauce can matter a lot as far as how good everything tastes. Very but true. the the nugget itself also has to be good. So I, I like the Wendy's nuggets. The Wendy's spicy nuggets, I think, are really good. You have to have a lot of water around because they make you really thirsty. But <laughs> like I, I just I eat a bunch of them tonight before the show. And I, I always look forward to eating them when I get them. So, okay, that's what nuggies are, and Rose, your cat, and the scrimps. And why are shrimps called scrimps? Where where, where did that come from? Uh, my friend Bridget called them scrimps one day, and it just kind of stuck, and I just used it because it's my favorite food is shrimp. So okay, I could do the shrimps and the nugs every day, not get sick of it ever. And you're the first person I've... The palate of a 10-year-old. <laughs> you're the first person I've seen on... Twitter described themselves as a 4.5 out of 10 looks wise. Even those who think they're 4.5s out of 10 don't actually say that. I try to be pretty honest and I get a point for a pulse. Everybody gets a point for a pulse. Okay. And then there's like, I have blue eyes, so I get a point for that. I have straight teeth. I get a point for that and all my teeth. And then I don't know. The one and a half points just comes from not being completely unfortunate looking, I guess. But <laughs> to go any higher than that seems like I'm reaching. No, but you you also have to give yourself points based upon age. You can't grade yourself against people who are 25 years old. That wouldn't be fair. So you also have to you have to compare yourself to other 39 year olds when when putting down that number. I've called myself a 4.5 for a long time, though. So. I know, but maybe you age into being higher. I don't know. I'm pretty undateable the way I live my life. Well, that's a, that's a different story. Desirable. That's desirable. Well, that's what well, so does the 4.5 were you talking about looks or were you talking about just like overall with everything? No, it was looks. But yeah, okay. Well, that's what I'm in, saying. In the back of my in the back of my mind, I like factor that in a little bit. Being undateable and and looks are two different things, two very different things. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't have kids to age me. That's true too. If when I'm 60, I'm like a six, I'd be pretty stoked about that. <laughs> right. And I guess it really only matters how the person I would be with would think about me and how I think about me. And the person who currently wants me to be with them thinks I'm a 10. Thank you, Nick. Oh. And that's all that, I guess, really matters. Yeah. But 
No, it does. Yeah. I only brought up this whole four point five thing because I think it's funny on the on the Twitter thing. There's always going to be variance in people's opinions depending on what their type is and and a lot of other factors. So exactly. that's, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah, well, I'm not either, so that's okay. Yeah, nobody is. So it's whatever. I really like the whole ending to this whole thing, the way this progressed from what was looking like uh, an increasingly worse and hopeless situation to you getting the account unlocked. And I'm sure they're going to pay you at this point. I'm sure after deciding this, they're not going to go back on it. So I'm, that, not, I'm not worried anymore. I'm worried zero at this point. So Yeah, I'm really not either. So, so I think this is great that this was done here in the community, got together to support this, and that's exactly what we need. And, and I'm always happy when I can be part of making this happen. And I, I wasn't doing this for myself, of course. I just wanted to see this. And I, I was happy for you, even though I, I didn't really know you. I was happy to see this was successful, just like uh, we've had other people on the site who've been screwed out of payments from sites or, or even one guy who won a jackpot, short, smaller than yours, d- different situation, but someone who would run up money through a free roll and then they didn't want to get, they weren't getting paid by a different site, it wasn't Ignition, but we got that guy paid. So I'm always happy to see this. I'm always happy to see where I get involved and then the result changes in a good way. So I'm very yeah, happy. I'm very grateful to, for everything you've done, everything anybody has done, even just liking your tweet, retweeting it. It's, it's the, there's a lot of bad things about the poker community that, you know, like with cheating scandals and all this other stuff. But when it like comes down to it, it's, a community and everybody kind of has each other's back, whether or not they know them personally or not. And it's proven multiple times that they're able to get things done just because everybody, you know, like we're all trying to take each other's money, but we all like want what's right to happen. Yeah. There's enough people in poker and even adjacent to poker, like, like the gambling community that, DFS community and things like the sports betting community, all that. So there's enough people in these communities to where if people are basically of one mind and are all on one side about something and let it be known, then it's very powerful. It's very powerful to make the right things happen, to pressure bad acting companies to act properly. And that I've seen now two examples of this in, in a short period of time, both of which I was heavily involved and I'm happy to see that when it happens and that that's what makes me feel the best about the community when things like that happen. And, you know, sometimes stuff happens in the community that makes me feel crappy about it. And I say, why am I part of all this madness? But uh, there's other times where where I'm proud to be part of the whole thing and proud to see people come all together. And I especially like that we're starting to see some of these other people who are broadcasting, you know, getting involved and, and, uh, getting together to do things like you know, me coming on, on Matt Berkey's show. And by the way, Matt Berkey, he didn't end up covering this, but had you not gotten paid, he was going to cover this. So uh, he was telling me that privately, even though Landon was the rep for ignition, but he was going to cover this too and, and possibly have me on again or have you on. And uh, so I, I'll give him props for that, even though it involved Landon to some degree, who is a coach for his service and is on his show so you know i'll I'll give him credit there like it's good that that people with big platforms are now uh helping amplify these issues 
and that they had me on to amplify the other issue. And that, that's what we need. That's what we need. Everybody gets together and not worries about, oh, I don't want to give the other person publicity and things like that. Like, that was never on my mind with any of that. I was happy to go on uh, all of these. And I, I would have gone on them again to talk about your situation if uh, it came to it, which it ended up not. So all I can tell you before I move on here is that I'm glad you have your money. Please don't chunk it off too fast. Try to save some, as hard as it might be. I'll try. I don't make any promises. You're not going to win 241k every day, you know. You don't know when the next I one's can coming. Try, but if I don't spend the money to try, I won't know. <laughs> well, you'll eventually know pretty fast when your balance is zero. <laughs> right. Then you'll know. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's what most gamblers end up knowing. I, I've had this conversation with other degenerates in poker when they win something. Not usually slot wins, but they'll win like a big tournament. And I'll say, you know, you just got a lot of money here. Be careful. Don't play too high. Don't bet high on sports. You know, just don't just fire it off. Don't blow this in the pits. You're going to be sorry later. And they say, yeah, 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 I know. I'll try. And then a few months later, they're broke. Okay. I feel like I live my whole life broke, so it doesn't scare me. But you're not right now. That's the point. I'd like, you have the money at the moment. You're just like, it's not too late to say, you know what? I'm going to be a little less of a degenerate this time. We're going to put this much aside. I like to do nice things for people, so I'm sure I'm just going to probably spend a lot of it on other people and like donating money and that time of year. And I like to help people, so. It's one of the very few things that brings me joy other than gambling is helping other people. So, but By the way, before I let you go, how long have you been gambling? Like since you were 21? 18. You don't have to be 18 in Minnesota. Oh, wow. 18. So, uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. Oh, uh, okay. school to go to the casino. I remember the first time I went to the casino, and I was just instantly hooked. And then I started dealing at 23. I would cash my check, go back into the casino, lose it. <laughs> I would cash my check, drive to a different casino, play blackjack, win a bunch of money. It, I mean, it's just the swing throughout my life. Like, this hit, I, there's no way I'm even. Like, I'm still stuck on my life. Like, I'm closer, but... That's why you shouldn't chunk it back off. You're, you're closer. And uh, it's, it's pretty interesting, though, for more than 20 years you've been doing this. But you, did you gamble before you were 18 without them knowing it, or did you wait till you were 18? I never was in a casino. However, I did go to Vegas with my mom when I was 19 and I gambled a lot. She gave me money to play. And then if I, this was, you know, when they spit out the coins, like it wasn't, a, yes. there was no Tito's tickets or anything. And, and I'd be like, mom, 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 get over here. Like, because the hopper would run out and they'd have to call the person and I'm 19. I don't, they're going to ask for an ID immediately. And so I gambled illegally in Vegas for four days. My mom's boyfriend at the time couldn't go, and there was no refunds in the ticket, so she had no choice but to take me. I remember being like, oh, my God, this is like heaven. <laughs> and nothing better than this. Did, did you look like you could be 21, or did you look 19? Mm, I probably looked 19. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely didn't look 21. And, I, I actually I actually yeah. gambled at an earlier age than you. I've said on the show before, I, I was playing video poker at the Las Vegas Hilton in uh, 1987 when I was 15. And I just kept my back to everybody. And I played a, a machine against the wall. And I was like five foot eight at the time. 
So I was like tall enough to be adult height, but my body didn't look like that of a man. I kind of had the body of like a teenage boy because I was a teenage boy and uh, I just, and I had the face of a teenage boy. So I definitely didn't look anywhere near 21, but uh, I felt if I kept my face away that maybe they wouldn't notice. And it, it did take a while for them to catch me. They eventually ca- caught me, but uh, it did take a little while for them to catch me because at least I was tall enough. So yeah. I've yeah. Been... They never, I never got carded or anything. It was, it was glorious. I went there with no money and my mom gave me some of the money that I won and it was great. I mean, before this, I, before COVID happened, my last story, it was actually when I worked at Canterbury, the day we got the email that Canterbury was closing, uh, Nick, the one recording the video and I went to little six, which is the casino near us. And we banked off a $17,000 campaign which was great because then all the casinos were closed. So then I couldn't go back and lose it. And I got to hold on to it for a little bit, but that was the closest that, that I've hit to this. So I, I meant to ask you that this is the biggest one you've hit. So I guess the answer is yes. I figured it was yeah. in all these years and over 20 years. So that's good. You got it. Savor the moment and savor the money. It, it, it does suck that you, you had to have this kind of ruined for three weeks while you're twisting in the wind. That's, that's the other problem is you can't even just, sit there on cloud nine about winning. You got to sit there stressing. Are they going to really pay me? Right. I guess in the beginning you didn't think you're going to get screwed, but then after time passed, it got worse and worse. So that's another reason that people can't just enjoy it right away after they've won. They've got to panic if they're going to get paid or not. I do wonder in an alternate universe where either you never said anything publicly or if it just didn't get enough attention or if I can inject myself here into the whole scenario, if I were never born, which, which was close. I was almost a miscarriage. I was super close to being a miscarriage. So it was very possible I wasn't going to be born. So if I were never born and didn't do this, like, would they have ultimately paid you or would they have found an excuse not to? And if they did pay, how long would it have been? I do kind of wonder. I do want to see like other universes where I didn't do this and then everything would have been different. I would bet my life my account would still be disabled at this point. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure with it would no be. end in sight. <laughs> but I love a good happy ending. All right, thank you for coming on. I always like when the story is something that people can feel good about at the end, and this is one of them. Thank you so much. Have a great night. All right, good night. Bye. Wasn't that nice that Mandy got her money? Let's move on and talk about Joey Ingram and his controversy with Norman Chad. I want to start off by saying that I like Joey Ingram. He's been on this show. I spent about 90 minutes on his show over this matter with the BetMGM scandal, and we talked about a lot of things. It wasn't just that. He brought up a lot of topics, and I gave my opinion on all of them. I enjoyed being on there. I almost came back on there on Wednesday, but I was actually busy playing live poker and didn't get a chance to come on. But yeah, there's a decent chance I'll be on the show sometime again. So I like him. I think he's spent a lot of time doing investigations about things that people want investigated in poker. His first one was actually about those people who would harass you at the World Series, these vendors that were very obnoxious. And he actually got a change made where the World Series clamped down on how these vendors could act and they stopped harassing the players as much. 
So that was his first Chicago Joey investigation, but he's done a lot since then. He spent a ton of time on the Postle situation and then got sued thanks to it. Of course, so did I. He spent a lot of time more recently on the Robbie Jade Lou, Jack Four, Garrett Adelstein situation at Hustler Casino Live. So he really puts a lot of his life into these streams when he's doing them. He he took some breaks, including one that was fairly recent where he was just gone. But when he's actively doing these things, especially when some big story comes up, I mean, he really dives into it. He's the only one out there who does longer shows than me. And unlike when I do a long show where I then don't do another one for a week and a half, he will do them day after day after day, like 11 hours, 12 hours, 11 hours, 10 hours, 11 hours, like bang, 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 bang. I can't believe it. Like, I can't do that. I don't have the energy for that. So very impressive. And he really puts a lot of himself into it. Now, yeah, he makes some money from it. People donate. He gets views on his channel and YouTube pays him. So he's not getting zero for it. But he's also not just doing this for money. I can tell he he really is doing it because he wants to help, because he wants to be part of doing good for the community. And I can see that. You need to keep that in mind as I tell this story, everything that went down. He's not a saint. You know, everybody's got their flaws. Everybody's got their faults. Everybody makes their mistakes. And he's no exception. But overall, he's done good things for poker over the last several years. And he has a pretty big following and a lot of people who really enjoy his show. Norman Chad is someone who has been around in poker for a long time as a broadcaster. He's been doing these ESPN broadcasts for what seems like forever, like almost 20 years now with Lon McCarron. And also he's somebody who a little bit more recently has been very open about expressing his opinion about things that he doesn't like in the poker world. So he's not someone who just does the broadcasting and keeps quiet with his own takes and just collects a paycheck. He on his own will express the way he thinks things should be in poker. And some of the stuff he says, I really agree with, like where he's been complaining about the endless rebuy tournaments that we see over and over and over, that there's just not many freeze-out tournaments anymore, that there's so many that have unlimited rebuys where people are just basically buying titles who are very deep-pocketed and how that's not good for poker and that that kind of ruins the whole concept of what a tournament is. And I totally agree with that. So there's things that he'll put out there that I think, good. I'm glad someone's saying it. I'm glad someone's saying it with influence who people might listen to, especially because he really obviously has the ear of those at the World Series, given his position there. So this is a guy who's been around in poker and has the general respect to the community. And I was actually happy to see in uh, 2019 when I happened to be sat next to one of his friends. It, was, it wasn't that, like a known player. It was just some guy from Atlanta some rec player that I don't know how Norman knew him, but Norman came up to say hi to him and then saw I was sitting there. And then he not only said hello to me, but told the whole table that he really appreciates what I do for the community and really gave a a nice speech about me that I thought that was very nice of him to say. And he mentioned this show and he was very aware of the whole thing. So he must've listened sometimes. So yeah, that was great. And I thought, okay, that's good. 
You know, Norman may have bashed me on ESPN back in the 2000s, but I can tell he thinks highly of me now, so that's good to hear. And I, I've even talked to him some privately. Not a whole lot. We're not friends, but, you know, we've talked a little privately. And I like Norman. I like Joey, as I said. So when I saw the two of them had a beef, I wasn't happy to see that. It would be worse if either of them were my close friend. But still, when there's two people I generally like, I don't really want to see them fighting. And that's what was happening here. But this had nothing to do with me. And in fact, I only became aware of it later on when it was really going down originally in mid-October. Somehow I missed it. And I only noticed it more recently because of an article that was written by Robbie Straczynski of Card Player Lifestyle, who we once had on this show. So let me tell you what this is all about. I'll play you some clips. You'll be able to understand, and then you can decide for yourself who you think is right here. Then I'll give you an update also of where the situation currently stands. So Robbie Straczynski, we had him on the show, and he owns Card Player Lifestyle, which I always have to point out is not the same as Card Player. They're two totally different entities. And Card Player Lifestyle is a form of poker media. They do a lot of uh, articles about stuff going on in poker. It's, it's not so much traditional poker reporting. It's kind of just features about the poker community. Robbie seems like a nice guy. I've never met him in person, but we had him on this show. I've talked to him a little bit on Twitter. He you know, seems like a nice guy. He did an article about what's been going on between Norman Chad and Joey, and this really got people's attention who previously hadn't been paying attention to it, including me. I didn't really know what was going on, and then thanks to Robbie's article, I learned. So what happened was Robbie noticed that Norman Chad had deleted his own Twitter, which one would not expect because Norman tended to be pretty vocal on his Twitter. You wouldn't expect him to just leave. So Robbie figured something must have happened, and he said he's friends with Norman Chad. I don't know how close they are, but he said, you know, Norman Chad is a friend of his, and he went to look, where's Norman Chad, and he was just missing, and he's like, well, crap, what happened here? So he wanted to make sure Norman was okay. He figured that Norman wouldn't have deleted his Twitter unless something was wrong. So what Robbie wrote was, the human brain is far better conditioned to notice the presence of something as opposed to the absence of something, let alone someone. Perhaps that's why it took me a little while to realize, hey, where did Norman Chad go? He's not actually missing, mind you. He still resides in Southern California and is thankfully safe and sound in his home as I publish this. But he is missing from Twitter, which got me wondering why. So I did what any good friend would do. I reached out to see if everything was okay. The email I received in response indicated that Norman was anything but okay. So I'm not going to read you the email yet. He published the email that Norman sent him. But I'm not going to publish, I'm not going to read you that yet. Because it's a little bit backwards. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to play you a one-minute clip that actually was posted by Robbie Straczynski on his channel that was taken from Joey Ingram's show around October 12th. I'm not sure if it was October 12th, but it was around October 12th. Now, what had happened was that for whatever reason, Norman Chad did not like Joey's coverage of the Robbie J. Lou situation. And he eventually let everyone know it on Twitter. 
And I don't know what his problem was with Joey's coverage, because I thought Joey's coverage was fine. I felt it was fair. I felt that Joey, in fact, did not really editorialize and just let everyone come on there and speak. In fact, Robbie herself came on a lot of times and spoke in her own defense. And in fact, you could tell Robbie was really enjoying being on the show. Robbie loved the publicity for the whole thing. So she was not victimized by Joey in any way. I'll tell you that. She, she kept going on and on and on on the show, meaning like a bunch of times she was coming on because she enjoyed being on there. She enjoyed being seen. She wanted to be a name in poker. So in case you think Joey was exploiting her in any way, he was not. If anything, it was the other way around. And anyway, he didn't speak in favor of Robbie. He didn't speak in favor of Garrett. He just kind of covered everything and let the viewer think for themselves. And and that's good. That's not really what I do. I, I'll come on and give my opinion all the time. But I think if, if he just wants to do massive coverage where he just has a ton of people come on and speak and he lets the viewer decide that's a perfectly valid way to do this. And definitely it's fair to everybody because he is not editorializing. So I don't know what Norman's problem was. He was saying that Joy was engaging in irresponsible coverage of this. No, he wasn't. It was very responsible, actually. He spent many, 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 many hours doing this and really just let everybody present their sides of it. Now, Norman's welcome to have his opinion. He doesn't have to see it the way I do. He doesn't have to see it the way Joey does. He can hate the way Joey's covering it. That's his opinion. And he is allowed to express that opinion on Twitter, which is what he did. But you have to understand that when you start up with someone on Twitter, especially about something they're putting a lot of time and effort into, that they are likely to not take it well and probably respond to you angrily. And that's what happened. So you do have to understand when you start up with someone out of nowhere on Twitter like that. And I don't know if they had a previous beef or whatever, but I I don't really think they did. But if you do start up with someone, which Norman Chad definitely did, he's stating his opinion. He wasn't saying, oh, I think Joey's ugly or Joey's a jerk or Joey's a scammer. He didn't say things like that. He was just saying that Joey was engaging in irresponsible coverage. But again, I don't think that was fair. So Joey did have a right to be annoyed by this, especially after all the time and effort he put into this. However, uh, Joey had a reaction that I don't think was correct. So I'm going to play you his reaction. And I think this was after someone in the chat pointed out to Joey like what was going on on Norman's Twitter. And then Joey went and took a look live on his show and kind of freaked out. So listen to this. Yes, guy Norman chatting, bro. He said, on the heels of his ongoing, riveting, reckless investigation of Jack Four. Is it really reckless? What does this guy fucking know about investigating? Like, what the fuck does this guy even do? I don't understand. What does this guy do exactly? Like, he just sits in his fucking house and makes jokes on Twitter? Like, what does this guy actually do? I don't, I don't really understand. Like, I don't know what the fuck this guy is. Like, I know he talks about poker. I met him a few times, but I don't really know what this guy's talking about. Like, he basically diss in my investigation like i feel like he got to be cracked in the fucking ribs at least i i feel like he need one like when i see him i feel like he need like you got to go up to the guy hey norman has a bam one shot in the fucking ribs right let me stop it right there there's not much left to this but joey actually stood up joey's usually like sitting calmly at the microphone he actually stood up out of his chair backed up a little bit so you could see his whole body and then 
showed himself like as if he's meeting Norman and punching. He actually made a punching motion in the air how he's going to, quote, crack Norman in the ribs. One shot right there in the fucking ribs, right? Just not, not, we don't want to fucking break the rib, right? But you want to make them, you want to make them, thank you, we appreciate that, Norman. You made four tweets, I'm going to give you four shots to the fucking rib. So that's how this little clip ends, saying that not only is he going to crack him in the ribs, he's going to hit him four times. You made four tweets, Norman, I'm going to give you four shots to the fucking ribs, said Joey. Now, I was pretty shocked seeing that because that's not the Joey Ingram that I know. The Joey Ingram I know is kind of the opposite. He's one who doesn't typically take a strong position on his show. He doesn't confront anyone. He just kind of gives sometimes a passive-aggressive sort of opinion where you get to read between the lines of what he really feels. But I've never seen him threaten anybody. I've never seen him talk about anything like from a violent standpoint. I've never even seen him like come directly and really, really bash someone hard without any kind of violent element to it. I've never even seen that. I've never seen him just come out and say, hey, such and such person's an asshole. I hate them. They're a jerk. They're this, they're that. I don't even watch him do that. He always has some aura of politeness in every subject when talking about everybody. Even with Mike Possel, where you could very much read between the lines that he thought Possel was cheating, even there he didn't directly say it. He'd go, oh, that's, this guy's just like... This guy's just like a poker god. He just always know what to, knows what to do. He just never is wrong. Like, the guy's just a god. He's amazing. Like you, you had to understand that Joey was being sarcastic. But even there, he wasn't making direct statements accusing Possel of anything. So that's the way Joey operates. I'd never seen anything like this where he just says that first directly insults Norman and then says what he needs is cracks in the ribs. So that was pretty shocking to me and most other people who watched this. Now let's get to what Norman wrote to Robbie Straczynski on November 21st in response to being gone from Twitter for a few weeks. Norman wrote, I deactivated my Twitter account earlier this month after receiving multiple physical threats from Joey Ingram followers. I wish I were making that up. Long story short, Joey got upset with a tweet or three I wrote making fun of his endless Jack 4 livestream investigation, and he told his audience, what they called themselves the Legion, that the next time he saw me, he wanted to crack my ribs. Several of his followers started sending me tweets and DMs telling me if I screwed with him again, they would fuck me up. I made Joey aware of this. He didn't seem to care. It's pretty tough out there these days, so I exited stage left, deactivating my account, the first step to deleting one's account. Be well. Well, Robbie was pretty upset to see this, so he decided he's going to write an article about it, and I guess he must have asked Norman if he could include this email, and Norman must have said yes. And so it was really Robbie Straczynski bringing the general public's attention to this, even though it all did play out on Twitter in mid-October, because after Joey had that little outburst about Norman Chad, what happened was uh, someone asked him on Twitter, like, what's with you and Norman Chad, this beef? And he again said something like, when I find him, he'll be cracked in the fucking ribs. He wrote something like that back. The tweet has since been deleted, but here here it is. I, I found a copy of it, even though it's gone now. 
Norm wants to get cracked in the ribs, and it's trying to find out how long it takes me to find him. That's kind of ominous. <laughs> that, was, that was the next day on October 13th. So Joey Ingram was saying that uh, Norman's only going to find out how long it takes him to find him. Just whenever it happens, whenever Joey finds him, he's going to get cracked in the ribs. I mean, that's, that's pretty uh, threatening, right? Now, I never believed at any point here that Joey was really going to do this. It, it would be so out of character for him to do this. I, I don't believe for a second that he was planning to actually find Norman Chad and, and hit him in the ribs. I think if he saw Norman Chad, at worst, he would have gone up to Norman and said, hey, man, what's your problem? Why are you harassing me on Twitter? Why are you insulting my investigations? Like, At worst, he would have done that. There's, he wouldn't have just walked up to Norman and hit him in the ribs. There's no way. But still, even saying that isn't appropriate. Now, I will say that Joey did have the right to respond back to the criticism. So if he wanted to insult Norman, if he wanted to say why Norman was wrong about his investigation, if he wanted to criticize Norman's work, because remember, this is a lot of what Joey does is these streams and like he, he makes money from this. This is somewhat what he does for a living. He puts a lot of time and energy into these things and Norman was bashing it. So if he wants to bash what Norman does, if he wants to say Norman isn't funny and Norman's this, Norman's that, he wants to insult him personally. Okay, that's fair game because Norman really was starting with Joey and really kind of for no apparent reason. So that's all fair game. And if Joey had done that, I wouldn't have the slightest bit of criticism for him. This was too far. This was too far. You should never threaten violence against someone on social media or on your show unless they have threatened you or someone very close to you. Other than that, you should not be threatening violence. So if anyone criticizes you on Twitter, the answer is never to say you're going to harm them physically. It's just never the right answer. And keep in mind that not only is Joey a lot bigger than Norman, but he's also a lot younger. Norman's over 60 and Joey's in his late 30s. So it wouldn't even be a fair fight, to be honest. But there shouldn't be a fight. There shouldn't be any cracking of the ribs. There shouldn't be the threat of cracking the ribs. Now, we were not presented evidence that Norman really got death threats or other threats of violence. He says he did, and maybe he did. Specifically, it doesn't say death threats. I guess. It says uh, that people were sending him tweets and DMs saying if he screwed with him again, they'd fuck him up. So I don't know specifically what these said. We weren't provided copies of these. So who knows? But it doesn't really matter. Because Joey can't really control what other people write. And the truth is, if Joey just complained about how Norman was treating him on his show, which that he definitely would have a right to do, and then his followers went and threatened Norman, that wouldn't be Joey's fault. It'd be the fault of the followers for sending threats. So if you have a big following, then sometimes you will have people who take it too far to support the person that they're a fan of, and sometimes they'll make threats when the person they're trying to support wouldn't want that happening. I don't think Joey wanted people sending Norman threats if this is what was happening. So again, I haven't seen these. I'd have to see these threats to have an opinion on how bad they really were. But whatever. To me, it doesn't really matter if he actually received threats or how bad they were. 
or whatever, Joey himself made threats. So that's that's the thing we know for sure. I just played you him making the threats, and he also made a tweet, which he now deleted, of him basically repeating that threat. So that wasn't appropriate. It's not appropriate at all. And I think Joey just kind of let his anger get the best of him is what happened there. I think Joey was very frustrated that he put so much time and effort into this Robbie investigation and felt like he was being fair and felt like he was giving a lot of himself to the community only to have another member of the community who's in good standing in Norman Chad kind of try to tear it all down. And I think Joey's looking at this going, what the fuck? I'm trying to help here. I'm trying to spend all this time to talk about Hustler Casino Live and Robbie and Garrett and all the stuff people want to know about. I spent all this time doing it, and then I've got Norman Chad saying he was irresponsible? What the hell? Like, I can see why this irritated him. I can see why it pissed him off. At first, Joey was a bit defiant. In response to Robbie's article, he said, I don't condone people threatening others on my behalf, and if one of my followers has been doing that, I'm asking them to stop and not take that action at any point in the future for anyone else. I can handle these situations on my own. But then he said, I've known this guy for a long time. I thought we were friends. He kept attacking me and expects me to say nothing to him. All I see him doing is attacking people on here, but some people are saying that's part of his whole shtick. I have no idea what the guy's problem is. So what was missing for a while was Joey just apologizing, saying, sorry, I I let myself get out of hand. I didn't really mean that. Like, that was absent at first. He was saying others shouldn't be doing this on his behalf. He was saying that Norman attacks people and expects no response, but he wasn't saying, I shouldn't have said this. Like, <laughs> that, that's the one thing he's leaving out, is that, that he was not taking any responsibility for what he had done. Some people were getting irritated, and some people were bashing Joey over this. And I'll tell you, Joey didn't like seeing that. He didn't like seeing people bashing him, because again, Joey kept going back to, hey, I do a lot for the community. I spend a lot of my time on these investigations, which he does. And he didn't like that there was some backlash about this. He felt that people should look at his entire body of work and not just one moment with him talking about Norman. And I I can understand that. I can understand how he's looking at people's responses to him and going, wait a minute, you know, even if you want to say that I was inappropriate here, look at everything I've done. You can't say I'm a bad guy. And I've seen people say, oh, I've lost all respect for Joey and I'll never see him as the same. And this totally changed my opinion of him. I don't think that. I really haven't changed my opinion. I I see he's kind of capable of lashing out more than I thought he was, but I think he was just really frustrated and in a bad mood and kind of let his temper get the best of him and said some things that he didn't really mean. That doesn't excuse it. He shouldn't have done it. And it's up to him to control himself. He's not a kid. He's getting close to 40 years old, so he's got to control himself. But at the same time, I, I don't think he was ever going to commit acts of violence. And I think he was just getting fed up. I think Joey doesn't really take it very well when he sees people saying negative things about him when he feels he's been pouring so much of himself into the community and trying to help. I can relate to that somewhat because, you know, sometimes I feel that way too. Sometimes, especially on the forum, people will uh, be especially harsh. And I'm sitting there going, why am I doing all this? I'm not making money from it. And 
I put all this effort into it. I have to deal with issues when I ban someone because of they're doing wrong things in the forum, and then I end up taking the brunt of their anger. I take the brunt of the anger of scammers I expose, and I mean, there's there's a lot of crappy things that have happened and that I've been exposed to as a result of running this site and a, a result of co-running other sites in the past. A lot less than I would have if I were just uh, a regular user on these forums and didn't have this show. So there there is a negative side to doing all this in that you pick up some of that stuff. And it can be frustrating. You You can feel like what you're doing is not appreciated that much all the time and effort you're putting into it and and you just don't feel like you're getting out of it what you're putting into it you, you have those moments and then you can have other moments where you're very happy and you you say wow I'm, I'm really glad I'm part of this and I'm glad I'm part of this community and you know I, I had those more positive feelings these past two weeks with both the bank theft thing and how the community got together on that and, and this thing with Mandy, which, as I said, didn't involve me, but the way that ended. And with things like that, I'm proud to be part of the community and happy I am part of it and happy that I do have the platforms that I've made for myself here. But then there's been other times where it can be very stressful and it can be very frustrating. In fact, I, I walked away from all of it for about six months prior to creating Poker Fraud Alert for those of you that were around back then. So I can understand how Joey's feeling. And he kind of asked me that when I was on his show. Like, if I ever noticed this? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I said, yes, I did. By the way, if you want to find the episode I was on, it was, I think, on November 17th or 18th. It was one with Robbie J. Lou on the title card, even though that wasn't the main topic. And I appear starting like at the two hour, 51 minute mark. You'll find it. Just look, I think either on, either on the 17th or 18th of November. And you can watch me on there. I'm on for like 90 minutes, starting from two hours, 51 minutes. And the one with Matt Berkey, you can find pretty easily because my face is on the title card. And that was from a few days before that. I think that November 16th or 17th. I can understand why Joey gets frustrated. And some of the things he feels, I feel sometimes. But I think that I've had a longer time to learn to deal with these things and just kind of accept it. And I think with Joey, it still kind of rattles him when people react negatively when he feels they shouldn't be. Especially someone like Norman Chad, who isn't just a troll in the chat, but is someone respected in poker. And he's thinking, well, crap, I, I put all this effort out and a respected figure in poker is now trying to belittle what I did. So definitely I understand why he was mad. And, you know, Norman, I, I do have to say, he's, he has a right to express his opinion. He can do it. But if you can do it, doesn't mean you should do it. And so Norman probably should have thought before he posted that, like, should I really be putting down what Joey was doing? Was he doing anything bad? Like, a, maybe you didn't love his style or whatever it was. I don't even understand his criticism. I thought everything Joey did was fine with that. But... You know, maybe Norman had some criticism of it, but do you really want to put that out there? Do you want to look where Joey's heart was? And was it in the right place here? Was he trying to get to the bottom of this? Was he trying to help? The answer was yes. So, 
you know, why is Norman tweeting that? Why is Norman saying it's irresponsible and making Joey look bad like that? So, of course, Joey's going to read that and get pissed off. That doesn't mean he should be threatened. He should not be. That That's never the appropriate response. But Norman, he does have to look at himself and say, you know, why did I tweet that? Why did I say that? Why am I antagonizing someone else in the community who who is trying to do the right thing, even if you don't love the way he did it? Fortunately, there is a good ending to this in that Joey came around to acknowledge that he was in the wrong with the way he behaved and did another show. I think it was the one Mandy was on, too. And he commented various times during the stream that he felt like he shouldn't have said what he did. And then he actually tried to offer... Norman Chad a seat in a WBT main event that Joey has been authorized to give away by the WBT. So I think he was trying. Let, let's let's play some of this here. So this is in uh, this uh, one that was on a few days ago. I think it says like lock in on the title card. So let's go to the fifty-two minute forty-five second mark. That I that he felt like I threatened him in the first place, right? Like I said, it's not my intention. So, yeah, I apologize that what I said made him feel some kind of way about it where he felt like he had to go off Twitter and uh, definitely, right? He apologized to me. He said he didn't mean disrespect. And it's the same way back to me. I mean, I already talked about it for 30 minutes, but I got no reason not to apologize, right? My, my intention ain't to make people feel that kind of way. It's definitely not what I'm going for. So so here is where he was talking about uh, trying to offer Norman Chad the seat in this uh, WBT event. Uh, yeah, if anybody have any suggestions how I can spend $20,000 at this event, then please let me know. Can I do a promotion to offer Norman Chad a seat to the main event? That's not like a nice thing to do. So he was trying to text whoever is giving him this WPT seat to give away if they can have another one to give it to Norman Chad. Now, you can argue this is no skin off of Joey's ass if the WPT just hands this out, that it makes Joey look great for getting it for Norman as kind of an act of contrition, but then Joey's not really paying for it. He's just asking his handlers there to give this away. So this is a cheap way for Joey to look really good, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a nice gesture, I guess. Here is Joey a little earlier in the show at the 34-minute mark saying that he's already missing Norman Chad on Twitter and wants him to come back. Uh, yeah, yeah, I miss Norman Chad already, man. We need Norman Chad back on Twitter. It looks like this is pretty much over, and they apparently have at least somewhat made up. I have a feeling they don't love each other at this point but I think they don't really want to fight each other publicly. I mean, on Twitter, I'm not talking about an actual fist fight. I don't think they want that either. Norman Chad actually did return to Twitter, but he claimed it was temporary. Norman tweeted, back on Twitter for 48 hours through Sunday. How are we doing? After weekend, I will again deactivate account for 30 days, then reconsider my Twitter future at year's end. If I do leave Twitter, I will be... I will back new Twitter competitor, Switter, a sweeter Twitter. Well, forgetting that last weird thing he wrote, which is some kind of joke, he really does seem to have a plan to deactivate his Twitter. 
on Sunday, which is now today. We have uh, one trader, Ruski, who's now on, who's uh, gotten up to what, talk to the men's group at 5 a.m.? No, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not till 6.30. What's yeah. happening, Drew? Oh, okay. Hello, Trader Ruski, and uh, glad to have you on here. Just talking about Norman, Chad, and Joey. So I, I don't understand why Norman, Chad's coming back for 48 hours. That's weird. When I saw that, it was kind of off-putting, to be honest. I would have been very happy to see Norman, Chad say, okay, I'm back on Twitter. I've decided to return after all. Joey and I have settled their differences, and... Thank you to everybody for the nice things you said about me. Like, like, whatever like that. Like, don't say, oh, I'm coming back for 48 hours and I'm leaving again. That's, that's, that's kind of weird. I hate when people announce that they're leaving. If you're going to leave, just go. And if you're leaving because people were threatening you, that's completely understandable. But then it's kind of weird to come back. So I, I don't understand this whole coming back for 48 hours thing. And, and what he has done since he came back was like promoting this game he runs at Hustler on Monday. I guess every Monday at 3 p.m. they they run a 20-40 half 08 and half stud 8 game. So, like, it's fine. Like, he wants to promote that. Cool. But, like, don't delete Twitter, Norm. Just, like, just leave it. You're back. Just leave it. Joey's told everybody that he doesn't want anyone to threaten him. And Joey has also apologized Joey's even attempting to get Norman a seat at the WPT. Whether that works or not, you know, okay, we're past it. We're done. I think Joey knows he probably shouldn't have said that. And even if the two are still kind of irritated at each other, just move on. Norm wants to be on Twitter. Like, just don't pretend that you don't really want to be there, Norm. You want to be there. Just, just come back. Just come back and stay there. What did he say, Jeff? Sorry, I missed it. He's saying he's going to come back for 48 hours and delete it on Sunday. No, 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 I know, but what did he say to him originally to start it? Oh, he was criticizing Joey's uh, investigation on Robbie J. Lou and saying he was irresponsible, and then Joey freaked out and said that he's going to give him four cracks in the rig- ribs next time he sees him. Oh, Lord. Yeah, so, I mean, there's no question that Joey was inappropriate there, but, I, you know, now that they've kind of gotten past this, and now that Norman reactivated his Twitter, just leave it reactivated. Don't come back for 48 hours. It's just so strange. Well, I hope this all passes. I enjoyed coming on Joey's show. I've gotten along with Norm quite well, especially the last three years. So I don't like seeing all this. I think Norm should stay on Twitter and continue stating his opinion on the state of poker. A lot of times I agree with what he has to say. I think Joey should keep doing what he's doing and all his investigations and the zeal he brings to this sort of thing and the raw time and energy he puts in that nobody else will. And the poker community should appreciate that and not define him by this one bad moment of his that really was just losing his temper but didn't really harm anybody. If Norman got threatened, you know, that's kind of crappy and whoever did that shouldn't have. But there's lots of psychos out there who watch these shows. But I, I hope they can both move on and move past this, even if they're not going to be friends or anything. Just move on and each do their own thing. All right, I have some FTX stuff to talk about here. More than I expected. There's more FTX stuff that I need to discuss, including some more connections to poker. But before I get into the poker connections... 
I'm going to read you some more of Sam Bankman-Fried's tweets because he's continuing to tweet about this whole thing, which is weird. You'd expect him to just be silent, given that not only is he facing lawsuits, but he's somewhat likely to face criminal charges as well. So you'd think that you would not put out stuff on Twitter at this point that can be used against you, but that's what he's been doing. And apparently this has been irritating his attorneys so much that supposedly his attorneys either quit or he fired them because they were yelling at him too much about doing this. But he, he fired out all these tweets. Now, you may remember on our last show that I was talking about these weird one-letter tweets he was making. He started out with W-H-A-T. So it was clear he was saying what and then H. So he was tweeting out one tweet at a time and not like all at the same time. Like he was uh, tweeting out one or two letters and then stopping and then doing more. And people were getting mad that it seemed like he was just making light of this whole thing. But it turned out what he was tweeting was what happened and then was going to continue tweeting about what actually happened in the, in the whole matter, which people were saying right away this is inappropriate. Like, that's that's not the way you should do People thought he was trolling the community by doing this what happened thing. But that aside, I'm going to read you the tweets that he made explaining himself, and we will discuss whether these tweets make any sense or if he's full of crap, and if there's anything you can take from these tweets that make this seem not as bad. And it's really still pretty amazing to me that he's tweeting like he is instead of going silent. It's it's amazing that he wasn't understanding that when he was doing that what happened thing that people were going to find this annoying and like he's taunting people rather than that he's trying to tell people what happened, which I, I still think was kind of him trolling. I think he still isn't taking this as seriously as he should be. Like he knows that shit is hitting the fan, but nothing's happened to him yet other than everybody talking about him, and I think he may actually like this in some weird way. And apparently he's still seen walking around the Bahamas, going to the grocery store, not even having any protection around him. P- pretty amazing. But okay, here's when he started to become more serious after the what happened. He did 10 tweets with these single letters. So finally, November 15th, he tweets... Number 11, because the first 10 were just those letters. I'll get to what happened, but for now, let's talk about where we are today. Number 12. All his tweets are numbered like this. Number 12. To the best of my knowledge, as of post-November 7th, with the potential for errors, A, Alameda had more assets than liabilities, M2M but not liquid. B, Alameda had margin position on FTX International. C, FTX United States, which is supposed to be separate from FTX International, had enough to repay all customers. Not everyone necessarily agrees with this. (laughs) What? Alameda, of course, is Alameda Research. That was the company where he funneled the FTX funds over to that were supposed to be held for customers. Then they proceeded to invest and lose it. Number 13, my goal, my one goal is to do right by my customers. I'm contributing what I can to doing so. I'm meeting in person with regulators and working with, working with the teams to do what we can for customers. And after that, investors, but, investors, but first customers. Number 14, my goal, 
A, clean up and focus on transparency. B, make customers whole. 15. A few weeks ago, FTX was handling $10 billion a day of volume and billions of transfers. But there was too much leverage, more than I realized. A run on the bank and market crash exhausted liquidity. So what can I try to do? Raise liquidity, make customers whole, and restart. 16. Maybe I'll fail. Maybe I won't get anything more for customers than what's already there. I've certainly failed before. You all know that now, all too well. But all I can do is to try. I've failed enough for the month, and part of me thinks I might get somewhere. 17. I know you've seen all this, but here's where things stand today, roughly speaking. And he puts in parentheses, lots of caveats, etc. Liquid, $8 billion. Semi-liquid, $5.5 billion. Illiquid, $3.5 billion. And yeah, maybe that $9 billion illiquid M to M isn't worth $9 billion. On the other hand, a month ago it was worth $18 billion, plus $10 billion net. And then he writes, 18, truth and beauty. <laughs> what? What? See, that's where I think he's just trolling. So at least, even if he's lying about these numbers here and just you know, spouting off a bunch of crap, at least he's trying to give some explanation whether true or not. But why finish off with just 18 truth and beauty? What does that even mean? That makes it seem like he's just not taking all this seriously to write just weird nonsense like that. So then he continued. If you think it's done there, it's not. He stopped at truth and beauty for a while. But but don't worry, he, he had more to say. 19. This was on November 16th, next day. Once upon a time, a month ago, FTX was a valuable enterprise. FTX had 15 to 15, 10 to 15 billion of daily volume and roughly 1 billion of annual revenue, 40 billion of equity value. And we were held as paragons of running an effective company. 20. I was on the cover of every magazine and FTX was a darling of Silicon Valley. We got overconfident and careless. 21. And problems were brewing, larger than I realized. And then he says, again, these numbers are approximate to the best of my knowledge, etc. Leverage built up, 5 billion of leverage, backed by 20 billion of assets, which were, well, they had value. FTT, which is their token, had value in EV, but they had risk. 22, and that risk was correlated with the other collateral and with the platform. Then the crash came. In a few-day period, there was a historic crash, over 50% in most correlated assets, with no bid-side liquidity, and at the same time, there was a run on the bank. 23, roughly 25% of customer assets were withdrawn each day, $4 billion. As it turned out, I was wrong. Leverage wasn't $5 billion. It was $13 billion. $13 billion leverage, total run on the bank, total collapse in asset value all at once, which is why you don't want that leverage. And then he finishes off with another weird non sequitur, 24, shrapnel. So, so again, he's having these like serious discussions about the finances of the company and why these people lost their life savings, and then he just finishes off with shrapnel. Like, why? What, what does shrapnel mean? I know what the word means, but in this context, what does shrapnel mean? This is really what makes me think he's a sociopath. Well, this and many things. Shrapnel. Come on. 25. Last night I talked to a friend of mine. They published my messages. They were, those were not intended to be public, but I guess they are now. It's because someone posted some messages they had back and forth. This is uh, later on November 16th when he was doing this, uh, like three hours later after writing Shrapnel. 
Someone asked him in a private message, do you think you've processed the magnitude of what just happened? I feel like I haven't processed it all yet, and I wasn't even at the center of it. And then in response, there's like some link, and the person said, damn, man. So I think it was someone talking to him who was asking if he's like processed it. And he just responded with some link that's something unrelated. I don't know why he's showing that to everybody. I guess this is already posted somewhere. 26, well, this gives some color, I guess. It sucks. I'm really sorry things ended up as they did. As I said, I'm going to do everything I can to make it more right. Number 27, a few thoughts. A, it's really hard to be a regulator. They have an impossible job to regulate entire industries that grow faster than their mandate allows them to. And so often they end up mostly unable to police as well they ideally would. 28, even so, there are regulators who have deeply impressed me with their knowledge and thoughtfulness. The CFTC has, the SCB and VARA too, and others scattered, but most are overwhelmed. Okay, let's stop right here. Stop right here. I want to comment on the CFTC thing because he loves to talk about the CFTC and how wonderful they are. And this is part of his shadiness. Like, this guy always pretends like he's on the level and is someone who wants to be regulated, who wants to do right by everybody, that he has good intentions even when he messes up. And, you know, before all this crashed, he kept advocating being regulated by the CFTC, which is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which is a U.S. government agency. So why would someone who is acting in a shady fashion, who has bad intentions, who is stealing, why would that person advocate to be regulated? Why would he make speeches to the government that he wants to be regulated? That's what he wants you to think. The truth is, he knew that regulation was probably coming. So what he was trying to do is get the CFTC, which is known to be very lax in the regulation, to regulate him and other crypto companies, and not the SEC, who can be hard asses. He's trying to get the much, much easier organization watching over him. So knowing that one is coming, he just keeps praising the one that he wants to do the job. And he's posturing like, oh, I'm looking to be regulated. That's how legit I am. So that's where he's just so disingenuous. 29, which means that interacting with regulatory structures can be really frustrating a huge amount of work, much of it arbitrary, and relatively little consumer protection. Fuck that. You all deserve frameworks that let regulators protect customers while allowing freedom. Really? Like, is the guy who just stole $10 billion out of his own company lecturing on how people need protection? What? So he's complaining that they can be too difficult and they're really not protecting very much. And he says, you deserve frameworks that let regulators protect customers while allowing freedom. Well, yeah, from people like him. It's a weird thing to say. It would be like a rapist saying, you know what we need more of? We need cops patrolling the streets to, protect ra- to prevent rape. That's what we need. There's too many rapists out there. We need more cops preventing that. In the meantime, this guy's a rapist. Like, it would be like that. Like this, this guy's a thief who stole from his own company and screwed over so many people. And he's like, yeah, we need regulators to protect customers. Like from who? From himself? Number 30. 
Some of what I said was thoughtless or overly strong. I was venting and not intending that to be public. I guess at this point, what I write leaks anyway. He's referring to these screenshots that leaked of his conversations. 31, and in the future, I'm going to care less about the dumb, contentless, good actor framework. What matters is the way you do is actually doing good or bad, not just talking about doing good or using ESG language. I'm not even sure what ESG language is, but this is more psychobabble. This is him saying, I'm not going to care what people say about me. I just want everyone to watch my actions and see that I'm doing the right thing. And I'm not really caring how things appear. But then he's not doing the right thing. You, you can say all you want, I'm going to do the right things for customers, but then you're not doing the right thing. You're just tweeting and trolling them. That doesn't mean you get credit for doing the right thing because you say you're going to. 32, anyway, none of that matters now. What matters is doing the best I can and doing everything I can for FTX customers. Now, thankfully, he didn't end with one of these dumb phrases at the end. There was no truth and beauty or shrapnel. But apparently he got a very hard time from people about these tweets and from his own lawyers who were saying, what the hell are you doing? And I guess he fired his lawyers because they just were really, really on his case about tweeting. But then interestingly enough, he has stopped with the tweets. The last thing he wrote was actually November 23rd, a week later from everything I just read you. He said, I'll be speaking with Andrew Sorkin at the Dead, at the Deal Book Summit next Wednesday. And Andrew Sorkin is a New York Times columnist and editor. So I guess he was going to be speaking with this Andrew Sorkin about something. And that's the last thing he tweeted. So maybe he learned to stay quiet. So what about all these numbers he threw out? What about all of these billions he claims that he still has liquid and semi-liquid and what this whole explanation of what happened was it was it really just that there was this big run on the bank and it ruined the FTT token and everything was really fine there and you know maybe he made some miscalculations along the way was it that simple or was it something a lot more sinister well still in all the tweets he made just like the previous tweets he made what was missing what was missing was addressing the 10 billion dollars worth of assets that he shipped out of FTX over to Alameda to be invested. He hasn't addressed that at all. He hasn't said, I didn't do it. He hasn't said, I did do it. He's just not addressing it. Now, do you think that he wouldn't address it if he were innocent? That's the main criticism here. The main criticism by a wide margin over anything else is that he stole customer funds to transfer to Alameda for them to invest it, and then they screwed up and lost it all. So if he did not steal customer funds, why wouldn't he just come out and say, 33, I didn't steal customer funds, 34, truth and consequences? Like, you know, like why not say something like that? Why not just put out a direct thing, I did not do it? But he hasn't said anything about that. So that really, really makes him just appear guilty. So everybody is like, Stop with all the the babble and just address the main issue. If not, shut up. Another problem is that these assets are not real assets that he's talking about. FTT was a token that they invented. 
In fact, a poster on the forum named Salty Oss said FTT was pulled out of his arse. That's true. I mean, that's, that's basically what he did. They, they just created this FTT token, and then they would claim it was worth something. And yeah, if people are buying it, it's worth something. But if people lose faith in the token, and then it plunges to very little value, then this isn't just bad luck that an asset you had depreciated. This was a token that you created based upon the faith in you and your company. And so you, you can't have this FTT as the backing for the assets you supposedly have. Because that'll disappear the second there's any kind of concern about you or your company. So that's already a big problem there. That too much of this company was, was propped up by FTT. So these weren't even real assets. So when he's saying, oh, we have these assets, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't. Because uh, FTT has crashed. You know, what, what real assets do they have that they could liquidate right now and pay people? I don't think there's that much. Kate Hall got involved in the discussion, not directly to him, but uh, she tweeted out this screenshot, which I think came from one of these leaked screenshots. I don't think it was him talking to her. But it's possible that they had conversations. I'll get into that a little bit later, because there is a connection between Kate Hall and SBF. That's one of many poker connections that exists here. But here's something interesting that he said to somebody in one of these screenshots. Someone said to him, you were really good at talking about ethics for someone who is who kind of saw it all as a game with winners and losers. So then he said back, yeah, he he, I had to be. It's what reputations are made of to some extent. I feel bad for those who get fucked by it, by this dumb game where we woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths so everyone likes us. So it's basically SBF saying that all of his concern about humanity and his left-wing politics and all of that, that this is just a game. This is just where he says the right thing so people think he's a sensitive guy, so people like him. So Kate Hall was sharing that in a critical fashion. And a lot on the right were sharing this, showing, hey, look, look, look how many people on the left just do this so people can like them and so they can come off as being sensitive when in reality they don't give a shit. So now you can't say that this is representative of everybody on the left, but it is interesting that SBF was admitting this to somebody that quote, we woke Westerners play this game where we say all the right shibboleths and everyone likes us. But I'll get to the Kate Hall thing in a little bit. So he still hasn't explained about the $10 billion that he transferred over to Alameda. And I don't know if he'll ever explain it. That's the main issue. And if he doesn't address that, then nothing else he says matters. He can say over and over, I'm going to do right by the customers. I still have assets. I still have this. All of this doesn't matter unless, one, if there's assets that he can actually show it that it's really there, that at least people can get something who got screwed here. And number two, that he addresses why he took the money, why he actually supposedly wrote a backdoor into the software or had someone write it for him, I forgot if he wrote it himself, to where he could sneak this money out without it being seen by others in the company. Like, until he invests this stuff, it doesn't matter. Otherwise, it's just babble. 
And I don't know why he thinks this is going to fool anybody because people just read this and get mad. It's not like people are going, oh, you know, he's a good guy. Okay, he's trying to make things right. No, and, like, no one's going to be fooled by this point. When nobody has any trust in you, you can't put out tweets like that and expect people to go, oh, okay, I get it now. No, at this point, he's got to show people things. At this point, he's got to present evidence that backs up what he's saying. And all we're getting is blah, 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 blah. So now I want to get to the poker connection here. So first I want to talk about this NBC News piece, which I thought was very good. I don't always say NBC News is doing a great job, because often they're not with things, but I'll give them credit on this one. They did a, a very good article that I suggest you go check out. And it's very easy to find if you just do uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, or actually forget Sam Bankman-Fried. You can just type in Friedberg for Daniel Friedberg, F-R-I-E-D-B-E-R-G, NBC News, then you'll see it. The article is called FTX's Regulatory Chief Had Four Job Titles in Two Years. What Was He Really Doing? That's the name of the article. It's by a woman named Gretchen Morganson, who I've never heard of before, but she did a great job here. And it was an article mostly about Daniel Friedberg, who was the cover-up master-in-chief at UB, after the super user cheating scandal in the late 2000s. He was the one we have on tape who was talking to Russ Hamilton about different ways to cover it up, different ways to lie to the public, different ways to underpay the public who got cheated. Same guy who was the compliance officer at FTX. And there's a lot of questions now of how much Daniel Friedberg had a role in what FTX ultimately did. So this article by Gretchen Morganson on NBCNews.com is mostly about Daniel Friedberg and his history, and they cover a lot of the UB stuff. So, of course, this is not a poker article. This is an article on NBCNews.com. Very good. She wrote, SBF, as he is known, has garnered most of the attention in the FTX crash, along with Caroline Ellison, the 28-year-old CEO of Alameda Research. But Friedberg, a lawyer by trade, is also coming into focus given the array of key roles he assumed at the company during his almost two years there. His unusual resume, with a stint in an online gambling software company rocked by a cheating scandal in 2008, raises questions about why he was chosen for key jobs in Bankman-Fried's regime. It doesn't raise questions for me. If you're a shady guy like SBF, of course you want to hire a shady lawyer like Dan Friedberg. In addition to chief regulatory officer at FTX, Friedberg worked as its general counsel for a period and was an officer at Hawaii Digital Assets, a unit created in August. He also served as legal counsel for Alameda, the entity that allegedly used customer funds improperly, reports say. Alameda also loaned Bankman-Fried and two top associates $1.6 billion, according to a report filed by the bankruptcy court, with the bankruptcy court by FTX's new CEO. Prior to disclosures by investigators, it may be difficult to determine what Friedberg's potential involvement was in the FTX debacle or what he actually did there. I was wondering the same thing. Like, what did he actually do? Some people who worked at FTX or did business with it told NBC News they'd never encountered Friedberg. When NBC News asked Friedberg to discuss his work for FTX in an online gaming, he declined the request. But don't worry, he did say something to them later in the article. As FTX's chief regulatory officer, however, Friedberg would have been tasked with monitoring customer protection practices, which, of course, were non-existent, ensuring product offerings complied with existing rules and overseeing internal audits and reviews, experts said. 
Early indications from the recent bankruptcy court filing by FTX's new CEO are that none of that oversight happened at FTX, which is now under investigation in the U.S. and the Bahamas, according to news reports. And then they go on to talk about ultimate bet. I'm skipping around here, but listen to this. A 1992 graduate of Williams College, Friedberg received an MBA and law degree from the University of Wisconsin in 1996, according to Martin Dale, a database of legal professionals. Admitted to the bar in Washington State in 1998 and practicing in Seattle, his specialties were securities, banking, partnerships, and later cryptocurrencies. Early in his career, Freeberg became involved in online gaming. Beginning in 1999, his name appears on corporate records as an agent for companies set up by Phil Helmuth and Annie Duke, giants in the professional poker world. Freeberg's years in online gaming did not appear on his LinkedIn profile, however, which vanished from the internet soon after FTX cratered. Helmuth declined to discuss his work with Friedberg, and Duke did not respond to an email seeking comment. Isn't that interesting? Now let's stop here. It is not a coincidence that Friedberg went to University of Wisconsin and was representing Helmuth. Helmuth is from Madison, Wisconsin. So he knew Friedberg from Madison. And he ended up uh, representing Helmuth. He was Helmuth's attorney for a while. And he was helping Helmuth set up these companies, which uh, eventually ended up being UB. So Freeberg and Helmuth were very intertwined and, in fact, got to know each other in their days in Madison when they were both young. And it's interesting that Helmuth would not describe what he did with Freeberg when NBC News asked him and then Duke just ignored the email. In 2006, Helmuth, Duke, and Russ Hamilton were employed as marketing and promotional professionals by Excapsa Software, an online gaming software company in Toronto, where Friedberg was an executive, according to a securities filing and affidavit by Friedberg included in a 2012 lawsuit against the company. Excapsa and its three units in Malta managed a poker network, meaning UB, and licensed online gaming software applications, according to a 2006 investor presentation. Among its sites was Ultimate Bet. In 2008... Some high-stakes players on Ultimate Bet accused others of being able to see their cards and profiting on bets using that knowledge. The winning players are too lucky too often, the, compu- the accuser said. It later emerged that tweaks to Ultimate Bet software, known internally as God Mode, allowed some players to see others' hands, company news releases show. Yeah, not just some players, but players associated with the company. Wronged players estimated that some $40 million had been stolen from unwitting participants. In 2008, in May... Ultimate Bet acknowledged in a news release that, quote, certain player accounts did in fact have an unfair advantage, and, quote, the individuals responsible were found to have worked for the previous ownership of Ultimate Bet. Ultimate Bet promised to refund affected players. A few months later, another release said that cheating had been, quote, enabled by illicit, illicit software that was placed on the Ultimate Bet servers prior to October 2006, when it was acquired by a Malta-based company called Blastoff Limited. Excapsa's court-appointed liquidator announced in, in November 2008 that the company was paying $15 million to Blastoff in exchange for a full release of all claims related to the cheating allegations. In announcing the settlement, Excapsa confirmed that cheating had taken place on the site but made no admission of liability or wrongdoing as part of the settlement. The Kawanaki Gaming Commission of Canada, which oversaw Ultimate Bet, said in a press release it had conducted an audit and, quote, found clear and convincing evidence to support the conclusion that between the approximate dates of May 2004 to January 2008, that Russ Hamilton was the main person responsible for and benefiting from the multiple cheating incidents. 
Now, here's where it really gets interesting. You probably knew most of this stuff about UB, but listen to this. They got a hold of Russ Hamilton to discuss this. Hamilton declined to discuss the scandal. I kept quiet, and I didn't say a word, and I'm not saying a word. He said in a phone call with NBC News. Wow. (laughs) I kept quiet. I didn't say a word. I'm still not saying a word, which is true. Russ Hamilton still isn't saying anything, even after the statute of limitations for all this has expired. It's been more than 10 years now. It's been almost 15 years. This isn't a murder. You, I don't think there's much that can be done or anything can be done anymore. I believe statute of limitations for everything has expired now. So he could come forward and say everything, I believe. But he's still not. He said, I kept quiet. I didn't say a word. I'm still not saying a word. But we have the words he said on that tape. You can find it on the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube channel, by the way. Ultimate Bet refused to supply histories of the poker hands that may have been involved, the lawsuit said, so the players could not determine whether the amounts of the refunds were correct. The lawsuit was ultimately dismissed. And then it talks about the Travis McCarr tapes and stuff that Friedberg said, such as that they should blame a consultant, meaning Travis McCarr, who brought the tapes forward later, that the consultant took advantage of a server flaw by hacking into the client, and they're unable to identify exactly when, and that Friedberg said at the meeting, if we can get it down to $5 million, referring to the refund, I'd be happy that he's referring to underpaying players for what they were cheated. So we, we talked about all that last time. But very interesting that they got a hold of Russ Hamilton and at least got that one quote out of him. But they also got a quote out of the man himself, sort of. So they asked Friedberg about these audio recordings that have really gotten interest again after nine years. They were first brought out in 2013 and now they're very relevant again because of the FTX stuff. And they're asking him, come on, Freeberg, what is this? What were you doing here? Why were you trying to underpay people? Why were you trying to make up stories instead of telling the truth? How can a lawyer who is supposed to be an officer of the court, someone who is supposed to be always honest in these type of dealings, how could he be discussing ways to just blatantly lie and underpay people? How could anyone trust you after this? So they asked Friedberg in this interview. They got a hold of him and asked asked him uh, via text what his comments were about these tapes that are up on YouTube. So then Friedberg said back in a text, and this is the first response we've seen from him about any of this stuff. This is the first comment we've seen from Friedberg since this FTX stuff occurred, and the first comment we've seen from him since the Ultimate Bet tapes got released over nine years ago. Friedberg said in a text to NBC, off the record, colon, that audio was illegally recorded and it's illegal for you to use it. I'm noting that you were informed of this. (laughs) (laughs) So instead of commenting on what he was recorded saying and he was caught red-handed trying to underpay the people who were cheated and scheming like the snake in the grass he was, he's just telling NBC, quote, off the record that the audio was illegally recorded and it's illegal for them to use it. I think he just says off the record colon as if he can control that. So then... And, that, and that's... In, and that's You can't use it in a court case, right? You can't... 
I mean, right? That doesn't mean they can't use it and play it. Well, there's also a question of the jurisdiction where it was recorded because Russ Hamilton recorded this himself and then handed it over to Travis McCarr. So if this was in a one-party country or state or territory, I'm not sure even where they were when this is recorded, but there were many jurisdictions where it is completely legal for one person to record their conversation with other people. It's illegal everywhere to secretly record a room. So, like, I couldn't sneak into your house and, and put a recording device and then record what you're saying in your house and then distribute it. Even if I didn't distribute it, it would be illegal. But to record your own conversations in many states is legal. So I don't even know if this was recorded illegally. But even if it was, that's not the issue he should be focusing on now. He should be focusing on what he was recorded saying. So anyway, that was what he said. I love how he just decided it's off the record. So NBC News wasn't having it. NBC News, quote, had not agreed that the conversation with Friedberg was off the record and informed him that his text was on the record. (laughs) (laughs) So I like how this asshole tries to say off the record colon because he's trying to get them both not to use his comment and also to scare them into ever discussing this tape because he didn't want them writing an article about what he said on this tape. So he's like, hey, this tape was illegally recorded. And if you use it for your article, then you're doing something illegal. So I'm noting that you're informed of this. So he thinks he's going to scare NBC by saying, hey, I'm informing you right now. This is illegally recorded. So if you discuss this, if you discuss this in your article... Just know that I'm noting to you right now that this is illegally recorded. And also, this is off the record. So NBC is like, no, that's not how off the record works. You can't just say off the record colon. They'd have to agree together this is off the record. So NBC News said, we don't agree it's off the record. So yes, we're taking this text on the record and too bad. So then Friedberg realized there was nothing he could do. Like, I, I don't know how he thinks he can do this to NBC News. It's one thing to say this to an individual that he might be able to intimidate because he's a lawyer, but NBC News has its own lawyers. So their lawyers must have laughed at this and said that they didn't agree it was off the record, so it's on the record. You can't just say off the record colon when someone asks you something. So then he didn't respond further. He realized that this wasn't going to fly with the off the record crap. Then they talked to Travis McCarr. So they're really getting everybody here. Now, Travis McCarr was the most talkative of everybody. So it says, in an interview with NBC News, McCarr, the former Hamilton assistant who made the recordings, disputed that they were illegal and said that he had never been sued over the recordings since he released them in 2013. By the way, that's another good point that uh, at this point, the statute of limitations is way up for him to take any action against McCarr for releasing them because – or Russ Hamilton for recording them because – he knew about them as early as 2011 because what had happened is Makar came to me and to Brian Mikon and physically played us the tapes but wouldn't let me or Mikon handle them or keep them. He just played it to us to let us hear little snippets and then we talked about them. And the reason that was kind of forgotten about at the time was it was early 2011 and you know what happened in April 2011. Yes, Black Friday. So that drowned out everything from Travis McCarr. And then Travis McCarr also disappeared. And then he reappeared in 2013. 
and brought forth the full tapes. Or not even the full tapes, but a lot more of them and actually released them. And again, it was separately me and Mikon releasing them on our respective shows. And I think he came to Mikon first and then me shortly afterwards, but uh, that's who he came to. And then he disappeared again. So anyway, McCarr told NBC News that he made the Ultimate Bet tapes because he was fearful his superiors would pin blame for the cheating software on him. Well, that's not totally true. It was Russ who made the tapes, and then he gave them to Travis. Now, it's possible that Travis arranged the secret recordings. Maybe Travis gave him the recording device. Maybe they kind of planned this together. But Russ is the one who brought it in there. Travis was not in the room when this was being done. And Russ made the tapes himself. In fact, you can even hear when Russ's phone was getting uh, was about to ring or was getting text messages, you would hear the interference into the recording device because that's what phones did back then. Because Russ had this hidden somewhere, this recording device, and then his phone was interfering with it sometimes. So it was right there in Russ's hands or somewhere. It was I, I guess it was not in his hands, but it was like... Was it his briefcase? It was his briefcase. Yeah, something like that. It was like it was like somewhere on Russ's person or very near him. It was not Makar who was recording it, even if he set it up for Russ. So that's not totally true. And I don't think he was fearful that his superiors would pin blame because I believe that Makar agreed to take the blame if he gets something on the other end. And Makar never made it clear why he's coming forward to us. We still don't know this. We still don't know why Makar brought all these tapes out. There was some belief that... Well, maybe- I, I thought it was because they were trying to frame him, and then he just happened to hear the tapes on Russ's computer or something. No, see, I, I believe... And then he was pissed. I, be- I don't think that's true, because he brought it out much later. I, it seemed like he was concerned he was going to get in trouble, and he wanted to look like he was cooperative, and that this is all Russ's fault and he was just the hapless computer guy working for Russ. That was what he was trying to frame himself as. I never believed that. I always thought that he was more in on this than he let on and that he brought these out for selfish reasons. But the bottom line is we got them. The bottom line is is it was useful to have and now it's useful again for a different reason. So when Russ said that Travis has agreed to take responsibility, I I think Russ is telling the truth. Like Why else would he say that to Friedberg and the other people there? if Travis had not agreed for this. So I I think that they probably did something or planned to do something like saying to Travis that they're going to give him X amount of money if he is the fall guy for this. They went on to write, as he learned about the FTX mess and the practices identified by its new management in a recent bankruptcy court filing, McCarr said he was reminded of his experience at Ultimate Bet. While he didn't weigh in on Friedberg's specific role at FTX, he sees parallels between the two companies' situations. It sounds like exactly the same incident on a bigger scale, Makar said. Very interesting. That's the first comment he's made about any of this since 2013. The rest of the article doesn't talk about Friedberg, so I won't get into that. But very interesting article overall. I just read you parts of it. I didn't read you the whole thing. But go ahead and take a look. Again, it's called FTX's Regulatory Chief at Four Job Titles in Two Years. What Was He Really Doing? It's on NBCNews.com by Gretchen Morganson. Great article. And I, I love how they got a hold of all these different people involved. I love the off-the-record thing, too, that Friedberg tried to pull. He just made himself look like a fool. 
Uh, that's funny. They print off the record. I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah, they're like, no, no. we didn't. We didn't agree to this. No, and then he just doesn't respond. He's like, shit, they got me. Okay, never mind. I'm exactly. just gonna shut up now. And drop. Did they did they interview Fenwick and West on how they could hire this guy after the tapes? No, no, they they I mean, haven't. Fenwick and West is a pretty large tech law firm. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable how fucking irresponsible they could be to hire this guy and have them represent their clients. Yeah, it's it's awful. Like you have to wonder if some of these places will hire someone like him because they want a shady attorney. They want someone who's going to break all the rules and just do whatever he can to uh, benefit the company, even if he has to do illegal things. Like maybe that's what they wanted, but that's uh, right. But even if they do on tape, they have want somebody that's on tape. I yeah, mean, you're supposed to have the ethical standards being an attorney. I know that's what's then ridiculous. you work for a firm like that. It's kind of like you're supposed to have extra. It is weird. Protection. Yeah. I wonder if they're liable for anything. It's it's very weird that he had any kind of career after this. And then to delete his LinkedIn page right away. I told you I found it that morning. Yes. The only th- I wasn't able to recreate it in cash. But I did I did recreate the Google search where it showed that it was there, but then it goes to a 404. Yeah. So, unbelievable. Yeah, he's been trying to scrub everything. I- I'm sure he's watched the video I made about him where I spent about half an hour a combination of playing the tapes of him and talking about him. I'm sure I'm sure he watched. He might be listening to the show for all I know. So if- I had like eight mutuals to him too. Oh really? And I was wondering if I should like post something about it. I don't want him suing me though, but who the fuck knows? I don't think he's gonna sue anybody at this point. Like I think I think he's in hiding and the last thing he wants is to be deposed about all this stuff. I think he just wants to hide and watch this go away. And it is so funny. <laughs> like it is so funny that he he really thought he's going to scare NBC. Like he doesn't think they have lawyers too that are going to see through this crap. And he just did that by text, right? Yes, by text. Yes. So they just printed the text. It's so funny. You. That could have been you from NBC News. You know, I wonder how much he'd be able to vent it over text. Yeah, I think he believed it was them, but it is funny that he even tried to pull that. But that's not the only connection to poker, Daniel Friedberg. We've discussed that before. Hasib Qureshi is another one. Hasib Qureshi, known as Dog is Head from poker, did a lot of shady things, a lot of multi-accounting. He was involved in that whole Gira scandal, or Jira, however you pronounce the name, on uh, Locke back then, where they created this Portuguese poker prodigy that was really... Hasib playing the account behind the scenes and I hate to say it but Jungle Man was involved somewhat in that too more Hasib but Jungle Man had some part in that as well but there was that and a number of other things that Hasib did that were shady and he was constantly lying it was funny because like he'd be caught lying and caught doing shady things and he would just write these super long posts over and over and over again on 2 plus 2 he even registered on Poker Fraud Alert and and tried to bullshit us over here until none of us were having it. And Hasib was so annoying because, you know, he was a smart guy. There's no question about that. But he thought he was so smart that nobody else could think on his level. And he just thought he could just lie and nobody could question it. He, he was unable to imagine that there were other smart people in the room, which is a tremendous mistake. Even if you're smart yourself, you can't just picture that nobody else is smart enough to think on your level. And that's always what he did. And it was really annoying because people saw right through his BS and then he was shocked. 
And then he just wouldn't give up. He'd just keep doubling down on his lies. So this guy was like a pathological liar. And eventually he left poker. And then he went into various uh, other things. He was uh, into the programming world for a while. And I think he was running some kind of uh, training academy for people to learn how to code. And then he got into all this effective altruism stuff, which, as I said, seems to attract a lot of scammers. And I, I didn't really follow his career all that much. I know he tr- he tried to claim he was giving away like 99% of what he was earning to charity, which I was always very doubtful of. And I knew he was into that whole effective altruism crap, but I, I didn't follow him very closely. But then when this whole thing happened with SBF and when I saw that he was in that effective altruism stuff himself, as was his accomplice Caroline, I thought of Hasib. And I thought, I wonder if Hasib ever crossed paths with SBF, especially because I last I saw Hasib was getting into crypto. So you'd think these two, both into crypto and effective altruism, would have crossed paths. Well, the answer was, yes, they definitely did. In fact, in December, and this was actually tweeted out by Caroline herself, Hasib, Caroline, and SBF were three of the six speakers at some sort of effective altruism presentation. This is something with six six, uh, speakers, and those were three of them. (laughs) Wow. So they must have known each other quite well. This wasn't like there were three out of 50 speakers. This was three out of six speakers. This is on Thursday, December 2nd, 2021, a little less than a year ago. It says, what good is crypto? Crypto philanthropy, poverty, and financial inclusion. Oh, isn't that sweet? So it's showing how crypto can change the world for the better. Crypto philanthropy, poverty, meaning solving poverty, and financial inclusion. I don't even know what financial inclusion is. It's supposed to sound good, but who knows what that really is. It sounds like a BS term. And then the six figure, the six speakers there, Sam Bankman-Fried, Sibo Nagni Keola, I don't know who she is, Caroline Allison, Arthur Brightman, Peter Singer, and Hasib Qureshi. So they knew each other. Not a shock at all. Now, I don't, know that there's any connection to FTX involving Hasib Qureshi. So he may not have been involved in any of that, but it is funny that it seems like there was some kind of effective altruism connection, and why not? You know, they uh, they were all really cut from the same cloth. And I do kind of notice the way that Sam Bankman-Fried acts after he's been caught lying and caught scamming is, is not too different from the way Hasib Qureshi acted. I see a lot of similarities between them. A lot of these effective altruists, the whole thing is just a cover for what they really are. A lot of times it's a cover for a lot of darkness under the surface. And that's the problem. That is the problem. It's often not coming from a noble place. So you can still find this on Caroline Ellison's Twitter that she tweeted out this graphic that was showing this... December 2nd, 2021 event with these six speakers. You can find her Twitter at Caroline Capital, exactly as it sounds. 
Now, what about Kate Hall? Remember I said Kate Hall has a connection to this whole thing. Now, Kate Hall tweeted out something, as I mentioned, kind of mocking SBF for his admitting that he was virtue signaling and pretending to be woke so people like him. But what does she have to do with him? Well, someone discovered this on Poker Fraud Alert, and it's quite interesting. I think the reason that Kate Hall had something to say about him is because the company that she is currently at, she is the COO of this company. It's a bit of a weird company, though. You'd think they'd have to be weird to hire Kate Hall as a COO, and it is a weird company. And I also wonder how much work it's really doing, or if it's kind of just for show. But anyway, it shows right on their page, which they've now scrubbed, but in an archive of that page, you can see it, that one of their investors was Sam Bankman-Fried, and they've just removed that section of the page completely. But someone found it on archive.org and posted it. So this is a company called Alvea, A-L-V-E-A, and Alvea is some sort of biotech firm, but it's kind of weird, and I wonder if they're really working day-to-day or if it's just kind of a loose association of people. But from a November 6th, 2022 capture, right before the shit hit the fan with FTX, it says, backed by Open Philanthropy, Future Fund, MetaPlanet, Good Forever. These are different companies. Blake Borgeson, now it's showing individuals. Sam Bankman-Fried, John Tallinn, and then that's it. So they decided to just scrub the whole thing of backed by. If you go to Alvea's page now, which is A-L-V-E-A dot bio. Alvea dot bio is the webpage. A-L-V-E-A dot bio, B-I-O. And click on careers at the top. And then you scroll up. You will see it says backed by. And they just show now open philanthropy, meta planet, and good forever. There's no longer any individuals listed, including SBF. And some of the companies were scrubbed as well. So the difference between November 6th and three weeks later, now November 27th, is tremendous. Before it was backed by four companies, Open Philanthropy, Future Fund, MetaPlanet, and Good Forever. Today, it's just Open Philanthropy, MetaPlanet, and Good Forever. So what's missing is Future Fund, which is probably something having to do with SBF. Then they took out the three individual backers. Now, I don't know who Blake Borgeson and John Tallinn are, but Sam Bankman-Fried was one of the three. So they've scrubbed that. They've scrubbed anything that makes it look like they had anything to do with SBF. Now, is it terrible that SBF invested in their company? No. That doesn't necessarily mean they knew it was shady money or stolen money. Like I'm not saying they had to know that. There was a surprise to just about everybody when this happened. But it is funny how they just scrubbed that like it was never the case. But since we're talking about it, what is Alvia? If you go to their webpage, alvia.bio, it says, let's build the technology to stop future pandemics in their tracks. Alvia is a biotechnology company dedicated to deploying medical countermeasures that fight infectious diseases. We're developing new vaccines against COVID and its variants as step one in a plan to strengthen humanity against future biological threats. Is this true? Is Alvia really going to be like the next Pfizer or the next Moderna and put out 
future COVID vaccines? Is that true? How come we haven't heard of this? But that's what they're claiming. Our mission, to build a vaccine platform for pandemic response as global, flexible, and fast as the pathogens we face. Oh, isn't that sweet? Then they have a picture. They have a picture of the spike protein on the side. What the hell? We're a team of drug designers, clinical development experts, physicians, and operators d- dedicated to deploying novel medical countermeasures for use against pandemics. We build simple, scalable, and shelf-stable medicines and prophylactics appropriate for use anywhere that humans call home. And then their leadership, they have six people. Grigory Kimulia, the CEO. Kate Hall, the COO. Kyle Fish, the CTO. Maximilian Scans, CMO, Ethan Alley, the board chair, and Kevin Esvelt, the advisor. Now, I haven't heard of any of these people in poker except for Kate. I don't know how she got involved with them. But I haven't really seen what Alvia has actually done, and they've been around for a little while. Well, that board chair is a student. And and then if you look at, um, you know, they probably took his name off because some of that money could end up being recover- recoverable from people that he gave it away to or invested in, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And they do have links to three different news releases between February 2022 and October 2022. So like in February 2022... It says, Alvia launches scalable shelf-stable DNA vaccine development against new SARS-CoV-2 variants, which is COVID. Alvia, a startup biotechnology company today, announced it will begin to develop, test, and deliver DNA vaccines at scale to low- and middle-income countries with limited access to vaccine options. Yeah, see, they're talking about beginning development, which doesn't mean anything. Let me get to the more recent one from October. It says a vaccine developer finds a partner in growth. And then it talks about their first vaccine candidate, but not that they've actually produced it. Yeah, see, I'm not seeing anything they've actually produced. Maybe I'm missing something, but I'm not really seeing anything they've created, which makes me wonder if they're just kind of bullshit. Like, this is something that in theory they want, but hasn't really done anything, and these people are not sitting there 40 hours a week working. Like maybe these are just people who want to do something like this and are hoping they'll get investors. It might be along those lines. Whenever I see a company that's like starting to do something but hasn't produced anything yet, and you can't really find that much on them, it does make me wonder what the real deal is. And I mean, they they hired Kate Hall as COO. That's that's already a red flag. <laughs> I wouldn't want. Kate Hall managing anything. She is insane. But that's that's the least of the problems here. I just don't know if they've really done anything. I mean, maybe they have and they're just not good at communicating with it, but it just seems like their webpage is full of platitudes and, and not any kind of accomplishments. And yeah, I realize this can take time if they just formed, let's say, a year ago, then yeah, they can't be done already. But like, where is any press release about progress or where they stand with this. You know, they supposedly began development in February. So, okay, where are they? We're in November. And we see who's leading it, but who's working under them? Do they have any real workers? Or are there 
they just have management with no no workers under them hoping for funding. That's kind of what it looks like to me. If you can figure this out, you're welcome to text me. Go to alvea, A-L-V-E-A dot bio. And let me know if you can figure out more than I have with this whole thing. Very odd, but yet another connection to poker. Isn't it funny how many connections to poker there are? Don't, don't worry, there's more. I'll tell you one more. This is actually the most recent story about them, but we're going to skip ahead. SBF bought a tiny bank called Farmington Bank in Washington State right along the Idaho border. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's a bank that if you saw a picture of it, looks like someone's spare garage. I'm not even kidding. It's like this really weird-looking white sort of cube-like building that really looks like it's a garage. It's like even hard to believe there's an office in there. And that's the entire bank. It's, it's one of the tiniest banks in the country. It was the 26th smallest bank in all of the U.S. And given how many banks there are in the U.S., that means it's pretty damn small. Trader Risky, can you think of anything we're familiar with where a bank was invested in by somebody or something that wanted to do illegal operations and use the bank to complete those operations? I think it was that bank in Utah, that Jeremy somebody, maybe? Yes. By the way, your sound isn't very good. You sound like you were in the bathroom. But aside from that, you are correct. You're thinking of Sunfirst Bank in St. George, Utah, that in 2009 was approached by payment processors Jeremy Johnson, who unfortunately also turned out to be a telemarketing scammer, and Chad Ellie, who was a payment processor but not a telemarketing scammer. Chad actually seems like an okay guy. He's He was on this show about 10 years ago, and he still listens to the show sometimes and still sometimes interacts with the Poker Fraudler tweets that we put out. So he's still around in some way. But he got screwed over by Jeremy Johnson, too, as did everybody. But anyway, he and Jeremy Johnson together spoke to this very small bank called Sunfirst Bank in St. George, Utah, which is near the border of Utah and Nevada, and basically invested money into the bank in exchange for them processing online poker transactions and labeling them as something else. Because a big problem they had is in order to process these transactions, they'd have to lie to banks about the nature of the transactions, and then they'd get caught and the banks wouldn't process them anymore. So they're like, oh, if only we could have a bank that would just look the other way. Wait a minute, maybe we can. What if we invest in a very small bank and in exchange, then the bank doesn't say anything when we process our transactions. So at first, the idea was just to buy the bank completely, and then it ended up where they just invested in it with the agreement that the bank was going to look the other way with these transactions. And and for two years, that's what they did, from 2009 to 2010, until they finally got a notice from the government to stop this crap that was kind of foreshadowing what was about to happen. This was in, I think, December 2010, when Sunfirst Bank was told, stop processing online poker transactions. We know what you're doing. And then four months later came Black Friday. So This wasn't made public at the time, but that really was foreshadowing what was about to go down. So yes, investing in a bank to 
have that bank to help you commit some kind of fraud or do things without any kind of regulator seeing to help obscure your transactions or whatever you might want to do, that can be very useful. It can be very useful to invest in a very small bank that understands that you're investing in exchange for their cooperation. So that's why you pick a very small bank that is probably willing to do this. One that has a hard time turning down your money. So that has recently come out. And the story is interesting to me because of this whole bank correlation to what happened with poker and what actually led partially to Black Friday was that whole Sunfair, the Sunfirst Bank fiasco. So the bank was named something different initially. It's called Farmington Bank. And then it changed its name to Moonstone Bank. And that was SBF's decision to change it to Moonstone Bank. But it was still the same bank. And you can still see its website. It says Moonstone Bank, a bank for tomorrow. A bank built for tomorrow. Ushering in a new era of technology banking. Yeah, I bet. And even the New York Times is covering this now. Crypto firm FTX's ownership of a U.S. bank raises questions. Now they're also looking into whether this bank has uh, some kind of ties to FTX's connection to the Tether stablecoin, which really may be the next thing to fall. There's been some questions about SBX, FTX and Tether having association and whether Tether is really as stable as they claim it is and what it's really backed by. But they've been looking into this bank because the whole thing's very weird that $11.5 million was invested into Farmington Bank, which was actually more than their deposits at the time. This Farmington Bank only had three employees and total deposits of about $10 million. And then all of a sudden, SBF shows up and drops $11.5 million into an investment into that bank. So it's actually investing more into the bank than it currently hold, held in uh, funds. And then within a short period of time, according to the FDIC, $84 million came in to that bank, of which $71 million was held in just four new accounts. So it's not like a ton of people opened accounts at that bank. It was uh, four new accounts opened there that combined put in $71 million. And in total, all of a sudden, $84 million came into that bank, this tiny bank before that had $10 million total in deposits. Farmington also was kind of operating in the past. They had no credit card services and no online banking. Can you imagine in uh, 2021, 2022, whenever this was, that uh, a bank without any kind of online access? But Farmington was a bank with no online access, which is crazy. However, at the time when uh, Farmington Bank became Moonstone, 
It was called a robust financial platform to empower fast-growing, innovative, and disruptive sectors. And then they quickly changed the website and under the new Moonstone identity said that the goal of the bank was to support, quote, the evolution of next-generation finance. So that's kind of weird that they were talking about next-generation finance when the present-generation finance was not at Farmington Bank, meaning no online banking. How about getting into this generation first? Then you can worry about the next one. Someone on Twitter was theorizing that SBF, Alameda, and FTX was uh, a money laundering front for Bitfinex and Tether, and that it had a trade fraud and market manipulation arm. And now there's... uh, a lot of questions also about how Alameda Research, given its involvement into crypto, was able to acquire an ownership stake in a U.S. bank without regulators asking questions. Because the U.S. government has been kind of suspicious of crypto for a long time. They haven't quite known what to do, but the U.S. government has been semi-hostile to crypto for quite some time. And a lot of people are wondering how Alameda Research, a crypto firm, was able to get this ownership stake in any FDIC-insured U.S. bank. Why didn't regulators look at this? Also, it's being questioned how Alameda's stake valued the bank far beyond its actual worth, How, why that didn't set off any kind of suspicion with regulators. How did they get all this by? How, how did they get the stake in this bank? And how was the valuation of the bank at the time they acquired the investment in the bank? How is it not looked at why this crypto firm was value, valuing the bank far more than it really was worth at the time they invested? Why was the government so uninterested in the whole thing? There has been a lot of question regarding SBF's donations to the Democratic Party and his pledging that he will donate up to a billion in the 2023-2024 election cycle to the Democrats if he remained happy. He was the second biggest donor to Democrats behind George Soros in the 21-22 cycle. So some people are suspicious that he was given favorable treatment by the current administration because of his current and future donations. They didn't think he was a scammer, but it's possible he got favorable treatment because of all the money that was flowing. And that's why these type of things went through without anyone asking questions. Then there is a question of uh, Sam Trabuco. This is a different Sam this is not Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Trabuco was the co-CEO of Alameda until August of 2022, at which point he stepped down for unknown reasons. And then Caroline Ellison, who was the co-CEO with him, became the sole CEO at that point. But there was a discussion, I think it was on television, where Sam Trabuco was asked regarding uh, if they were wiring... U.S. dollars to tether through U.S. banks, and Trabuco didn't really know how to answer. Listen to this. This is back in uh, the summer of 2021. 
And at the time, Sam Trabuco was angry about the way he was treated in this interview. But nowadays, we're looking at this going, hmm, this was pretty telling of what was coming. Listen to this. Who are you redeeming it from? Are you redeeming it from Tether or Bitfinex? Uh, it's the Tether organization is who we're talking to. Are, are you using U.S.-based banks such as Citibank when, when you wire for to receive the Tether? Are you sending it through U.S. banks or are, are you using any anything other than Deltek? Uh, like the banks that we're using or the banks that we're, they're using? Either or. I mean, are you using non-U.S. banks to or are you using U.S. banks to, to purchase Tether? Uh, the... Sorry, I'm not sure I'm following your question. Are you using... Oh, no. <laughs> Lawrence says, uh, God frozen uh, on... Oh, wait. <laughs> back. You say wire, you wire money to Tether, right? To receive Tether. You wire dollars. Yes, that's right. That's, that's correct. Okay. Is, is it, are you using U.S. banks such as Citibank? Are you using... Who are you, what bank are you using to wire the money to Tether? Uh, I'm not, uh, I, not, Alameda's not going to disclose the bank that it's using. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> first he did this, like, fake disconnection thing where they couldn't hear him, and then he came back and still pretended not to understand. Like, they had to ask this question so many times, and finally he's like, well, Alameda's not going to reveal the bank that we're using. I think we know what bank they were using. After the interview... He tried to explain why he wasn't answering the question. On August 4th, 2021, he wrote on Twitter, Sorry for the wreck. I was expecting them to ask me about why the market was currently rallying so much, which I could have told them, but instead they interrogated me about what banks Alameda uses. I don't know what he means by the wreck, but... No, that's a good question. Like, Why, why was he so hesitant to talk about that, They're interrogating him? Come on. And again, this was Sam Trabuco. Also, someone zoomed in on this, showing that he looked very nervous. He's like licking his lips and very shifty looking at the very end of the interview. Someone named Myko, M-I-K-O, on Twitter, who's on Twitter is Myko Crypto NFT. Myko's M-I-K-O, said, hypothetical scenario with Tether in bankruptcy court, we should see cash outflow from Alameda to Tether. Alameda would wire them funds to mint Tether. If we don't find that trail or they don't match up, that means Tether was minting unbacked Tether. If the balance doesn't match, Tether might claim Alameda had a line of credit with them. I can imagine any funds establishing LOCs that they can quickly mint the stable coin when the opportunity rises. This would mean that Tether is leveraged. Leverage sneaks up on you. Once Tether gets a taste of how easy and lucrative leverage can be, it might start using more. The house of cards collapses if Tether can't collect on those loans. However, if this was the case, then Tether would sign up as a lender in bankruptcy courts. We haven't seen hints of this in any bankruptcy courts, at least not to my knowledge, so it seems the leverage thesis might not hold. This means they're backed one-to-one by cash. That's if you believe they meant only in exchange of fiat. I think we're about to find out. So what he's trying to say here is we've got to figure out whether Tether which is the third biggest cryptocurrency out there right now behind Bitcoin and Ethereum and is the biggest stable coin that is one that's supposed to be linked to the U.S. dollar and always trading at a dollar so you don't have to worry about fluctuation, that Tether is supposed to 
only mint against U.S. dollars. So they always have U.S. dollars to back tether. And this guy Miko is putting out various theories that maybe they are minting tether without backing it with U.S. dollars. And that we're about to find out soon if they really have the backing of the U.S. dollars for the tether or whether this is smoke and mirrors, which could cause a run on the bank with tether and could cause tether to crash. And then I think that could really screw crypto badly when the third biggest coin crashes. But it could happen. And there's some concern here that there's a lot of ties between Tether and FTX and that maybe this Farmington Bank was being used for this to funnel cash over to Tether. So people are worried about two things. One, that FTX actually owned a bunch of Tether and was using customer funds to buy it. And number two, that Tether might have a lot of unbacked coins there that could cause the whole thing to collapse if this were to come out. Well, one of the founders of Tether is, is, a, mem- is a member of the men's group. Really? And that's, I've, that's... I've known him since, you know, the early 2000s. Oh, my. So, I, you know, I don't see any indication of, of that. But, A, nowadays you can't say you can't really uh, say shit because who the fuck knows? Wow, so not only do we have all those ties to poker, but now we have a tie to the men's group to the whole thing. This is getting interesting. I did not know that for some reason, that the one of the founders of Tether is part of this famous men's group. Yeah, because, you know, that was founded in Santa Monica, Mm. um, Tether, way back in the day. Crypto has surprisingly stabilized after the first crash from the FTX fiasco. I was just having this discussion the other day. In fact, it was at Thanksgiving dinner, of all things. I was having this whole FTX discussion with people at the dinner, and people were remarking there that it was interesting that there hasn't been a further crash beyond the initial crash. And I said, yeah, it surprised me too. I thought Bitcoin was going to go all the way down to 10 and who knows what's going to happen. But then it didn't. It went to like 16 something. It's been kind of hanging there for a while ever since that crash. So why didn't it go further? And same with Ethereum. It fell and then kind of stabilized too. So why haven't we had as major of a crash as we would think from the whole FTX implosion And I don't know why that is, but I will say that if Tether goes down, if Tether crashes and is no longer a stable, stable coin and goes way below a dollar and everything falls apart, that could really be a big dagger in the heart of crypto that really drags everything down if the big stable coin that is supposed to be the gold standard of stable coins turns out to be a fraud. That would be very bad news for crypto in general. And you can't have the third biggest coin crash without major implications. So I I think that's the other shoe we don't want to see drop or there's going to be a lot of pain here. But it remains to be seen what's going to happen. So this brings me to my next point, 
and that is regarding Genesis Global Capital and Gemini. Now, Gemini is another exchange. It's been around for a long time. It is the exchange that was founded by the Winklevoss twins, who originally were around starting Facebook. Kind of got screwed over by Zuckerberg, but they had an interest in crypto very early on. In fact, I remember in some kind of chat with them, I wasn't in the chat, but someone was involved in some chat with them, and one of the twins said at the time that they could picture Bitcoin going as high as $10,000, and everybody laughed at them. Well, who's laughing now? It went up as high as like 67000 at one point, and even today, it's at sixteen. So they started Gemini, and it's a legal exchange here in the U.S., but there's some problems at Gemini already, and it is related to the struggles of Genesis Global Capital. And let me explain that whole thing. It's a bit of a complicated situation, but Genesis Global Capital is a crypto lender, and they were kind of behind the scenes as far as a lot of these uh, crypto firms uh, lending coin back and forth. And now there's a lot of concern that Genesis could go down and it could take other companies with it. Genesis has halted customer withdrawals which is always a very bad sign. Whenever these crypto firms have paused withdrawals, I don't remember one that's even recovered from it. Every time withdrawals are paused, it's a disaster because that's like a last resort because everybody knows when you can't withdraw anymore that they're in big trouble in some way. So you really don't do that unless you have no other choice. So Genesis claims right now that they need a $1 billion capital injection in order to survive and that you know at the moment they have to pause the withdrawals and they they are citing the failure of FTX for why they are having what they call a liquidity crunch due to certain illiquid assets on its balance sheet so basically they were loaning out a lot of uh, crypto and uh, some of that must have been to FTX and when FTX crashed and they know they're never going to get this back that this has really screwed them so this is one of the dominoes that is now falling as a result of ftx collapsing and then just like a line of dominoes then it's making dominoes behind it fall there's a company called grayscale that says that they are two billion dollars in debt because of genesis which they own and Grayscale, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is one of the world's largest holders of Bitcoin. They have 643,572 Bitcoin worth, at the time of uh, the article I'm reading, which is fairly recent, I think like a day ago, $10.6 billion. So they basically hold about 3% of all Bitcoin, this Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, and they have $10.6 billion worth. So the problem is that the parent company of Grayscale called uh, DCG, which is Digital Currency Group, also owns Genesis, which has halted its withdrawals. 
and they claim that they had uh, 175 million dollars in funds on FTX that they are probably not going to be able to get back. So, in a note to shareholders, the founder of DCG named Barry Silbert said, we have weathered previous crypto winters, and this one may feel more severe, but collectively will come out stronger. But that's probably not true. And Genesis supposedly needs a $1 billion capital injection, and DCG's debts are about $2 billion, and the company loaned Genesis about $575 million. And they already absorbed a $1.1 billion debt from the crash of the crypto hedge fund known as Three Arrows Capital that went down earlier this year. So it's it's very possible that they're just going to let Genesis go under, that the grayscale business is very valuable to them so that they're going to just let their, uh, grace, their Genesis subsidiary just die, that they're probably going to file for bankruptcy, that creditors will get some money back and then... Uh, DCG will go on. DCG tweeted, the impact lies with the lending business at Genesis and does not affect Genesis's trading or custody businesses. Importantly, this temporary action has no impact on the business's operations of DCG and other subsidiaries. So they're basically saying that Genesis is uh, just acting separately and is not going to affect the rest of their business, even if it does die. Three Arrows Capital died because of that Terra Luna crash we talked about back in May. That was the first stable coin to really go down. And that also had somewhat of an effect on FTX and the money they lost, but not all of it, but that had some effect on FTX later. But the problem is, since Genesis was lending out so much crypto, that Genesis disappearing like this could be a big problem. There's some people who think that Genesis going down could cause a really bad domino effect and really the cryptocurrencies everywhere are going to crash. One of the exchanges that may fall apart as a result of this would be Gemini. And that's because Gemini had a product called Gemini Earn where you could supposedly get an 8% return by being part of this program. The problem is this was managed by Genesis. And because of the pause of withdrawals, now Gemini is having to pause any withdrawals from those who have Gemini Earn. So this is from Gemini on their own website. We are aware that Genesis Global Capital the lending partner of the EARN program has paused withdrawals and will not be able to meet customer redemptions within the service level agreement of five business days. We are working with the Genesis team to help customers redeem their funds from the EARN program as soon as possible. We will provide more information in the coming days. This past week has been incredibly challenging and stressful time for our industry. We're disappointed that the EARN program will not be met, but we are encouraged by Genesis and its parent company Digital Currency Group's commitment to doing everything in their power to fulfill the obligations to customers under the EARN program. We will continue to work with them on behalf of all EARN customers. This is our highest priority. We greatly appreciate your patience. This does not impact any other Gemini products and services. 
they're trying to claim that everything else is okay. They even say all customer funds are held in the Gemini Exchange at one-to-one and available for withdrawal at any time. But of course, FTX claimed this too when they were lying. So who, who knows if Gemini is telling the truth about this. They're claiming only this Earn program, which was branded Gemini Earn, but in reality was managed by uh, Genesis, that they're just not able to let people take out their funds there because it was really Genesis funds and Genesis is having its trouble. So they, they have to pause it along with Genesis's pause and that they're working with Genesis to fix this. But that doesn't look all that encouraging right now. This Genesis Earn was basically where you could, uh, you'd be loaning crypto through this Genesis Earn program and be getting an 8% return on your loan. So people are like, oh, sweet. You know, rather than letting my crypto just sit here in some wallet, why don't I loan it out through this Genesis Earn thing and I'll just earn 8% interest on it? Sweet. It's a lot better than just letting it sit in the wallet, right? Well, except when this happens, then now you're screwed. And Gemini is not honoring it the same way as they do the rest of the exchange. So they're saying if you have balances on regular Gemini, that that's fine and you can withdraw it and everything's cool. But if you have anything on Gemini Earn, then yeah, it's kind of held up right now. So Gemini is not willing to eat the losses that are possibly going to take place through Gemini Earn. Now they're passing the buck going, well, actually, this is really Genesis. And since Genesis is kind of collapsing, well, yeah, you may lose that. Now, you may wonder how this could be affected regulatory wise. Like, shouldn't this be protected if it's a regulated exchange? Well, no, because there was a notice to people that this is an investment and they may lose all of their investment. But people just kind of ignore that. They're like, yeah, well, they have to say that because... They have to say that for any investment product, but yeah, you know, that's not going to happen, people thought. So they invested. So that's the way Gemini is basically treating this, that this is people investing, and that's why they're getting a return, whereas on other parts of Gemini, you don't get a return. So if you're going to do this, you're going to assume the risk that maybe everything can collapse, and it did. So that kind of sucks, but there's some people who think that this is just the beginning and that the reason Gemini is not covering this is because they can't and that they're teetering on the brink and they might be the next one to fall. There's also a lot of concern that Crypto.com, not over this matter directly, but that Crypto.com is on very shaky ground and they may be gone soon too. In fact, there's been concerns about Crypto.com months ago. So I'd be careful with, with uh, Gemini. If you have any funds on there, I would take it off right now. I could really see them collapse at any point. It's possible they're telling the truth about having customer funds held one-to-one and that they have it all backed with real collateral, but it's possible they don't. Who knows? So I think uh, it's very possible that these things are going to be looked into more and more carefully and that we're going to find out soon about Gemini and we're going to find about Tether and we're going to see where all this goes. It's also possible that another crash is forthcoming no matter what, that people are just kind of not letting go of crypto at the moment, but the next thing that happens, people are going to throw up their hands and go, you know what, this is all smoke and mirrors, screw it. I have wondered why crypto has kept the value it has, and forget kept the value, why it rose to the values it did while it was uh, 
rapidly rising so much long after we realize that industry in general, and when I say industry, I mean all of industry, that you just really can't do very much with crypto. On gambling sites, you can, but outside of gambling, what can you really do with it? You can use it to trade money back and forth on the internet and gamble. What else can you really do? How many things can you just go buy with cryptocurrency? Like, if I didn't use it to gamble, I would have much less of a use for it. Let's say I wasn't into gambling. I don't know how much crypto I would have any interest in holding. Forgetting about the risk, just what would I do with it? Other than trying to make money with it, with the price going up and down, like, what would I be doing with crypto if not gambling? And that's really the question on everybody's mind. It's not something that has resulted in widespread adoption. And we've seen this for many years. Years ago, it was hoped that it's going to become something really mainstream in society, but it hasn't. People know about it, but it still has no real use. So soon enough, it could happen that after enough of these scandals that people just are sick of it and it's going to just completely collapse. I've said this before, but this really could be the beginning of the day of reckoning. But do you think that's relevant to Bitcoin too, right? I mean, I get all the altcoins, but you know, Bitcoin just seems too big to, to die. Well, the thing is, all it takes is a mass exodus from the whole thing where everybody loses faith and then the whole thing kind of slips. It's, the The truth is when one crypto falls, one major crypto falls, it can bring a lot of them down with it, especially a very, very big one. Once there's little faith in any of these cryptos, then I could really just see the whole thing completely collapsing. But, you know, maybe it won't. I've said this before and it didn't happen or it would happen and rebound. So we don't know. Let me play you a commercial. The commercial is a Tom Brady commercial for FTX. And this commercial kind of foreshadowed two bad things that at the time probably were not anticipated by the general public. Let's listen to this commercial. Pretty long commercial. I think it aired during a a Super Bowl. Listen to this. Can I talk to you about something? Yeah, we talked about it. I got another 10 years left. Okay, let's stop right here. That's Tom Brady's wife, Giselle. She says, can I talk to you something? And he says, yeah, we've talked about that already. I've got another 10 years left. Now, he's talking about his career. Tom Brady is uh, 45 years old. He now has a uh, famous separation from Giselle that she left him because he decided to unretire because he was going to retire and then decided to come back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers even though he's 45 years old and she's pissed off because she wanted to not deal with this anymore because he's always on the road you know it's, it's a lot there's there is a lot that a spouse of an athlete has to give up I and mean, they get a ton of money but they're lonely a lot because for half the year their spouse is is either training or on the road or you just don't see much of them. So she's like, okay, when's your career going to be over? And he said, okay, I'm I'm finally retiring. And she's like, okay, sweet. And she's all ready to live the rest of her life with him normally. And he's like, "Ah, actually, uh, no, I'm coming back. And so she was so pissed off about this that it ruined their marriage. And then he hasn't played as well this year, I think, not just because of his age, but I think that this has emotionally affected him. So anyway, this commercial is kind of poking fun at this, but before this commercial was before they separated. 
this is showing them together. So the funny thing is, this is actually showing a real argument they had that people didn't realize at the time. Can I talk to you about something? Yeah, we talked about it. I got another 10 years left. Maybe 15. Not bad. This is big. So she supposedly is showing him about FTX. So he thinks she's about to hassle him about quitting football. And he's saying that he may even have 15 years left <laughs> until he's like 60. And uh, she's like, no, no, not that. This. And she pulls out her phone to show him FTX. And this starts a whole chain of all these people asking each other, are you in? And then getting each other into FTX. What do you think? Are you in? You know what? I'm in. Let's call everyone. Hang on a minute. Oh, how dare you call this number? Okay, I'm in. Whatever. Who's that? That was my mom. Huh. Hey, Donut, don't need that. Yo, what's up? Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, sounds good. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. So this, this commercial has a number of cameos and also just kind of regular people. So it's basically showing Tom and Giselle Brady calling everybody they know, including just regular people who work in kitchens and who walk their dogs and just you know, regular old people, not famous people or rich people. And they're all saying, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And then there's even some cameos like Bill Belichick at the end. Uh, we'll get to that. Hey, Arthur, I quit. I'm in. So they actually called a, a surgeon right in the middle of surgery, and she says, I'm in, and it's it's kind of implied that she's just going to ditch the surgery because she's into FTX. Someone else in the kitchen said they quit, which is interesting, like a regular person quitting so they can invest using FTX. T-Bone, sit the downstairs toilet again. So that was his plumber that's now going to be in. Hello, Tom. Doggy coin? Sue, Mark. Are you in? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. All right, this last one might be tough. So it shows him looking at his phone contacts and showing one Bill, which is Bill Belichick. And, yeah, this is going to be tough. How are we going to get him in? Uh, he loves you. Probably just getting on the dentist. This guy. So then it comes up uh, Trader. And... First, even if you wanted to come back, we wouldn't take you. Yes, you would. Yeah, yeah we, we would. would. You're right, we would. What's up? I'm getting into crypto. With FTX. You in? We're providing gives 360-degree access to the crypto markets with the ability to trade everything from alts to DeFi. I believe I'm in, but still hate you. Understood. Take care. Best of the family. Is he in? Yep. Did he say he hates you? He did. Even on the phone, that guy sounds handsome. That's the commercial. And it's really funny because, of course even what happened to FTX, plus what happened to his marriage. So that, that commercial is really something. There are some questions being asked of Tom Brady, of his support of this, and whether he should have any kind of liability. Now, in a way, you could say he was just a celebrity pitchman, but you heard the commercial. He's not just saying, FTX is a good exchange to invest in, blah, blah, blah. Like He's actually acting as if he was investing heavily into it. He and his wife. And there were other celebrities who did this too. Larry David did the same thing. So there's questions about how much responsibility they should have, especially if they weren't really investing in it and were just uh, getting free investments within the firm as payment and not disclosing that. Like if they really weren't putting their own money or not putting significant money in, uh, should they be liable for promoting as if they did? 
So those questions are being asked. So that commercial aged very badly. The mainstream media has done a very, very poor job covering the FTX thing. Aside from this NBC News article that I read you part of, that they did a very good job with that. But uh, there's been a lot of puff pieces about FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried and even Caroline Ellison that really avoid casting SBF as a scammer or FTX itself as a scam or talking about theft or talking about all the people whose lives were ruined through these intentional activities that SBF engaged in. And this has really frustrated a lot of people across the political spectrum. And there's a number of these that are very obnoxious. One of the worst articles was in Forbes, or at least the dumbest article. And the Forbes article was actually about Caroline Ellison that was somehow trying to claim she was a figure of the alt-right, of all things, which is really weird because she was a lifelong Democrat. But there was a glowing piece in the New York Times about uh, SBF that never used the terms fraud, cheat, thief, steal, or scam, but instead portrayed him as an aggressive aggressive investor who just got too carried away. Washington Post did something similar. They actually had a title in the article saying that uh, he was donating to pandemic prevention and then FTX crashed. So they framed it not as this is a scammer who ruined people's lives, but this was a great guy who was donating to pandemic prevention and doing great things until the company crashed. That's totally flipping the narrative around rather than this guy was a piece of shit scammer and thief. It's, oh, look at all the great things he was doing and ah, he can't do it anymore because his company has fallen apart. Isn't that too bad? By the way, the money he donated for, quote, pandemic prevention, I wonder if some of that was Alvia. I wonder if that was part of those donations. Sounds like it. But yeah, the Forbes one, believe it or not, is considered the worst of all those articles. Of all things, you, you can't say that Caroline Ellison, whose parents are both academics, she was a lifelong Democrat, that she was a, quote, darling of the alt-right. That was the main point of the article. And where did they get that idea? Because some trolls on Reddit read her Tumblr and found some opinions she had that they enjoyed. She had a bunch of weird opinions on things. So some alt-right trolls were like, oh, look at this from Caroline. Look at this. Yeah, I agree with this. Yeah, I agree with that. And some even jokingly called her Queen Caroline. So because a few idiots on Reddit who were alt-right liked what she wrote on Tumblr, all of a sudden she became a, quote, darling of the alt-right, which is so not true. Like it was really trying to reframe the whole thing from SBF being a major Democratic donor that he was probably doing for convenience more than anything else, so they would look the other way with his shady activities, and Caroline being part of that whole thing, to making it look like she was a Republican. Like, uh, they didn't say directly she's a Republican, but she's the hero of the alt-right, and they were all worshipping her and her Tumblr, and uh, that, that was the point of the article. 
and again, they're not covering what she did wrong or casting her as a scammer. It's it's just more that she was a, a hero to the alt-right. Very weird article. They just don't want to cover the situation, honestly. Now, why is that? Why would the media avoid covering what these people really are? Well, it may not be what you think. It's not necessarily because of their support of the Democratic Party. Maybe that too, but I think there's a bigger reason. Sam Bankman-Fried was celebrated by this same media for a long time. He was on the cover of a bunch of their magazines and of their big multi-page articles, and they constantly quoted him about cryptocurrency. He was their resident expert they'd go to for quotes. So this is someone they propped up as this young genius who has all the answers about crypto. And then it turns out he's a scammer and a thief. Well, that doesn't look very good for them, that their expert they kept going to and praising turned out to be a scammer and they didn't realize it. So they are really, really avoiding calling him that. They are really avoiding portraying him that way because it makes them look like fools. So while they can't completely ignore the situation and pretend it's not happening because it's so big and they've talked about him so much in the past, now they can cover it in a way that makes him look a lot more positive. That he wasn't a scammer. He was just a young, aggressive guy who just let things get a bit out of hand, maybe from life inexperience and maybe a little too risk-prone. That's all. Just a guy who took too many risks and it didn't work out. Not someone who stole $10 billion. No, no, no. But can you imagine the New York Times article never using the words fraud, cheap, cheat, thief, steal, or scam? People looked, couldn't find those words in the article. And yet it talked about a bunch of trivial bullshit. It was a long article, and they didn't mention those words once. So interestingly, this is one of the few things that both sides of the political spectrum have agreed upon, that both left-wing and right-wing crypto figures have stated that they think these articles were terrible and that the mainstream media just has done a tremendously bad job covering this and probably on purpose. And everybody's very annoyed. And in fact, I've even seen some left-wing crypto figures say that, wow, I hate to say it, but maybe some of these right-wingers were correct that we can't trust the mainstream media. <laughs> some of them are starting to come around saying that the mainstream media is shit and maybe really does need to be reset. Like, wow, we didn't really see this before, but yeah, they really are crap. They really are biased. And again, this probably wasn't political bias. This was probably just bias protecting their own asses because they pumped this guy up for so long. So all these articles are doing is getting people mad. So the entire crypto world is very angry at these publications for putting out these puff pieces for F- SBF and, and to some degree also Caroline. You can go take a look at them. Go, go take a look at the New York Times article, the Washington Post. The, the Washington Post finally changed the title in the article about the pandemic prevention crap because that just got such a bad reaction. Though I, I still see the title here. It says, Before FDX Collapse... Founder poured millions into pandemic prevention. Is that the takeaway here? Is that like something we should be reading about? That he was pouring millions into pandemic prevention? How about he was pouring millions of other people's money 
into pandemic prevention. I would say that's a much bigger problem than the money that's going to stop flowing into pandemic prevention. Also, what have they accomplished? Like, they may be pouring money into it. Has, has really anything been accomplished? Have they done great things that we wouldn't have been able to do if it wasn't for his money? I don't even know what's been accomplished with this money that he donated. And this article talks about Future Fund, which is one of those that was donating to Alvia, Kate Hall's company that she's involved with. So Future Fund and SBF himself were listed as backers of Alvia, and now they're gone. Because basically Future Fund is him. So those are both scrubbed off like they never existed. Isn't that nice? I love how people run and hide when these things happen. Okay, finally, uh, before we move on, the liquidator of FTX says that he's never seen such an absence of corporate controls in his entire career. That shows you how bad things were at FTX. This wasn't just over-aggressive trading. John Ray III, who was appointed to take over at FTX for their bankruptcy, and he led the restructuring of Enron about 20 years ago, he said FTX lacked adequate human resources, cybersecurity, and accounting and auditing teams, and that he's never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. He said that he did not have confidence in the accuracy of balance sheets for FTX or Alameda Research. He said they were unaudited and produced while debtors were controlled by Mr. Bankman-Fried. He said the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individual was unprecedented. Wow. So it wasn't just that they were shady. He, said, he called them inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised. He's referring to people like Sam Bankman-Fried, Caroline Allison, and, and a few others there. He said a substantial portion of assets held with FTX may be missing or stolen. And we already discussed that, where there's just billions missing in addition to everything else that happened, that just where they can't even account for what happened to it. And apparently he's... Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX management practices included the use of an unsecured group email account as the root user to access confidential private keys and critically sensitive data for the FTX group companies around the world, the absence of daily re- reconciliation of positions on the blockchain, the use of software to conceal the misuse of, of customer funds. That's that backdoor t- we've talked about. And he also said it would not be appropriate for stakeholders of the court to rely on the audited financial statements as a reliable indication of the financial circumstances of FTX. So he is basically saying that FTX was a combination of shadiness and incompetence and just disorganization. He also said there were lackadaisical controls on systems and regulatory compliance. Basically, the whole place was a complete mess. Everything was a mess. Just, they just kind of flew by the seat of their pants at both companies. While at the same time, the only real work they put in was to uh, conceal things from those that weren't supposed to see what they were really pulling off. So when it comes to designing back doors, they did some good work. But aside from keeping any any kind of records or any kind of regulatory compliance or any kind of security, uh, that was all out the window. 
this is not surprising at all. These were really a bunch of young people without real-world experience managing companies like this. So just because they happen to run up a bunch in crypto doesn't mean that they know how to run a company. I, I said this in our last episode as well. So it doesn't surprise me all of this was a complete mess and that they were existing in chaos behind the scenes. I have a feeling that there's not going to be much found to recover here. Because if really, if most of their assets were in this FTT token, which has collapsed, then what do they really have? FTT is currently worth $1.33. If we go back a month, or even less than a month, we go to uh, November 4th, it was over $25. So it's down to $1.33 and, and just falling. It's, it's slowly creeping down. So that token lost over 95%, and it's obviously not going to be coming back. In fact, the market cap of the token is only $438 million, whereas before it was about 20 times that. So this is what happens when you're uh, supposedly backing your assets with a token that you created. It's all smoke and mirrors. Let's go to a completely different topic. Remember the whole Adele saga? Remember Adele? Remember her disastrous residency that wasn't at Caesar's Palace? I mean, that was a, a complete fiasco. And in fact, I called out Caesar's Palace, or Caesar's, the company, not Caesar's Palace, for believing that this could work. Because Adele had a problem, a problem that still exists, in that she hates performing. She's someone who just does not like being in front of a crowd. She said that she feels awkward. This isn't just for this residency. This has been her entire career. In fact, early in her career, when she wasn't that big, she was backing out of performances when it was potentially very harmful to her career because she would get physically ill and unable to perform. She gets very nervous. She gets major anxiety to where she will throw up afterwards and sometimes just can't perform at all. So why you would ever sign someone like that to a residency when they have a history of that? This wasn't a secret. It was really, really surprising. Well, indeed, earlier this year, she blamed COVID and with only 24 hours notice backed out of the first weekend that she was supposed to be performing at Caesars Palace and screwed over her fans many of whom flew in from the UK to see her perform, because that's where she's from. She had huge fans in the UK, flew in to see her, they land, they get the bad news, she's not performing. And she claimed it's because the show isn't ready, because they were devastated by COVID. This is when Omicron was ripping through the population. But while I'm sure some of the people got sick there, it wasn't because of that. The truth was that she just couldn't do it between the hatred of performing and fights with Caesars about the type of show it would be. She basically just wanted to get on stage and sing, and they wanted a big spectacular show behind her. She infamously complained about this water feature they built that she was supposed to rise out of, that she called it a baggy old pond. I'm not going to rise out of a baggy old pond. 
I keep having arguments with Cal Watt about this. He keeps saying that it's a boggy old pond and a baggy old pond doesn't make sense. But then every media I've been reading about this says baggy old pond. So I think it really was a baggy old pond. And I, I don't understand what that means either, but it's kind of funny. I was thinking she's just never coming back. And then there were kind of some false alarms that she's going to come back and she really wasn't. Well, what do you know? They got it all going again. And Adele finally performed. And believe it or not, the reviews were very good. They have fire surrounding her at the show. The uh, opening show, I believe, was on November 18th. And she's surrounded by fire. She has, uh, at one point, uh, rain coming down. I think the rain even puts out the fire at some point. So they, they have some special effects in the show. I don't think she rises out of the baggy old pond anymore. But the show is very well liked. It says in the Las Vegas Review-Journal, overcoming immense pressure to deliver, she walked out to the opening piano licks of To Be Loved, wanting just that. She made a silly face, sticking out her tongue to the crowd, and they stood and roared. Then she started singing. You understood her mass appeal. The artist's voice is transcendent. You mentioned Streisand and Celine, Whitney Houston in her day, and vocally Adele is in that strata. As a superstar figure, she can reach every individual in the house and make them care about her performance. And she admitted while she was performing that she was nervous. She said, I really appreciate it. I'm so scared. I'm so nervous, which I'm sure was true. And she gave tribute to Celine Dion, saying that the only reason she wanted to sing in that theater, which had housed Celine Dion for many years, was because Celine had previously been there. Interestingly enough, her monologue about everything had a lot of profanity in it. And there were a lot of kids in the audience, but I guess she let it loose anyway. But anyway, this show was reviewed very positively by the Review Journal, by other things I've read. Apparently, she impressed the audience and the reviewers of the show. She performed in one costume throughout the entire show, which... It's not all that common in these type of shows. Usually there's outfit changes just to spice things up and change things around, but she didn't do that. Uh, Cher was known for constantly changing costumes when she would perform. But Adele was the opposite. She stayed in a black gown throughout the entire time. And remember, she just doesn't like having a spectacular show she she wants it to all be about the singing and the music and even then she doesn't like performing but that that was one of the reasons she hated the baggy old pond at one point she shot some t-shirts into the crowd with a one of those t-shirt guns that you'll see sometimes used in stadiums and what was funny is at one point she was laughing about uh, two people sitting in the worst seats in the house she pointed up to the balcony section of the theater and pointed to a wall where people were sitting and said, there are two seats in this house. They're the worst fucking seats in this house. And then she said that she learned this because she actually was up there during rehearsals. She says, there's a wall right next to your face. Yes, you. And she motioned to them. And then when those fans stood up, everybody cheered. 
I guess it was kind of self-effacing a lot of the stuff she talked about. She said at one point, acknowledging what had happened, uh, Well, I'm thanking you. I'd really like to thank Caesars because there's been a lot of stuff written about me. 90% of it is absolutely made up. There's been rumors I was going to move hotels, moving theaters, and all this, but never once did they ask questions. They've been amazing. Referring to Caesars. All right, well, that's not really true. Um, I I don't think every single thing printed about her was correct, but there's no way 90% is made up. I I think a lot of the things that were said about her were true, and she's trying to cover now. And I I even believe that this was kind of being shopped around of whether she was going to stay at Caesars, and she ultimately did. And I know she was really mad at Caesars at one point because they wanted this spectacular show and she wanted just to sing. And that was one of the big sources of controversy. So it was that. And apparently she was having trouble with her boyfriend. And that also was putting stress on her. So she just couldn't do it. She was not in the emotional state to do it at that time. And this is something she hates doing anyway. So we'll see if this holds up, though, because just getting through... An opening weekend is one thing, but doing this every week, I don't know if she'll be able to get through the whole thing before she finally melts down. So don't give her too much credit yet. The Las Vegas Review-Journal is pretty confident that she's going to complete it. They said that they believe she's going to have a run for the ages. I don't know about that. (laughs) I think she should be happy if she just gets through this first residency. Now, there's another rumor about Adele. I'm sure she'll say it's 90% false. But there's another rumor about Adele that's in the Daily Mail, which is a UK-based publication. And they said that she was mad that the suite offered to her by Caesar's Palace wasn't in the most exclusive section of the hotel. So she decided to move over to Wynn. So apparently... She was given a suite at the Palazzo Suites at the Rio. And she didn't like that because she wanted to stay in one of the suites in the Augustus Tower, which is the one with the best view. We were just discussing this, uh, me and Brandon, about which is the best tower versus worst tower. And Augustus is best in that it's the second newest tower and it has the best view. Where Octavius, it's the newest, but it really doesn't have any view, and it's also a very long walk. Augustus is a fairly long, long walk too, but Octavius is extra beyond that. So apparently, she did not want to be at the Rio, even though these were not like regular Rio rooms. She wasn't staying like in a room that I've stayed in during the World Series back when it was at the Rio. But they gave her the Palazzo Suites, which are like these villas they have there, and uh, I know that. Elton John stayed there sometimes, and I forgot who else did, but a a number of the performers would stay over there even if they didn't perform at the Rio. I know Elton John was one of them. But Adele didn't like it. Adele didn't want to be at the Rio. Adele wanted to be in the Augustus Tower and wanted to be in those big suites at the top of the Augustus Tower. And they said, no. (laughs) They said... That those are reserved. As I guess there's a lot of whales that have reserved these suites and they don't want to kick the whales out and have them not gamble there. So they said, sorry, Adele, as, as valuable as you are to us, 
these are already reserved by whale gamblers and we can't give them to you. So she got mad. She moved over to the Wynn. She's supposedly staying at the Wynn Fairway Villas, which are actually on the golf course there. I think that uh, Steve Wynn actually was living there for some time. The villas there cost up to $30,000 a night. It's not clear if she's paying that much. But the Wynn was actually happy to have her staying there because they're hoping that maybe she'll become further unhappy with Caesars and eventually move over there. They've been, I guess, trying to make the same mistake Caesars did. They're trying to get her over there for a residency. So I think the wind's thinking is that since she's already at Caesars, they can see if she can get through this without it being a gigantic fail. And if they can, then they'll be more confident to see if they can steal her and have her next residency be there. And they'll say, hey, look, you know, Caesars, they won't even let you stay in the freaking Augustus Tower. They're giving it to gamblers and they're shoving you over at the crappy Rio. Look at us. We're, we're putting you around on the golf course. We, we're you're where, the, where Steve Wynn used to stay when he would sexually harass waitresses and masseuses. You get to stay here now. Look what we're doing here, Adele. Caesars doesn't appreciate you. They don't deserve you, Adele. They don't deserve you. Not only do they put you at the Rio, of all things, where even poker players didn't want to stay, but they want you to rise out of a baggy old pond. We're not going to do that. There's not going to be a baggy old pond at the win. We're going to get our best villas on the golf course. So that'll be interesting to see if she does decide that she's pissed off enough at Caesars over this. I, I like how she's like praising Caesars. It, it's so funny because she's probably praising Caesars at the end because she's quietly pissed off, but like knows everybody knows she's pissed off. So she wants to like, calm everyone down and think that she and Caesars are getting along. But I have a feeling they're not getting along. Like if she is moving to a different hotel because she doesn't like what they gave her. That's already a very bad sign. Like, she may get through the residency, but that's a bad sign about their relationship, which is already kind of strained. A source in Las Vegas, it wasn't named, but the Daily Mail said that the source said that it's unusual for Adele to not be staying at Caesars, and gossip has been spreading. Yeah, I bet it has. Someone else familiar with the situation said this is embarrassing for Caesars and that she had a, quote, hissy fit after being offered a room in the Palazzo Villas at the Rio. That the whole time she expected the suite on top of the Augustus Tower and was denied it and was pissed. The suite she's in at the Wynn is actually over 3,000 square feet, which is huge for a hotel. A lot of houses are not that big. I have a feeling she's not going to be at Caesars much beyond this residency. I think if it goes well, she'll probably move elsewhere. At one point, when talking to BBC's Radio 4, she admitted that the problems with the show earlier in the year was not related to COVID. She didn't admit she lied about it, but she admitted that these were artistic differences. And she said the show was not good enough Maybe my silence has been deadly, I don't know, but it was horrible. So she's saying the show before was horrible. I don't think any other artist would have done what I did, and that is why it was such a massive, massive story. It was like, I don't care, you can't buy me, you can't buy me for nothing. 
I'm not going to do a show because I have to. People are going to be let down because we're going to lose loads of money. Well, yeah, you should do a show because people are going to be let down. And what is this? People come all the way from London to see you at their own expense. And you don't want to do it? You don't care if they're going to be let down? Why not? You should really be doing shows to avoid people being let down once you've committed to do it. I can't imagine where I could ever be rich or famous enough to where I could not perform when people were to come from 6,000 miles away to see me and, and spend their entire vacation budget for the year to see me. And then I'd say, nope, not doing the show because of a baggy old pond. Like I, I wouldn't do that. At the very least, I'd do the show for them and then quit. I mean, even this show here, when I announced we're going to have this show, I would f- I always feel terrible if I have to cancel it and do it another night. If I actually say we're going to have a show and then we don't do the show. Like, you're not paying for this, and most of you listen in the archives anyway, but I still feel bad if I say it's going to be on such and such night or we're going to do it tonight, and then I say, oh, actually, guys, it's not tonight. Like, I kind of feel bad because people are expecting it. But at least nobody flew 6,000 miles to listen to this thing. There's definitely some selfishness on her part which I guess is not unusual for superstars but I guess the show was well liked so maybe it'll turn out okay alright final final topic Bitcoin Latinum that's a coin that Helmuth has been promoting you've probably seen him wearing the hat whenever you see him on TV or on a stream he's always wearing that damn hat we lost Trader Ruski. He has to go to the men's group. But I thank him for his participation. Anyway, Bitcoin Latinum has been heavily promoted by Phil Helmuth. And it's been a disaster. It's been a complete disaster. Unlike FTX's collapse, which took a lot of people by surprise, I, I, was, I was never surprised by Bitcoin Latinum being a fail. First of all, let's take a look at Bitcoin Latinum's price. Bitcoin Latinum is currently trading at anywhere between 25 and 42 cents, depending upon where you look. But if you go back to the beginning, you'll see that it was trading as high as $180. This was about a year ago. So it's gone from $180 down to something well under a dollar, 25 cents, 40 cents, whatever. I mean, does it really matter? So imagine if you invested in this this thing. Imagine if you got the LTNM token, which I'll explain in a second what that is, and paid 180, 150, 160, whatever, per token, and now it's worth less than a dollar. I mean, you've lost your shirt. So some people lost a lot of money in Bitcoin Latinum already, And the Bitcoin Latinum out there is not even the real Bitcoin Latinum. The actual Bitcoin Latinum has not been released yet. Anyway, there's a lawsuit about this. Someone is suing Bitcoin Latinum and its founder. Not Helmuth, but maybe Helmuth later. At the moment, he is not being sued, but he might be soon. So Bitcoin Latinum was founded by a man named Donald Basile, B-A-S-I-L-E. 
And right from the start, the whole thing was pretty much a fraud because the name Bitcoin Latinum was specifically chosen to imply that it has something to do with Bitcoin, and it does not. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. They basically stole the Bitcoin name and slapped Latinum at the end to make it seem more legit. In fact, there's a rule of thumb in crypto that anything calling itself Bitcoin, whatever, is not a good coin. Because coins that have any kind of real utility and aren't scams don't need to pretend they're affiliated with Bitcoin. And I'm not talking about ones that really have split off from Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin uh, SV and things like that. I'm talking about just new coins that call themselves Bitcoin something. So this lawsuit was filed by Arshad Asofi. This is from an article by Haley Hintz on poker.org. And Arshad Asofi alleges that Donald Bazile and Bitcoin Latinum defrauded him out of more than $15 million in investment funds through false claims about the Bitcoin Latinum project and that he wants the money back. Now, Donald Bazile and Phil Helmuth are friends and they both live in Palo Alto. And Helmuth has appeared with Donald Bazile at various events, including one in Florida. And Phil Helmuth even tweeted out a picture of Donald Bazile playing at a charity tournament. And the guy actually was right next to Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, of which Helmuth is a big fan, at this tournament. The tweet on February 5th from Helmuth said, My guy, Donald Bazile, CEO, founder of Bitcoin Latinum with Steph Curry at the Warriors charity poker tournament. Hashtag positivity. Sophie's lawsuit says that Bazile claimed that Bitcoin Latinum was a project that received $20 million from the producers of Star Trek. (laughs) Bitcoin, a final frontier. These are the voyages of a scam cryptocurrency. So no, the producers of Star Trek did not invest $20 million in this, apparently. There's also the claim that Bitcoin Latinum would be a hard fork from Bitcoin, like Bitcoin Cash, which it is not. A hard fork is where if you own a cryptocurrency and it does a hard fork into another cryptocurrency, then you own both at that point. You actually automatically get the new cryptocurrency, which spawns from the existing cryptocurrency, and then you have both, and then they both go their own way. So at that point, you could sell the second one and still have the first, or sell the first and still have the second. But that initially, you own cryptocurrency, whatever you had before, at the time of the fork. So he was claiming to, this is Sophie, apparently, that Bitcoin was like Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Latinum was going to split off from Bitcoin the same way Bitcoin Cash did. And that's not true. The only association Bitcoin Latinum has with Bitcoin is them stealing the name. Sophie was also allegedly told that Bitcoin Latinum would be interchangeable with Bitcoin. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. 
He was also allegedly told that the Bitcoin Latinum project would receive $50 million from, quote, big companies, and that an investor from Dubai would put in $100 million, and that the Dubai investors would open up 100,000 ATMs for Bitcoin Latinum by the end of 2022. (laughs) Come on. Come on. 100,000 ATMs in Dubai for Bitcoin Latinum. You got to check into this. If you're going to make investments of 15 million, why why don't you just go find some crypto expert and say, "Um, what do you think of this? Does this look like something real? Can you believe there's going to be 100,000 ATMs for Bitcoin Latinum by the end of 2022? And by the way, this claim was made in June of 2021. It's not like this was made five years ago. He was also allegedly told that Bitcoin Latinum was the only insured cryptocurrency, which is not true. He was allegedly told that Bitcoin Latinum was fully insured by Marshall McKellen. Come on. He was told that the Latinum coin and tokens would be trading in early to mid-November 2021 and that all coins would be issued with, with none locked up, that all traded money would be stored in a vault, and that every time there was a transaction, the transaction fee would go into Latinum, the 10% would go in and builds it up, and also that the coin would be released right away There'd be no lockup for investors that as soon as it went live, someone could invest it, sell it, or recoup their investment. So some of these coins, when they mint, anyone who initially invests can't just immediately sell it. It's what's known as locked up where people who initially get the coins, uh, they own it, but they they cannot uh, transfer it anywhere. So this was allegedly pitched to him that this is going to be different, that whatever you get from your investment into Bitcoin Latinum, you're going to own the coins immediately and you can do whatever the hell you want with them. Nothing's going to be locked up. So he's basically saying that all of this was bullshit. And this is what enticed him to invest the $15 million. He is trying to collect damages based upon unregistered offer and sale of securities. Unregistered offer and sale of securities in California as well as uh, the U.S. Securities fraud. Unregistered dealer broker under definitions of the U.S. Security Exchange Act. California securities fraud violations, rescission, fraud, conversion, and violation of penal codes. Also, he is claiming that the official Bitcoin Latinum account was insulting him and in fact mocking the fact that uh, English is not his first language. The lawsuit says the plain reality of what happened with the Sophie's invested funds was candidly acknowledged by GIBF's head of social media, who wrote the following on Bitcoin Latinum's official account. This was either on Instagram or Twitter. I think it was on Twitter, actually. GIBF, by the way, is GIBF BP Inc., which is the corporate entity for Bitcoin Latinum. I'm not sure what GIBF stands for, but this is what the Bitcoin Latinum social media director, whoever was operating the Bitcoin Latinum account, was writing to him to mock him. 
you no get money backs. He buy helicopter and boat and mansion. You get nothing. You no catch doctor. You stupid. Don't no be stopped. You don't know where you don't live. No good. Don't use money to buy mansion and party. Use your dollar. So it doesn't identify who wrote this, but this was from an official account labeled Bitcoin Latinum colon LTNM. Now, what is LTNM? Well, what happened was that they never launched the actual Bitcoin Latinum coin. This was supposed to take place in November 2021, supposedly, but it still hasn't taken place. So what they did is they launched a pre-sale coin called LTNM and is up on a number of crypto exchanges. And that was the one that was $180 at one point and now has fallen all the way down to well under a dollar per coin. So while the official uh, Bitcoin Latinum has not been released, uh, the coin that they did release has, has cratered in value. And I don't know if the actual coins ever going to be released. A Sophie sent Donald Bazile 15.555 million, including some of it in cash. Three people also sued Bazile and Bitcoin Latinum in February. This was in Michigan. Over several hundred thousand dollars that were sent to a man named Kevin Jana who was a, an investment seller that was working for Bitcoin Latinum. So they were basically alleging the same stuff that this Asofi guy alleged, except this was much more money for this Asofi guy. I can't believe he sent $15.5 million for this thing. Oh, my gosh. Phil Helmuth appeared with Donald Bazile at a big party in Miami at the Mr. Jones Club, which I guess is uh, an expensive club over there. And this was a party called Genesis, which has nothing to do with that Genesis company that is uh, currently having trouble that I just talked about on the last uh, topic. But this was a party called Genesis, in all caps. Genesis... And it was in Miami at the Mr. Jones Club. And it was sponsored by Bitcoin Latinum. Helmuth attended. Donald Bazile attended. And then an MMA star attended. And apparently in attendance were, quote, Wall Street leaders, crypto whales, several founders of the top cryptocurrencies, and over 40 leading Instagram model influencers. So they brought in hot chicks from Instagram, I guess. And they apparently had Grammy winner Quavo and Grammy-nominated Tori Lavez performing at the event. There apparently were a number of other expensive events that Bitcoin Latinum put on, and it's alleged that he was just using investor funds to do it. That all he really did with the investment money was party with it instead of uh, actually invested into the project. So the question that you must be wondering about, and I'm wondering about, is whether Helmuth himself is going to be sued for this. He definitely wouldn't be as responsible as this Donald Bazile guy. But still, 
the question remains of whether there's any responsibility if a celebrity is promoting something that turns out to be a scam. And to what degree of responsibility do they have? Should they have to at least give back what they were compensated? Should they have to give back nothing? Should they have to give back further damages? Now, in most cases, when celebrity pitchmen are hired, they bear no responsibility. Because otherwise, it would be too hard for any celebrities to promote anything if they had to do a level of due diligence to make sure that the company is legit to the point where if anything happens down the road, that they can be legally liable. Then just almost every celebrity would say, no, I'm not promoting anything. So it's understandable why they shouldn't be liable if they're clearly hired as pitchmen. The question starts to come in, though, when they are implying like they are investors in something that turns out to be a scam. So let's say I'm hired to promote a new hamburger McDonald's. And let's say there's some problem with the hamburger. Let's say they misrepresented or something. And then there's a lawsuit about it. I don't believe I could be held liable for promoting that hamburger, even if it turns out they're misrepresenting something. Because I wouldn't be expected to have knowledge of that. All I would know is that I'm being hired to promote this new hamburger that McDonald's is selling. But it's different when you say, here's a new investment opportunity, and this is something I'm involved with too, and I believe in it. And then it turns out to be a scam. Then it can be asked, number one, how much did you really attempt to learn about it? And number two, how much did you really invest? And this is where some of these celebrity influencers have gotten in trouble. When they haven't invested anything and all they've done is received some of that cryptocurrency for free in exchange for their promotion and then they claim they've invested in it when really all they've invested is what they were paid to promote it in the first place. And then people have faith in it. They think, well, okay, with the celebrity I like is investing in it, it's got to be good. And then it turns out it's not good. It turns out the whole thing's a scam and then you lose your ass and then you blame the celebrity saying, hey, you know, they're pretending like they invested in it and they really didn't. They were just investing what they were paid to promote it. So it's like a free roll for them. So that's where Helmuth could get into some trouble, possibly. I don't mean like criminal trouble, but I could see Helmuth possibly being civilly liable if he was promoting Bitcoin Latinum in the way that he's someone who has faith in it and has invested in it. If his investment was only just handed to him in exchange for him wearing the hat and promoting it, and if he's not disclosing that. Now, I haven't seen evidence of what Helmuth specifically has been saying and doing to promote it, aside from wearing the hat. I've seen the hat everywhere, on Helmuth's head, that is. But I don't recall statements he's made that he has, like, massive faith in it, but it's possible he did say these things. I don't think Helmuth knew that this was all going on. I think he just has faith in a lot of shady people. I mean, look at all his buddies over the years. Dan Friedberg was one. Greg Pearson was one. 
I mean, how many of these have to happen before Helmuth looks at who his friends are? Looks like this Donald Bazile guy is a real piece of work, too. But I think Helmuth's just too trusting. I, I'm i not trying to be a defender or a fanboy of his. I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest here. I think Helmuth just hears something that sounds like a good idea or hears someone who's a good talker, hears someone who seems to make sense with what seems like a great business idea, and then he just goes with it and says, okay, yeah, this person seems like they know what they're talking about. I've seen him make a lot of stupid investments over time. So I don't even think that Helmuth was getting together with this Donald Bazile and was like, hey, how can we rip people off with this new cryptocurrency Bitcoin Latinum. I, I think Helmuth probably didn't know that much about it. I think he doesn't understand that much about it. I think he was just given a, a stake in it in exchange for wearing the hat and promoting it some. And he's like, okay, well, free crypto for me. Why not? But you can't do that when you're that big of a name. If you remember when CoinFlex crashed that Doug Polk was promoting, he and Helmuth went back and forth because Helmuth uh, made some kind of negative comment about it, and then Paul came back with, wait a minute, what about Bitcoin Latinum? And so they were sniping back and forth about which person was worse regarding the cryptocurrency they were associated with. That both of them were pointing fingers at the other. So I wonder if Helmuth is next to be sued here. So far he's escaped it, but there's plenty of time left. It really amazes me sometimes how people will invest so much money in things they know so little about. I don't know how rich this Asofi guy is, but it's still $15 million. I don't care how rich he is. I don't care if he's a billionaire. And he probably isn't one. How can you invest $15.5 million in something with these ludicrous claims? Like, all you have to do is consult anyone who knows anything about crypto. I don't even mean like a super expert. I mean, just consult someone who's semi-knowledgeable at a minimum and say, hey, is this really a hard fork from Bitcoin? And the person will say, no, it's not. That's a lie. Oh, is this going to be interchangeable with Bitcoin? No, what the fuck does that even mean? Okay, and do you think there will be 100,000... ATMs in Dubai where people can buy and sell Bitcoin Latinum? And the response would be... <laughs> like These are basic things that anyone who knows about crypto could say is not going to be true. And then when you realize you've been lied to, you go, okay, well, never mind. I don't think I'll be investing my $15 million. And I have a feeling the money's just gone. I think it's probably been spent and wasted. I think the problem is a lot of people feel this allure to get on the ground floor of something huge. So they hear a new crypto is minting. They're told why it's going to be the new big thing. And they're said they're told, hey, just invest this much and you're going to get the coin and it's going to go way, way up. It's going to be the new big thing. And look at how much money you're going to make. This 15 million will be worth a billion one day, maybe more, maybe 10 billion. Could be the next Sam Bankman freed, except you won't have to steal. How about that? Don't you wish you could have bought a ton of Bitcoin back when it was $5? Don't you? So how about you get in the ground floor of this? It's going to be bigger than Bitcoin, or at least the same, at least the same size as Bitcoin. I mean, it's a hard fork of it, right? And people say, oh, yep, sounds good to me. Let's do it. 
the problem is all these things can be created out of the air. They, they don't have any real value unless people want them. So after the very initial trading, then Bitcoin Latinum crashed and it went under a dollar and it's been sitting there. What a mess. All right, I'm done here. Thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This was a pretty long show, but I had important things to talk about. On our next episode, I will give you updates on where things stand with the BetMGM scandal. I'll tell you if that article comes out in major media, as I will describe it for the moment. And I'll tell you anything else new that is learned. What I really still need to find out is who did this. And I'm going to be pressing that over the next week or so to see if my... If the detective that I have working my case can get this out of global payments without the subpoena. I don't think we'll find out that much more about DraftKings except maybe whether or not it is connected to the BetMGM thefts, but I think it was. I'm not sure, but I think it was. If you've been screwed over in any way by other individuals in poker, by online casinos, online poker sites, live casinos, live poker rooms, whatever it may be, you may text me, 775-372-8355, and tell me the problem. No guarantees, but maybe I can help you. Mandy now has $253,000 more than before I got involved. This can happen for you, too. All for the discount price of $0. But I make no guarantees. It's possible I can't help you. It's possible you're beyond help. I think a lot of my listeners might be beyond help. But that's okay. Thank you for listening. I'll try to get another episode out sooner than 13 days next time. (sighs) What a two weeks it's been for me here. Oh, well. Till next time. Shalom. Shalom.